been on extensions? Not that I know of. It looks like no. It looks like everything. Looks like nothing was. I'm trying to see what. No, not that I know of. You said you wasn't on for the fifth because I don't recall. You said the. Yeah, which... it's um, it was. Try this. They don't like my speech. I'm, I'm from New Jersey, I guess. Is that better? I'm sorry, everybody. If I, I'll turn the other one off so I don't duplicate stuff. All right. We have a, uh, uh, a uh, agenda to go through. We have some preliminary matters. The first is the approval of Kensdale Estate, Block 44, uh, lot 44, Block D, this was a forest conservation plan amendment that the board uh, did all the way last year. Um, but, but it's for us to approve. We have, we have the uh, draft of that resolution. I'll entertain a motion to approve. I move that we approve uh, uh, forest conservation plan 1199705 6C. Uh, the resolution is submitted. I think uh, Commissioner Second. Presley seconded. Uh, yes. All, all those in favor say aye. 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 Approved unanimous, unanimously. The second is approval of minutes of December 15th and 12th. Uh, all commissioners were here, so all commissioners can vote on this. I'll entertain a motion to approve the minutes. So move. This is Commissioner Pinheiro. Seconded. Okay, we have a... Uh, uh, moved by uh, Commissioner Pinero and and seconded by uh, uh, Commissioner Presley. All those in favor, Branson. Oh I'm sorry, it was Commissioner seconded by Commissioner uh, Branson. Slow it? down. Slow down. Uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 Okay. Uh, now we, we have uh, one. One record plot. Mm -hmm. uh, we have subdivision plot for Hillendale uh, Gateway. This is a two lot subdivision with a staff recommendation 
for approval. This is a, a, a public hearing at which there are no speakers, correct? Yes, okay. Um, uh, would anybody like any explanations from staff? Seeing none, everybody's nodding online as well. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I'll entertain a motion to approve the record plan. So moved. So moved. Uh, moved by uh, Commissioner Branson, seconded by Commissioner Presley. All, all those in favor say aye. 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 All right, unanimous. Okay, now yeah. we're, we're on to this board's uh, interesting uh, routine on extensions, uh, which we've seen a lot of. This is uh, there are six uh, extensions on on the agenda. I'll, I'll name them, uh, but I'll ask for an approval to do the first five, and then we'll talk about the last one. Uh, the first is Bayward, uh, uh, Bellward uh, Campus Parcels A and B, uh, Park Potomac Preliminary Plan 1, uh, 2023-029B, and Site Plan 8, uh, 2023-0030. Uh, the third is Hillcrest Avenue Properties Preliminary Plan 1-2023-0030. Uh, the, the fourth is Buck Lodge Track Preliminary Plan Number One, 1989, 03, uh, 2A, another regulatory extension, and Administrative Subdivision 6, 2020, 220100, a Lone, uh, Lone Oak Edition. Um, I'll entertain a motion to approve the first five. Can you ask one question on the first one, the Bellwood campus? Yes. And that is yes. the uh, just uh, a misalignment of what staff was telling us, which was the forest conservation plan was kind of uh, withheld, and then the applicant gave us four other things in that. And I just want to make sure that we're in agreement between the applicant and staff here as to what the, what the constraints are. Good morning, Matt Folden, uh, regulatory supervisor with the Mid County Division. Is your thing on? Oh, it, is it showing on? It's green. Yep, it should be green. How about now? All right, sorry, I'll say that again. Uh, Matt Folden, regulatory supervisor with the Mid County Division, <clears throat> and uh, the applicant is here also to answer some questions. What we tried to do at the staff level is highlight, I think, the most critical path issue, and that is um, the coordination between the site plan and the forest conservation plan. Right now, we have um, uh, we need very specific limits of disturbance and building footprints, and the applicant did highlight, I think, three additional items uh, that are also being coordinated. We've since met uh, post-DRC to start working out those issues, and I think we're uh, making some good headway. Um, but I think all of the issues that are cited in the extension are valid issues that are causing some of the delay. Um, but the most critical one is the coordination between the site plan and the forest conservation plan. And the applicant is seeking this extension. Uh, good morning, commissioners. For the record, Philip Hummel, Miles and Stockbridge Council for Johns Hopkins. Uh, the sole purpose for the site plan amendment for Johns Hopkins is to amend a previously approved forest conservation plan. And that's to accommodate the development that's being proposed by the Tremel Co companies north of future Bellward Campus Drive. So 
The sole reason for Johns Hopkins amendment is to make sure that the forest conservation plan that's already been approved can accommodate the development that's being proposed by the travel coach companies. So I'll generally take that as a yes. Yes, we support staff's okay. recommendation. Okay. So, uh, Chair, I'll mention for the record that's actually a pair of uh, extensions in this particular item. Right. It's it's um, uh, oh, it's the uh, site two site plans uh, that are being approved. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll entertain a motion to approve those extensions. So moved, Mr. Second. Second. Thank you. We got a second and a third. To Mr. Pinheiro. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 Okay. That's unanimous. Now, we, we have one other uh, extension, the addition to Ray's uh, Adventure, preliminary plan number 120-20-0030. Um, I, I know Commissioner Hill wants some discussion on this. Yeah, my concern here is that this is the fourth time extension, and it seems to me, and we don't have quite enough detail to distinguish this entirely, but it seems to me that it's sort of inaction by the applicant that's causing the current situation. Uh, for the record, Patrick Butler, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't know if anyone else heard. It was a little difficult to hear on the way up. If you could please repeat mm -hmm. that for us. Just to repeat that, I, I'm concerned in this particular extension that um, it seems to me to be an inaction on the part of the applicant that is causing the situation. And I'd like to hear about are they really waiting for staff on something? Um, from what I can, can tease out of what was submitted to us, uh, it seems like there is a uh, road issue that we've already had one extension for and the applicant to respond to that. Come on, Deborah. Can I do a quick mic check with you, please? I, I'm doing well on yourself. Thank you. And Jordan, good morning. Can I? I'm here from you, please. Good morning. She's setting up the next item. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll just say very succinctly that um, there was a slight delay. We have been working with uh, on this issue uh, with a road connection. Um, the applicant. We just met this past week uh, with the applicant. There is a path forward. Um, there's a reduction of lots and uh, removal of the connection. There'll be a driveway connection, et cetera. So uh, we can go into more depth in the timeline and the reviews, but I'll just say that we're having a slight change of course here, and we do have a, a path forward that I think uh, is going to work for everybody. So uh, yep. we should be able to. to I, I guess there. what I'm looking for is the assurance that um, there is, in fact, some matter being discussed and they're waiting on staff or waiting on institutional response as opposed to just not moving forward themselves. Yeah, there was coordination with MCDOT, with SHA, uh, based on our direction, and um, um, there was a slight delay, but um, yeah. we, are, we are moving forward with a slightly different plan given that some of those efforts uh, were did not work. Okay. So, uh, would there be a hardship involved with making this a 30-day extension as opposed to a 90-day extension to keep things moving? Yeah, I think practically just um, from a having to resubmit a revised drawing and then uh, having to need that, that drawing be 65 days out from a hearing uh, for agencies to be able to review and produce a report, that, that would be a hardship, I believe. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Presley has something to say? I was just going to agree with uh, the questions, um, you know, posed by Commissioner Hill 
And, um, you know, the answer we're hearing seems to make sense. Um, it's just that we're seeing so many more of these extensions that I think it's important for us to understand where the, where you know, where where the bottleneck is, and whether it's DOT, whether it's our own staff, whether it's the applicant, especially when something lingers over a period of years. But um, I'm in agreement with that. So, uh, com uh, Commissioner uh, Michelle Rosenfeld, I think representing the applicant, would like to speak. Yes, just very briefly. Thank you, and and I appreciate the concerns. I would like to confirm on behalf of the applicant. We had met with staff, I believe it was even before Thanksgiving. Um, we have provided them with some alternative approaches. Uh, staff is generally supportive. We have, uh, rather than submit an application without getting input first from uh, DOT and uh, fire and rescue, uh, we think it would be prudent to talk with them about specific uh, road design issues. And we actually had a meeting set up with them for earlier this week that got canceled because of illness. We expect to meet with them next week. The applicant has been engaged. We've been presenting various alternatives. We've been in communication with staff, and I do expect that um, once we have uh, supplemental information on specific design issues from the road-related uh, and fire safety issues, that we, we expect that we'll be able to wrap this up in the very near term. I do agree with staff that 30 days, though, is not long enough given the input needed from third-party agencies. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll entertain a motion. Mr. Chair, I uh, move that we approve the time extension with the explanations given for preliminary plan 11989-032A. Uh, Can I have a second? Second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Uh, that's unanimous. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Ms. Rosenfeld, for you. your representation. We're, we're now on uh, item four, are we? Can we go? Yes, we can go. <laughs> I have to ask, Mike. <laughs> uh, 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 Mr. Riley, if uh, you have something for us today. I do. Uh, <laughs> oh. I'm having a difficulty hearing. Me too. Ex excuse me, Mr. Chair, too. I, did we miss uh, the Jerome Freebaum extension? That that was on the schedule, uh, and I didn't see it as one we automatically approved. I looked at everything on my agenda. Yeah, Jerome Freebaum okay. extension was approved in, on uh, December 15th. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I had that still up, and I was expecting it on this one. Sorry for the interruption. Okay, but uh, I, who can't hear? You can't hear, or I have a different mic now. I think it's oh, okay. working. That's better. Oh, okay, now now oh, it's better. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, happy New Year, Planning Board. Um, I have a singular item for you this morning in my Park Director's report. Uh, we often refer to ourselves as an award-winning agency, and I'm here this morning to prove that that is true. Um, <laughs> I'm going to um, recognize several staff in a moment from our Public Affairs um, and Community Partnerships Division who won uh, no less than five awards from the Public Relations Society of America in various categories. Uh, the categories include videos, publications, 
marketing and events and observances. So I'll introduce the team. I'll ask you to wave to the planning board when I mention your name, uh, the fearless leader of PACP, Christy Williams, the division chief, uh, Susan Stafford, the assistant division chief, uh, Aaron Pant, the assistant marketing manager, uh, Maria Paul, a graphic designer, uh, Marilyn Stone, our photographer and videographer, uh, Lisa Herman, our web manager for ADA compliance, and Marilyn Sklar, our social media and digital content lead. And unfortunately, one of our team members is off today, Jordan Gray, our mar marketing manager, but of course, he's part of the team as well. So they received no less than five awards. Uh, they're in the categories, as I said, of videos, publications, marketing, and events and observances. I'll just describe them a little bit. Under videos, uh, which I'm going to show you one when I wrap up, uh, it's called Discover Your Happy Place. They're short-form videos produced in both English and Spanish, showcasing the breadth of resources that the parks offer the community. And then in the category of publications, the award was for the Strolls for Wellbeing at Brookside Gardens, which was an evidence-based program that promotes emotional healing through focused time spent in nature, the key component of the program is a full-color 110-page journal that was created in-house as a collaborative effort between Brookside Gardens staff and the marketing team. And then in the category of marketing, the award was for the Josiah Henson Museum and Park opening. As you know, the, the museum was the first museum in the United States dedicated to Reverend Josiah Henson. It opened on April 23, 2021 at the height of the COVID pandemic. This forced our staff to reimagine plans for an opening celebration and visitation process. And then overall in its first year, the museum hosted over almost 3000 visitors through ticketed admission and an additional 1300 uh, visitors attended free in person, uh, per virtual or public programs. And then in the last category, uh, events and observances, there were two awards. One was for the Garden of Lights at Brookside Gardens which as you know is an extremely pop popular annual holiday walkthrough winter light display. Um, there were several operational changes this, uh, this year, including requiring the purchase of advanced tickets online to ensure the event remains safe for visitors. The marketing campaign educated returning visitors about the significant changes in ticket process and drove event awareness, sales, and attendance. A total of 60,369 people attended the event in 2021, resulting in a 50% revenue increase over 2019. And then lastly, uh, the Montgomery Parks Urban Wood Sale, which I've talked to you about previously. In 2021, Montgomery Parks held its first urban wood sale. The marketing campaign had three main goals, to inform the public of the department's wood recycling program, market a first-time event, and raise funds. The event attracted more than 200 customers, and 176 individual sales were made exceeding expectations. So obviously a lot that we do, uh, our parks and our facilities just bring pro people in uh, just de facto, but obviously we when we uh, have special programs and our enterprise fund and all that, the, 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 the importance of marketing and creating awareness of our programs and communication is so key. So I wanna congratulate this team for their great work. And I will, if I, the technology works, I'll show, take just a minute to show you some of the Discover Your Happy Place uh, short form videos. Mr. Bradley, just a quick clarification. As these awards are national scale and scope, correct? 
It's the Maryland, it's the Maryland oh, chapter Maryland of okay. the Public Relations Society okay. of America. Yeah. That's really impressive, Stan. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see if the technology will work. Volume. With more than 250 miles of trails waiting for you, how soon can you get your bike ready? Discover your happy place. Explore new trails, parks, and activities at MontgomeryParks.org. Again, you're seeing the English versions. These were all done in English and Spanish. Oh, there's a couple more. And find a bit of nature? Discover your happy place. Explore nature centers, nature programs, and much more at MontgomeryParks.org. <laughs> We'll just go a couple more. How about some time outside? Next stop, outdoors. <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> Discover your happy place. Ride the trains and find many more programs and events at MontgomeryParks.org. With more than 250 miles of trails waiting for you, how soon can you get your bike ready? Discover your happy place at MontgomeryParks.org. And congratulations to the team, and that's all I have for you this morning. I think we're going to do a photo op. That's okay. Very nice. Congratulations. Uh, and I would note, you know, unlike uh, baseball statistics, this was a five-for-five five batting average. <laughs> You, you applied for five, you got five awards. So that's, that's really fantastic. So we're going to do a photo op in front? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Amy, uh, Ms. Presley, you have something? I just, wanted to, I just wanted to recognize the whole team. Parks is so proud of you all. Apparently my dog is too. We, we love to share the dog parks. Um, but congratulations on these awards. It was well-deserved.
Uh, are we okay to go to item nine now? What's the next case call? It's the next, so you'll let me know. Yeah, you just have to let the commissioners know to switch to the next call.
Welcome back to the January 5th, uh, 2023 uh, session of the Montgomery County Planning Board. We are on item 9, an update of the MCG 105-23 Trust and Transparency Act bill. Uh, our general counsel is uh, available on the line to explain some of her recommendations that she'd like the uh, the board to adopt, and and this is coming uh, to the board at this time due to the timing of the state legislature, <laughs> and and uh, if Miss Borden will explain that, that would be fine. Miss Borden, go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, this is Deborah Borden, your general counsel. Uh, good morning, uh, and I hope everybody had a wonderful new year and it's gotten off to a great start. Um, we have been working on some proposed changes to MCPG 10523. Just to refresh your uh, recollection, this is uh, affectionately called the Trust and Transparency Act. This bill has a number of different uh, uh, proposed amendments. It has been uh, sponsored by Senator Kramer. And um, so the bill, in, in our view, really has two parts to it. The first part of the bill deals with uh, uh, proposed changes to the appointment process and the appointment authority uh, that is um, currently in, in place with the county council. Um, the proposal is to change some of that and hand some of that authority to the county executive. We are not weighing in on that uh, piece of the legislation at all. Um, the second half of the bill deals with uh, transparency um, issues regarding the planning board's process and the planning department's process. And because that is uniquely our, our area of expertise, um, the uh, delegation chair, the Montgomery County delegation chair, asked us to look at those sections and um, if we have suggestions to clarify the language to make sure that it is consistent with the process that we already have, that, that we should do that. And she asked us to do that by the first week of January. So here we are, first week of January, and we have some proposed amendments. I'd like to thank Emily Vias for working on this um, uh, very quickly uh, over the, the break when, when a lot of us were on vacation. Um, so we have come up with some uh, amendments to the uh, proposed amendments, and um, we wanted to make sure that you uh, see them, that you have a, a chance to weigh in on them. If you have any concerns about the language that we are proposing, we can make changes to that before we submit that to the, um, uh, the delegation chair. Uh, if you don't want us to submit something to the delegation chair, now's your chance to tell us that and give us guidance. Uh, so um, we can go through each amendment one by one, or we can just, I can stop here and ask you if you have any questions about them. After each amendment, we, we've prepared a, basically a, it, it was supposed to be a one pager, but it's really a two pager um, with the four amendments on there. And after each amendment, we've tried to explain uh, the reason we think the uh, language is better, the language that we are proposing is better, um, and uh, the reason for for the change. So um, we can go through one by one, or I can just stop and we can answer any questions you might have. Would any commissioner like one by one? Yes, 
Okay, then we'll go I one by one. Uh, okay. And uh, when we're done, can we also revisit what we're able to comment on? Just want to get that in there. Sure. So, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. At your pleasure. Okay, so the First Amendment um, would change, let's see, the, the current um, proposed amended language would say that the commissioner appointed by the county executive, again, this would, this language is assuming that the county executive is now appointing the chair um, because that was in the first part of the bill. Um, so it says the commissioner appointed by the county executive may not engage in any other employment while serving on the board. So um, we would propose to change that to the chair of the Montgomery County Planning Board may not engage in any other full-time employment while serving as chair of the board and must obtain approval from the county council to engage in any other part-time non-commission employment. So we wanted to clarify that because um, just referring to any other employment seems really uh, very broad. There are all kinds of different types of employment. There are uh, people who are adjunct professors who uh, teach for the University of Maryland or other, uh, you know, uh, higher uh, uh, educational institutions, which wouldn't be a problem if, if you were uh, the chair of the planning board, or at least, you know, we can't see why that would be a problem. There are all kinds of situations where other employment may be not only um, fine and, and not, uh, 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 involve a conflict of interest, but it may be in the interest of the, of the um, of the commission that um, you know this person the chair is engaged in such other employment, right, right. I, uh, so I, it may actually benefit the any, commission. Anybody have any problems with the suggestion? Yeah, um, only a technicality potentially is. Uh, I heard you say non-commission employment, and I don't know. I, I would hope to be consistent with how the legislation in other areas uh, describes it. And so I would suggest outside employment instead of non-commission employment. That That's my only well, suggestion. Well, I think we, we, we used that particular phrase because that's what we have in our practices and procedures. We actually have a form that people fill out when they have non-commission employment um, and they and they fill it out and they get their supervisor uh, or their mm -hmm. department head to approve it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we used that um, that particular phrase because it matches what we how we you know deal with outside employment right right uh, in the commission. And remember this person is a full-time employee already, so it would have to be outside to. I know, I'm just saying use the word outside instead of the word oh. non-commission. That's the oh, only thing okay. I'm suggesting. Okay. And then um, and then the other thing is that I'm a little unclear on this approval process. I mean, usually it is the appointing entity that gets to approve or not approve, uh, but this is being split. It, it, the assumption is that the, uh, that the county executive will appoint and that the Council will then approve the non the outside employment, and um, what th does it require a, a a vote of the council? What what will it require to to have the council approve the outside employment? 
Uh, well, the so our proposal assumes that the appointment process procedure authority is the same as it is today. If that gets changed, then obviously this language may need to be tweaked. Assuming the, the county council is the one appointing the person, then during the process that the county council engages in, in vetting the, the candidates and, um, and, and finally coming up with the, uh, the appointment, and uh, in doing that appointment, they have the authority at that at that point, and at really at any point, to um, uh, inquire as to whether the person is engaged in any other uh, employment and intends to continue that employment while they're chair. And they can make any uh, uh, inquiry into that. They can put restrictions on that, and they can put it into the resolution in which they approve the appointment of the person. So they would approve that by resolution and um, that would be a vote of the county council. And no, I understand that part. Um, what I, I think the more likely scenario is that the person becomes chair and then, you know, somebody offers them a position teaching somewhere or something. You know, it, it, it's not clear to me how the what notification would be required or what approval by the council would be required i i don't think it's good to leave stuff up to assumptions you know in legislation and so what i'm suggesting is that there is language that specifically says that um that the council must approve um outside in employment especially well that the council must must approve outside I employment. That I, I think I can cure. Or maybe uh, may, maybe we can say that the um, that the chair must seek permission for outside employment, be whoever it be. I mean, if it's, oh. I, I imagine it's going to be the council. But but that there's a form that the chair has to request uh, or uh, seek permission. How how about making this simple and just. Um, must attain approval from the council by resolution to engage in outside employment. Yeah, that works. That's good. I'll be fine with that. Yeah. Okay, we will make that change. Okay, number two. Any other questions? Okay, number two is um, amendment two would be to modify um, the words regulatory or contract matter as follows subject of. Regulatory or contract matter action before the Montgomery County Planning Board or the Commission. So the the change would simply help clarify the types of activities that the board member cannot engage in after leaving the board. Uh, so this mm -hmm. would um, prohibit activities that could undo unduly advantage or influence um, the work of the board uh, because the board acts on large policy documents like the general plan like other large policy documents, um, you know, there, you could make an argument that, you know, anything that the county engages in uh, could be impacted by uh, one or more of our plans. Think of our functional plans dealing with water and sewer, anything at all. And so um, we don't think it's fair that a person would be um, prohibited maybe from working for the county in any capacity after they leave
the okay. planning board. We don't think that's really mm -hmm. the intention. And mm -hmm. so we want to just try to clarify that just a little bit so that, you know, it leaves the, the opportunities available for people to go on and maybe work for the county or, or some other government agency, local government agency, without being hemmed up by this, uh, the, by this language. I agree. Is there a time I, frame? You know, my, my yes, feeling one, yeah. is that if we can put some kind of a time period to it, it, um, there is. I would be okay with it. There is. It's 18 okay. months, I believe. Uh, I thought, all right. Mm, 18 or one year. I forgot. Yeah. Sorry. In our in our policies, it says 18 months. So it, it would either be 18 months or one year. I can't remember if our policy is the one that controls this. Um, we actually, I just read the policy. We actually have a practice that says that employees with the commission uh, cannot engage in any uh, uh, advocacy before the commission uh, within 18 months or or enter into a contract with the commission within 18 months of leaving the commission. Yeah, it's a year a in the legislation. The, in the, okay. Okay. So our, our, our actual policies are more strict than the law. Yeah, because I was going to say we the have an 18 month. The legislation is not prohibiting someone from becoming an advocate, correct? It's only from taking a, an official employment. <clears throat> correct. Okay, I'm correct. asking that because, I mean, I, I think our policy is very strict because someone could live in a neighborhood where we're redoing a master plan and they have every right as a citizen and as a resident to, to testify. Uh, but that's another matter, so let's yeah. let's move on. Okay. Okay. Everybody, are okay with this? Let's move on. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, number three is um, so this has to do with the planning uh, department's uh, process uh, with respect to um, pre-meeting um, signups and uh, uh, testimony that people might provide, uh, written testimony. Um, so the original language talked about a 72-hour uh, sort of cutoff that that um, written testimony from the public would have to be summarized uh, at least 72 hours before each meeting. Well, the problem with that is we accept testimony up to 24 hours before the meeting. So we tried to uh, sort of keep the flavor of what the uh, amendment was trying to do and also match it up with the fact that we don't want to stop uh, accepting uh, testimony uh, at, at up to 24 hours. That 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 would seem unfair that, to push it back to 72. So um, uh, we changed the language a little bit. We think we we still have captured the flavor of what the uh, uh, the amendment was trying to do. Um, but we've basically said if written testimony is timely received after staff report is posted, staff will identify and summarize the written testimony at the open meeting uh, as part of their presentation. That that will just be a section of the presentation. Um, they'll talk about you know what comments came in, and um, hopefully that will satisfy uh, the intent of the sponsor. Right, and it certainly I satisfies our practice. <laughs> yes, if I can also just add Tanya Stern, Acting Planning Director, for the record, um, and just to let the board and the public know that um, I also assisted the General Counsel's Office in um, figuring out the, these amendments. Um, in terms of that process, we were obviously thinking about um, this section refers to the planning board's 
uh, process in terms of uh, cutoff times for public witnesses, um, et cetera. But we were also thinking about the process that we use in the planning department for our staff reports. But I think practically speaking, this language would apply to staff reports by either the planning department or the parks department as well, whenever they have any matters that come to the board. So I also just wanted to add that clarification. Well, I, I think this language describes our practice as it exists too and is consistent with what the legislation was. Any other comments? Yeah, and just, yes. just to be clear, in addition to the summary, the actual testimony is provided, correct, to, to the board? To the board, yes. 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 Okay. But yes. if it's submitted late, is, is the, the problem? The, no, I'm post, I, reposting. Right, the staff report, because it's posted uh, 10 days in advance, typically before the, um, or at least one week before the uh, the board meeting, because the public testimony can be received up until 24, uh, up until 12 noon, um, the day before the board meeting. Any testimony that comes in after the staff report is posted won't reflect that additional testimony. So what we added here was that our staff can, can then just uh, include that in their presentation during the board meeting itself. No, but the I, board, but the board memos will definitely receive, receive the actual yes. document. Yes, that, that's fine. Yes, that, and that already occurs. I, I would suggest, as a kind of salesmanship of this particular item, that we, in a bill for trust and transparency, we point out that our current practice is sort of more supportive of the public than what's being written into this bill, right? And I think that's that correct. should go a long way to saying <laughs> this really this change is appropriate. That's correct. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Senator. Uh, We'll be happy to hear that. Um, uh, oh, your fourth amendment. And the last amendment uh, is to, um, again, clarify something. The, um, the uh, sponsor has included that a requirement that um, the planning board consider the minutes of the most recent meeting at every meeting. Um, well, because the planning board meets every week with with a few exceptions throughout the year, um, you know, that is not always possible uh, to have the minutes um, available and ready to go depending, you know, it, it can depend a lot on how long that meeting was, how complicated it, it was in terms of the, the items that were uh, before the board. Um, it may or may not be something that we can meet every single week, week after week. Uh, the law currently requires us to prepare and post minutes as soon as practicable after a meeting. And that seems appropriate considering all of our meetings are streamed. They're available on our website to go back and view anytime you want to, to view the meeting. Um, you know, you could make the argument that viewing the meeting is a lot more informative than the minutes, uh, you know, because the minutes are intended to give you a flavor of the actions that were taken, but it certainly doesn't give you a transcript of what everyone said and what the testimony was. So, um, you know, we are suggesting that that this really is not an appropriate um, change to make. Uh, and that it will have an, a resource impact. You know, we might have to employ, a, you know, additional uh, people to do minutes to make sure that they get done, you know, within that week's time frame. And that just doesn't seem like an appropriate um, use of resources, considering that we have technology these days that makes it very easy to go and actually watch the 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 hearing or or watch the particular item. 
you know, you can you can just watch that item if you if you like if if you're a member of the public. So um, that's our suggestion. Um, if you know you have any questions about that, I'm happy to answer them. Any problems with that one? I do have a question just about minutes in general with the change in technology, which is, and, and first of all, I like the fact, at least in the explanation, staff pointed out that the, the, the written amendment is trying to make a process that's more rigorous than most public bodies go through, right? And that, the, you know, we certainly conform to the Open Meetings Act and our practice that we do already. Um, but I was wondering, um, our official record is the minutes, right? Um, but that's something that maybe we should be looking at based on the, the comments of Ms. Borden, um, maybe the video is a better official record. And I, you know, we've got some technology aspects about how long that stays available and that sort of thing. But um, I just, I wanted to pose that about a little thought as to what is the role of minutes as opposed to a whole recording. Um, I think the role of minutes is a better summary that really focuses on outcome and is in a sense more permanent. But if that becomes electronic too, that's no less permanent than the, the recording. So just some thoughts on that. I mean, a little bit, it, it goes to what record you provide up to the court and, uh, yeah. and what is uh, evidenced by your approval after the fact as well, which is you, you don't do or, or get to correct anything in the, in the video itself. Video tells you how old <laughs> I am. Uh, Commissioner? Yeah, um, I'm just... Uh, I want to suggest that um, we tweak the language to include uh, a mention that there that if the minutes are not um, uh, ready, that um, a, a link will be a link to the session to the previous meeting session will be provided in the agenda. The, the recommendation is to delete all references to uh, the minutes. I, I don't know. Um, I, think, I think the minutes I, are important. I think important, that's a problem. <laughs> particularly when we have, you know, um, resolutions or... I, we I, we I still totally have to do minutes. No, no, no. no, no. I, I don't want to suggest to you that we don't have to do minutes. We still do have to do minutes, okay. and we still will do minutes. Yeah. The issue is, do the minutes have to be approved at the very next meeting? Sometimes no. that's not possible. It no. isn't. Right. And that's, yeah. and that's I mean, what they I'm have saying. to be reviewed by the legal department. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, it's a right. complicated issue. I, I totally agree with what Ms. Burden is recommending. Yeah, what, well. what I'm suggesting is that, that um, it, the the language I saw says that the that there should be consideration of the minutes, right? Which doesn't really mean approval; it just means consideration. But anyway, um, <laughs> but um, the the what I'm suggesting is that um, instead of eliminating this, um, because that's going to cause all other kind of problems, that uh, that we have an amendment that we suggests an amendment that says that in the event the minutes from the previous meeting cannot be um, uh, placed in consideration, um, that a link will be provided to the stream, to the previous session stream. That way we are, we are then in compliance with the underlying notion 
that there are that the meetings are in fact open. Um, Emily Vias and, with the council, and uh, just the video is immediately available on the website. Yeah. I'm not. So, yeah, what what I'm, I'm saying sure is link. that uh, no, no, no. Just just really listen to the words I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is that every 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 meeting we have an agenda. The agenda is made public. That's correct, right? Okay. And in the event that a a that the minutes from the previous meeting, because there's a place for that on the agenda. If the, minute, if the minutes from the previous meeting, in fact, will not be considered, that we provide notice in the form of a link that gives the public the information as to where they can find it. This, this is the, the underlying issue is that there is a perception that the meetings are not available for everybody to see. That perception is not accurate. I understand that. But if the goal is to make things transparent, then in the event the minutes are not available, we can provide the link in a place where people would be likely to look for it. That would be the agenda of a particular meeting. May I make a suggestion? Um, the link to the, um, so for example, I looked on a planning board's website and looked at the agenda for the December 22nd meeting, which was your last um, planning board meeting, and that agenda includes a link to the live stream, uh, to, the, to the video. And so maybe a suggestion is we can just provide the link from the previous agenda, which includes the link to the video um, as, a, as an alternative to kind of speak to uh, what you're suggesting. That's exactly what I'm suggesting because, because I don't think saying, I don't think us proposing that we won't have the minutes and that's all there is to it um, is really a way to go. I, I think we need to be able to be really clear on if the minutes are not available, what in fact will be available? How about just saying uh, the, the minutes will, will be uh, available as provided by the Open Meetings Act? I like that better, uh, Mr. Yeah, Chair. Yeah, I like that. I like that, Mr. Chair. It, it, it doesn't. Um, it allows for us to do what we're doing, which should not have to be any more rigorous than every other governmental body. We, we already know we can't get it done on a week-by-week -week basis, but stating that we will be in compliance with that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and as to what uh, Commissioner Branson is saying, I, I agree that it should be made clear that we already have this, we have this in place to make this link there. So maybe, you know, in the interim, you know, there is always a link provided. It's it's there now. So it's, um, I guess it would just be kind right. of restating that back to the, uh, you know, to the writer of the bill. But right. um, it's a legally unnecessary statement. Um, right. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, but 
I think, you know, if we start saying if the minutes are not available, then somebody is going to ask, why, why is it that Good. they're not available? And then it's going to start, I mean, it's going to become like a circular argument of, mm -hmm. you know, are we doing something that we're not supposed to be doing? It just, you know, we just do the minutes when we can. I don't want to yeah. put any more burden on the legal staff or on the staff. I think... Uh, I think what you're saying, Mr. Chair, makes a lot of sense. And Ms. I agree with Ms. Ms. Borden, you're okay? I am. We have direction. We will make sure that the links are provided. And um, and any reference to the Open Meetings Act is, is, is what we would uh, suggest to the sponsor, that it should be as stated in the Open Meetings Act. Right. Okay. Thank you. I think uh, that's it. There's one, one other issue I'd, I'd like to raise, which is... Uh, the compensation for non-full-time commissioners. Um, I was trying to read through the bill on what aspect had that, uh, um, uh, and it looked like it was in 15108. Uh, but right now, that that uh, has a limit of 5,600 for for the non-full-time commissioners. Yet, yet their payment is. Uh, is thirty thousand per year? Is there the current discretion for the for the council to increase that amount? No, there is currently in the law there is no discretion for the county council to increase the amount for the other commissioners for the non-chair commissioners. I would suggest um, we we make the recommendation that the the council have that authority. Okay. The, do, or at uh, least to make a cost of living adjustment. Uh, oh, which, no. you know. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, uh, everybody will be on for a term, uh, so I'm not sure about the the cost of living within that term. I would rather them them set it, and within what they set, they can have cost of living adjustments or however they want to do it. Yeah. However, they want to do it. Okay. So what what I would suggest is that we use the same language that's in the bill for I'm sorry in the in the law for, for the chair and the way the language is is set it uh, it sets a, a here, salary. Buddy. I'm sorry. Sorry. It, sorry. No. It sets a salary and then it says that the county council can set a supplement supplemental salary. Right. And I would suggest making the same. Uh, you know, having the same language for the other uh, commissioners, that it basically just allows the council, it doesn't require them, but it allows the council to set a supplemental salary for the other commissioners. I, I would re I would look for others. I th I'm seeing nodding heads all over the place, online and in real. Um, so I think we'll make that uh, an additional recommendation. We'll see how it's accepted okay. or not, but... But as long as we're in this section of the bill, I think we should raise it. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have okay. you have uh, your your guidance, and we can go forward with with uh, the acknowledgement of uh, the board. Uh, Commissioner Presley has something. I, I do. Why are we not addressing the the uh, larger elephant uh, in the room? Because this this happens approximately approximately every five years or so where, you know, people try to change the powers. And so, and, and, and I have two points I want to make about this, even if just so that they're on the record. The first is that way back, even before Chairman Hanson, Royce Hanson, 
there was a specific balance of power with how this goes. So one could ask, why does an executive appoint the chair? Uh, you could surmise it's because there might be some sort of influencer power, which is exactly what we don't want. And if there is no influencer power, then why is it necessary for an executive to appoint to appoint the set, you know, the chair? We've had this process with the council making appointments year after year. You know, despite some recent issues that have happened with this poor agency, this has been a stellar organization, recognized on you know, on a national level, year after year, and tampering with it. To, to upset the balance is just preposterous in my idea. It's a bastardization of the distribution of authority and governance, in my opinion, but I do want that on the record because it accomplishes nothing unless a person were to say it accomplishes transitioning power to the executive. And that's exactly what this whole institution is designed not to do. The DOT and other departments report to that side, and then we have always been under the appointment of counsel. And I, I don't understand why we're not making a, in years past, um, we always made some sort of statement as to whether or not we agreed or disagreed with the very, you know, the precept of the bill. So why aren't we addressing that at all? I, I, I would say, you know, where, where elephants uh, uh, stomp, mice should scurry. And in this case, the, the <laughs> council is is the authority to defend itself against uh, possible uh, invasions of its authority by the executive. So I, I leave it to them to to make that case, which I think they can do better than us, who are are really already uh, over appointments to the council. Uh, so, okay. so we are it, seen it, it, as 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 that already. The the council is perfectly capable of making this argument to the executive without our help. Do we know if if do we know if any of that is being done? Because while they're capable of doing it, um, I do think we we have a voice. Um, understandably, especially with all of us, we're interim, so we're definitely um, reporting up to the council and, and doing their bidding and just trying to move this thing forward. I just wanted to understand, you know, if there's a voice out there that is is making these points clear. Uh, I think technically... Ms. Presley, I, Commissioner Presley, I totally agree with you, but I would delegate to the chair to uh, yes. work with the council okay. and, um, you know, be sure that uh, they are representing us because... I, I don't I don't think you're going to get any. Uh, uh, I mean, we're all in consensus that yeah, this okay. doesn't make any sense. This legislation. Yeah. Okay. And but you know we have to delegate to the chair on this. And, and I, the, I agree with you. And the council is working on this. I think they put it on hold to uh, this bill to to work out more detail because there are some things in it that that may be worth saving too in this. Sure. So as, as opposed to just being opposed to the other. Uh, now I forgot what the other bill is called. Well, uh, the uh, 104-23. Right. Um, uh, okay. So, don't worry. It's being worked on. Okay. I think we're done with this item. We're thank we're you. Only uh, 35, 40 minutes behind. So uh, we're ready to go. We're ready to go to the next item whenever I'm told we're ready to go to the next item.
Good, good morning. This is uh, still January 5, uh, 2023. This is item uh, 5 of the Planning Board's agenda, White Oak Storage Facility Local Map Amendment H147 and Conditional Use Plan CU-2023-02. It's a public hearing with no uh, speakers, but the applicant here uh, to uh, address the board. I'll turn it over to staff. Thank you, Chair. Uh, good morning. For the record, my name is Parker Smith with the Mid-County Planning Division. Presenting local map amendment and preliminary forest conservation plan H-147, as well as conditional use plan CU-2023-02 for White Oak self-storage. Uh, this application will effectively allow for the expansion of the existing self-storage use on the site. Staff is recommending approval of the local map amendment, preliminary forest conservation plan, and conditional use with the binding elements and conditions enumerated in the staff report. So before you today are technically three different types of plans, uh, a local map amendment, a preliminary forest conservation plan associated with the local map amendment, and a conditional use. The local map amendment proposes to rezone the subject property from CR 2.5, C 1.5, R 1.5, H 200 to the CRT floating zone 2.5, C 2.25, R 1.5, H 200. In accordance with Forest Conservation Law, Chapter 22A, a preliminary forest conservation plan is included as part of the local map amendment and is the plan that you will be acting on first today. A final forest conservation plan will be submitted as part of the future site plan. Lastly, the subject application includes a conditional use application, uh, which proposes a self-storage use in the CRT floating zone. This project will also require future sketch and site plans, and as part of the sketch plan, the applicant will be required to provide 50 public benefit points. A local map amendment is required for an applicant to change the property zoning. Uh, this application proposes to apply a floating zone to the subject property. For a request to apply a floating zone, the applicant must demonstrate that, that the proposed zoning would conform to the master plan and would further the public interest. The Planning Board's recommendation is advisory for this type of application, and the project will go to the hearing examiner, who will hold a separate public hearing and make a recommendation to the County Council. Conditional use applications are required for certain uses in certain zones. Under the CRT floating zone, self-storage is only allowed as conditional use, thus necessitating the conditional use portion of this application. For conditional uses, the Planning Board's recommendation is also advisory to the hearing examiner, who will hold a separate public hearing and render a final decision on the application. Staff is recommending approval with binding elements and conditions of the local map amendment and preliminary forest conservation plan H-147 and of conditional use CU-2023-02. These applications will allow the applicant to expand their existing self-storage use on the site. Staff believes that the project furthers the public interest by providing design improvements to the existing building, improving the property's relationship with the street, providing stormwater management facilities where there previously were none, and providing accommodations for a future trail connection at the rear of the property. The project also furthers the public interest by allowing the existing self-storage use on-site to expand, which is preferable to having the demand for self-storage facilities met on a separate site that could otherwise be used for more desirable development. The project conforms with the recommendations of the master plan and with the applicable requirements set forth in the zoning code. So the subject property is located at the southeast of the White Oak Commercial Node that exists just south of the intersection of New Hampshire Avenue with Columbia Pike. To the north of the site are existing commercial uses, 
that include another self-storage facility directly to the north, and the site's southern edge borders the Food and Drug Administration's campus. The site is within the 2014 White Oak Science Gateway Master Plan area. The site itself is a long, narrow parcel that fronts on New Hampshire Avenue and is currently zoned CR 2.5, C1.5, R1.5, H200. At the front west of the property is an existing self-storage facility with a surface parking area along New Hampshire Avenue. Currently at the rear of the property is vehicle storage associated with the existing self-storage use. The existing building contains 115,200 square feet of self-storage use. The building was developed under uh, the, the zone that was in, in, uh, intact in 2014 before the zoning code rewrite. Um, it was previously zoned C2 under the old code. Uh, under the C2 zone, the development of the existing self-storage facility was allowed by right. So on the screen here is the annotated site plan. Uh, the proposed development has two main pieces that I'll discuss today. The first being the front or west of the property, or a 3,800 square foot addition to the second and third floors of the existing building will provide a sheltered parking area and provide enhanced street presence. The second is a new 116,000 square foot self-storage building at the rear of the property, behind which accommodations for a master planned trail connection will be made. The front of the subject property will be reconfigured and improved. As you can see, the addition to the second and third floors will extend out from the building's existing facade. This addition will bring the facility closer to the street frontage and create an urban edge along New Hampshire Avenue. The addition also serves as a portico share that provides shelter to the property's parking spaces and screens loading activities from the street. In addition to the architectural improvements to the front of the property, landscaping and frontage improvements are also proposed. The applicant is providing enhanced landscaping along the property's New Hampshire Avenue frontage and has provided pedestrian improvements in conformance with the Complete Streets Design Guide. The curb radius for the project's access point has also been narrow, further improving the site's pedestrian realm. Additionally, a future bike facility is prescribed for this section of the New Hampshire Avenue per the White Oak Science Gateway Master Plan and the Bicycle Master Plan. The rear of the property will contain a new 116,000 square foot self-storage building. A parking and loading area is proposed between the existing building at the front of the property and the proposed building at the rear of the property. Proposed as part of the new self-storage building is a trail connection at the rear of the property. This connection was envisioned as part of the 2014 White Oak Science Gateway Master Plan, and you can see the diagram from that master plan that calls out the connection in the top right of the screen. The trail connection will not be fully realized until properties to the north and south come in to redevelop, and the specific design and timing of the connection will be determined at the time of site plan. The subject property will be accessed via the existing single right-in, right-out access point from New Hampshire Avenue. The applicant is requesting a 13-space parking waiver to allow for the provision of 12 parking spaces on site. The applicant has stated that there will be no more than four staff members on site at any one time, and the proposed parking areas include five loading spaces in addition to the 12 parking spaces. The applicant is, is confident, uh, based on expertise in developing and operating self-storage facilities, that this will be ample parking for the proposed use. There are no environmentally sensitive features on the subject property, and the applicant will be required to provide 0.39 acres of forest mitigation. 
The subject application is consistent with provisions of Chapter 59, Chapter 22A, and the 2014 White Oak Science Gateway Master Plan. Adequate public facilities exist for the project, and the, sub and the applicant has received approval for their stormwater management concept. Staff believes that the subject application furthers the public interest by providing design improvements to the existing building, improving the property's relationship with the street, providing stormwater management facilities where there previously were none, and providing accommodations for a future trail connection at the rear of the property. The project also furthers the public interest by expanding an existing self-storage use, which again is preferable to having the demand for self-storage facilities met on a separate site that could otherwise be used for more desirable development. The applicant has met all proper signage, noticing, and submittal requirements as outlined in Chapter 59, and staff has not received any correspondence regarding this project. With that, staff recommends approval with binding elements and conditions of local map amendment H-147 and the associated FC, uh, pre preliminary FCP and conditional use CU-2023-02. Thank you. Before the, uh, the applicant will say anything, uh, Commissioner Presley has some questions for you. Just one quick question. Um, it's hard to tell from here on the parking space. For the loading area, will that fit like a full-size uh, moving van if someone wants to come in? Uh, I believe that is the case, and I'm getting nods from the applicant, so yes. Okay, good. I just wanted to check. Thank you. And uh, uh, Commissioner Panero has a question. Yes. Um, I'm. A, you know, I guess I'm going to raise a bigger issue than this particular uh, property or applicant. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about uh, the fact that there's th there may be a higher demand for self-storage units in the county. Um, and that because, you know, people cannot keep everything that they have in their home. Uh, and in, 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 you know, with that concern, um, I'd like, in the future, it doesn't have to be right now, I'd like some kind of a study that we look at the impact that self-storage units have on particular neighborhoods or areas. In that regard, I don't want to over-concentrate some self-storage units in low-cost areas. And I, that's one concern. The other concern I have is has to do with whether these self-storage units, what kind of impact they have on residential areas adjacent. I'm concerned that uh, whether they blend well. I know we're not talking about the site issue right now. It's a local map am amendment. Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, what kind of impact do they have on those white oak in, you know, as far as I see it, needs not self-storage units. It needs economic development. It needs market housing. It needs revitalization is what it needs. Uh, it doesn't need more self-storage units in my regard. Uh, I've always thought of it as a kind of a low and middle income area. I know that those issues may come up in the public hearing and I hope they do. But again, I, I know that the staff has said that the uh, that they're improving the design, but my concern is, okay, how, how there, there's housing around it. Uh, how will it impact um, on those, what I consider to be naturally affordable 
And I don't want to create more ugly images in in that particular part of the county. Um, I think we're all in agreement that White Oaks needs uh, a positive impact. So, you know, having those issues, I mean, what I'd like to ask the staff, I know that they we're not looking at the side, side plan, but, you know, have you taken into account uh, what impact it has in, on the adjacent neighborhoods? And I'll stop there. Yeah, so I can I can talk a little bit about just the um, what's in the code in terms of compatibility with the nearby residential property to the east. Um, the compatibility requirements of section 4.1.8 um, have specific guidelines for when these compatibility requirements uh, come into play and are applicable, and that is only in the case where a CR zone is abutting a property zoned agricultural rural residential, residential detached, or residential townhouse. So my technical expertise um, and reading of the code, I can give you that information that this particular situation doesn't, you know, the, the 4.1.8 compatibility requirements don't apply here. Um, in terms of your larger questions about, you know, the impact of self-storage more generally, um, I might defer to my supervisor for an input on that. Uh, good morning. Uh, Matt Folden, uh, regulatory supervisor for the Mid-County Division. And what I'd like to do first is um, <clears throat> just explain, I think, in just a little bit different way uh, what Mr. Smith was just saying about the compatibility requirements. The zoning code has specific uh, design, they're not guidelines, design standards about how development is constructed when it is adjacent to, as Mr. Smith said, agricultural land, uh, land residential land that's improved with a townhouse or uh, a detached uh, residential use. <clears throat> and those standards include things like minimum setbacks. Uh, there's a 45 degree angular plane where you go up to a certain height and you lay the height of the building back. In this particular case, because of the CR zoning up against the R20 zoning, that compatibility uh, standard does not exist. And so from just the base requirement of the code, it's not required in this particular case. And so that's just kind of the, the specific answer to the question. Uh, more specifically, okay. if I Go ahead, can interject, uh, I think the staff made a finding on page 35 of the staffer report that this development will not cause undue harm to the neighborhood as a result of non-inherent adverse effects alone or the combination of non-inherent or inherent adverse effects. Didn't you make that finding? We did, thank you. Um, one other thing that we looked at is the design, or rather the uh, development potential of the two sites. This particular site is zoned currently today. It's CR 1.5 R I'm sorry, CR 2.5, C 1.5, R 1.5 with a height of 200 feet. And so if it were to be uh, pursued under the optional method of development, you could go up to a 200 foot height. The adjacent R 20 zoning, which is currently improved with garden apartments, could go up to a maximum height of, uh, I believe it's 80 feet, 80. And so in the future, uh, this is an older uh, residential complex. It is set back from the property line. It could be constructed up to an 80 foot height this could also uh, potentially go up to 200 feet. Uh, Com Commissioner Panera, you still have your hand up? Yes. Um, I, um, 
I mean, I, I don't have any particular concern about this applicant, um, and and I and I read what the um, what the staff is recommending. Uh, it's just a bigger issue. I mean, I don't want to see self storage units. Okay, because well, the you know cons over concentrated in some areas because I've seen quite a few in Aspen Hill in the low cost areas and from the from an equity point of view i think they should be distributed throughout the county not in in, in areas where it's it may create a negative image uh is what i'm saying point noted so point I, noted I, we, we need yeah, to decide no, what this i recommend today. is that we do some kind of a study and we determine within a certain uh let's say mileage area that we limit the number of self-storage units uh, in particular neighborhoods that we're trying to redevelop, let's say, or revitalize. We're free that's to what, that's my suggestion. We're free to propose any kind of zoning text amendment we want in the future, but today we have a local map amendment before us. Ms. Branson. Okay. Yeah, All right. um, I, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, Commissioner Pinero, and uh, uh, this is uh, sort of my neighborhood, um, so um, I have a few things. Um, I, I, I'm glad that you read the the language um, of the um, of the particular regulation. Um, so it appears that it it specifically uh, excludes, excuse me, apartments, right? And so. Um, my question is why and how do we or can we <laughs> propose a change where apartments are included in that language? That's my first question. We could. I would suggest that we do because this is, you know, I, I, I'm very familiar with this little area. Um, and as you noted, there the um, the apartments go up to 80 feet. This building will be uh, potentially 200 feet. Did you say 200 feet? It's proposed for about 50 feet, but 50 the zoning feet. Okay. would allow 200. Would allow. Okay. So so I am you know I you know reflect back on first year property law. And, and and I recall that you know there there is there has always been an understanding in in Western culture that um, a resident should have um, the um, like an easement of air and light, you know, and 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 that is I'm assuming still still um, relevant, um, and and. And, and that really affects one's quality of life, air and light to 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 your dwelling. That that's been recognized since forever. Um, so, um, you know, my concern again is not about this particular thing, about this particular project, but but my concern is about a can we include apartments for the reason for for the reason that you know over a third of this county's residents are renters um, and and their dwelling units really deserve to have air and light um, th this is this is very troubling to me I, I'm also a little troubled by where this um, 
where this trail kind of just ends. So um, when 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 I'm in that area, um, you know what what I understand that the the access to this particular storage area is from New Hampshire Avenue, but say I live over here, so I know that what most people do is that they come down Lockwood and then cut around the back alley. That's how most people get in this in, in this area and in, and in the adjoining property. Um, and, and it is that back alley with the other little storage units that, you know, I'm thinking about um, safety. <laughs> safety, just straight up safety. Um, this is, um, and, and I'm not seeing a, um, realization here on, on how people actually live. If, if we expect people to actually be able to use the trail and walk around, they, they are, this is not going to be a safe place to walk. Um, anyway, I, I, I think it's important to raise those things um, because, because I, I really think the residents of White Oak deserve um, a place that's safe. And also, I understand that people in apartments um, are, sometimes need storage units more than anybody else. Um, but but um, this is, the, the, the way this is situated um, causes me a bit of concern. And, and I just want that on the record. All right, well, you'll see if your concern means you don't vote for it, but um, that, that our, we, ha we face what we have as an applicant in front of us. And, and Commissioner Hill? Yeah, I have a couple points I'd just like to dive into on the, within the site. So first is parking, right? We've got, in the front, we've got five loading spaces. There's testimony now that there's gonna be four staff members maximum, and that leaves three spaces for non-loading visitors to the site at any given time. Um, but I also wanted to say, when I was observing the site, it seems to me that down this very long side of the building are all sorts of potential for other loading parking that's more convenient to most of the building. And I'm just wondering, is that not included here? And for what reason that might not be included? Yeah, so um, I believe the parking is 12 spaces provided, so it would leave eight non-employee spaces plus five loading spaces. Right. Um, and then as far as the sort of that side alley that you refer to, as I understand it, it currently has a sign that says no parking there. Um, so that may be more of an enforcement issue than an actual planning issue. There's no parking spaces proposed along that area. Okay, but there's, there's no change to that area being proposed here, essentially, that is, right? That is correct. Because it seemed to me, what I observed operationally was all sorts of people parking there because it was closest to the doors they were trying to use for loading and unloading, which mm -hmm. makes sense operationally. Um, I didn't catch the fact that there's no parking signs. So that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll ask, ask the applicant about that. Um, I understand the purpose for the glass surfaces here to make this look a little more like uh, a a building that you would expect, and um, but I am concerned about two things about glass surfaces, and again, this may be more for the applicant, but I'll start with you, which is, first of all, is it really safe to have loading and unloading doors be glass, right? Um, because you're carrying things, you're swinging them around, uh, that strikes me as a little bit of a hazard. Um, and the second is, I'm not sure what you see when you see a glass, through a glass window door, 
at a storage facility, is that actually desirable to expose to the street? And on the one hand, yeah, it's a glass surface. On the other hand, what you're looking at is nothing particularly pleasant. It doesn't, except for the office space, it doesn't really expose the operation of the, of the business to you know, public view. And I, just a general question about that. Sure, thank you for the question. So um, as far as the glass doors, I, I, I will ultimately defer to the applicant on that. But uh, I see the concern. But um, anyway, I'll, I'll defer to the applicant on, on them thinking that that's safe. I'm sure they have very strong glass. Um, as far as the uh, sort of transparency in the front of the building, um, that will be again reevaluated at site plan at a much more detailed level, and that's when sort of the Chapter 59 uh, transparency requirements of these sorts of buildings will be um, sort of comprehensively applied. I think it is still preferable to sort of what looks like more of a garage style roll up um, aesthetic, but um, yeah, point, point taken on, on those. Okay. Um also, when I was there, I was worried about fire access because I could not walk around to the north side of this building. Um, there seems to be, I don't know, like a three or four foot setback between the fences, but the fences are so tight there that you, I could not physically walk to that side of the building. Is that a fire access violation that we might want to wrap into considerations here? I believe that is um, another sort of aspect of the plan that will be very thoroughly evaluated at, at site plan. Okay. Um, do we have any information from the FDA site next to this that that path that they're amenable to that pedestrian pathway going through their fencing and into their site? Because otherwise, we're making a pathway that goes nowhere. Good morning, uh, Carrie Sanders. For the record, Mid County Planning um, Division Chief. Uh, so through the master plan, um, the path was designated, and that master plan was closely coordinated with FDA and the community. Um, we do know that when the path would actually be built, we would you know, need to further coordinate with FDA uh, to make sure that accessibility is provided onto their site. They do have security restrictions and they have security concerns, so we understand that. But we do want to honor, um, through this uh, conditional use that you're seeing, as well as the local map amendment, we want to honor the master plan's substantial conformance. And so that's why you'll see that recommendation throughout our report. Uh, we want to make sure that the master plan process that we went through is reflected in this um, recommendation to you. Yeah, I, I'll observe just from seeing it that it looked like that that pathway had the potential to come into the driveway ahead of their actual security gate. So that gives me optimism that they'll approve that, but it's within their right not to. We, we definitely want to encourage um, uh, getting to work by, you know, not necessarily driving alone. So yeah. we feel that this is a helpful uh, connection in terms of uh, walking or biking. Um, so we're trying to provide that with all of our federal uh, facilities that are in the county. You'll see that with other facilities where we have pretty extensive path networks around the facility, and um, uh, NIH and Bethesda is a good example of that. Um, so I think you know this is something that we'd really like to see FDA consider. And so we, we really felt that uh, reserving that space for the pedestrian bike access that we know will happen in the future um, is, is really an important step. Uh, we miss the opportunity if we don't tackle it with each application that comes in. So we, we really try to uh, reserve the space for the future. Okay. Um, I think I will propose, and I'd like just staff to hear this, under the conditional use part of this on condition number two. Um, I think we should put, it, it's describing the square footage area that's allowed here, and I think we should also mention the height of the building and the different parts of the building as three-story and five-story because it defines the top part of the envelope that we're really approving, not just a floor area that could be rearranged. 
And I don't know if you have any reaction to that. Uh, <clears throat> Matt Folden, uh, one thought that I have is the code doesn't talk about stories. It, it talks about building heights specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll, I'll defer our legal counsel if they would like to add. Uh, I think it might become a problem at implementation just so that we're very specific about what the height is that we could allow. So that's just one concern that I have. Say, Ali Myers from Office of General Counsel. Mr. Folden, um, you know, took the recommendation right out of my mouth. I was, I was also going to mention that um, our zoning code doesn't deal in floors or stories. So, um, though I think it would be appropriate to add to the condition um, height and feet, then okay. I think that may be the way to go. Yeah, height and feet is fine, but I, it's a conditional use. I think we have the leeway to state that, even though the zoning may have some other aspect to it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, the forest plan confuses me a little here. I understand the, the preliminary plan around the front of the site, but I just didn't see anything about any forest treatment around any other part of the site, particularly along the back. So it seems to me that we're just sort of, as a preliminary stage, kind of pushing that down to the detailed stage. Is that accurate? Well, I guess I would start by saying that it's under Chapter 22A, the sort of the order of operations here, the preliminary FCP being the first, being tied to the first development application in the process, and the final forest conservation plan being tied to the, to the last being the site plan. Um, for sort of the actual environmental expertise, I can defer to Amy Lindsay, who I believe is online. Okay. Um, yes, for the record, Amy Lindsay with Mid-County Planning. Um, there is no forest on site or other environmental features. And in a situation like this, we actually would not want to create forest because it would be um, a very isolated uh, patch of forest. So the applicant has proposed to uh, fulfill their forest conservation requirements off-site and staff is supportive of that. Okay, that kind of leads into another point that it's, I'm concerned about the building height in the back and, and as Commissioner Branson said, overpowering this residential use. I'm very surprised there's no layback that applies to this because that is how light and air and all comes into the site. And my take on this is we've got a two-story garden apartment, so 20 feet or so, that's going to be even overpowered by a 55-foot uh, building that's square and not that far away from it. Um, I don't think there's much regulatory part here that we can hang a, hang our hat on, but I am very concerned about that. That mm -hmm. um, there was a comment about architectural treatment, uh, you know, minimizing that impact, but I just see it as a question of massing. I don't almost, you know, I don't, I don't think you can architecturally overcome what would be a layback issue. It's a massing problem. Um, so I think you've got everything lined up in terms of the ordinance, but I, yeah, the ordinance is a bit problematic here because this will impose on residential use in the back. If I could uh, just respond to that point, uh, the board has authority, if it's the will of the board, to add additional compatibility requirements if you wanted to put a layback on the back, if you're concerned about the compatibility with the, um, with the apartments, I think it'd just be a conversation with the, the okay. applicant. Okay, good. That, that leeway is, I think, will be taken up. Um, the last thing I'd like to mention, and this kind of goes to Commissioner Panero's point about uh, increasing storage sites, I'm actually compelled at this particular th thing because this is an intensification of the site. 
and it's not changing the use of the site. So we're not actually expanding the number of facilities. We're, we're concentrating that facility in one site, and I think that actually kind of goes to the problem of spreading these around in, in whatever area we're talking about, and I, I found that compelling. Goes to solve it or goes to... Well, I, I, I take that Commissioner Pinero's point was we don't want to spread these all over um, low-income areas. I think that's a paraphrase of what he said. But, you know, we're intensifying this one here, which I think should actually prevent maybe the spreading of these around in the same area um, and, and providing the public facility that also seems to be in, in order. So I just wanted to bring out that logic. Okay. Can we let the applicant uh, speak? Yes. If You'd like to say anything, given all of those fine questions that you had in advance, which is sort of a nice way to do that if you're presenting. You can respond to what's on the commissioner's minds. Thank you. Go ahead. Please introduce yeah. yourself. Good morning. Um, thank you for the record, Elizabeth Rogers with the law firm of Lurcherly and Brewer. Pleased to be here today on behalf of White Oak Storage Owner LLC, the applicant for the local map amendment, conditional use, and preliminary forest conservation plan before you today. Um, please, we can be your first local map amendment application um, to kick off the new year. With me here today is the applicant team. As you can see, we have Steve Creighton and Nana, Nana Bain with Arkland on behalf of the applicant. We have Pat LeVay and Dylan Macro with MHG, the engineers and landscape architects. We have Rebecca Brown with BWD Architects, and of course, my colleague, Bill Commoners. Before we begin, I did just want to take a moment to um, acknowledge the efforts of staff that participated in the evaluation of these applications. Um, it, we recognize does create additional work for staff to take all three of these applications concurrently, but significantly streamlines the process for the applicant, and we really appreciate staff taking on that extra effort. Um, I wanted to thank Parker Smith as lead reviewer, who's done a fantastic job on these applications. Um, although not here, I did want to thank Natasha Fahima Tool Sharma, who provided um, really great urban design recommendations, which we think substantially improved the building design, and Amy Lindsay for her environmental review, and of course, uh, Matt Bolden and Carrie Sanders for all of their leadership, supervision, and direction. Um, as you heard, the property is a very long, narrow lot with frontage on New Hampshire Avenue. It is currently improved with an existing self-storage facility. Uh, the existing building was constructed around 2002. As you can see from these images, it is significantly set back from the street um, with an intervening surface parking lot that is necessary to service those front loading bays as well as the office that's located in the front of the building. The building has a plain, somewhat sterile expression um, with muted colors um, that can appear to the naked eye as a big concrete block um, and the bright colored roll-up doors at the base. Um, and Given this setback and that industrial-looking architecture, the building really fails to relate to the streetscape and to implement the goals and recommendations that are set forth in the master plan. And as you can see in the bottom left-hand corner of this screen, um, at the rear of the site is a large um, area that's used for vehicular storage as part of this self-storage facility. Um, and that's where the new building will go. Um, we'll get into this, and Rebecca can touch on this in her remarks as well. Um, but we view the new building addition at the rear actually being uh, significantly more compatible with the residential uses to the rear um, by kind of internalizing that activity where you currently have a lot of activity with vehicular storage, headlights, um, cars coming and going, um, and it'll be internalized within a building. Those trees that you see are actually on the adjacent property and will not be impacted by our application, so there will continue to be significant um, visual buffering between our property and those uh, resident, the residential use to the rear. 
um, as well as the setbacks we're providing and that are provided on their site. Before we get into the specifics of our application, I did just want to turn it over to Steve Creighton to say a few words on behalf of the applicant. Sure. Uh, my, name is <coughs> my name is Steve Creighton. Here on behalf of the applicant, I work for Arkland and head up our development and construction. Um, Arkland became involved in this project in 2018 when we took over the third-party management for, for the property and later purchased the property in 2021. Um, upon purchasing the property, we immediately saw a, a large potential for future expansion and improvement to the aesthetics of the facility and assembled a team here to put this plan together. Um, I want to take a minute to really focus on uh, supply in the market. So in the self-storage industry, we see a balanced supply of eight square feet per person as an average. Uh, White Oak sits at 2.1. So the, the market is severely undersupplied. And we, we feel the expansion of the facility uh, on an existing site is a very appropriate way to meet this demand. Um, so with that being said, I'll turn it back over. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Steve. Um, as staff mentioned, the property is currently zoned commercial residential. As you heard, that, that zoning doesn't efficiently permit the expansion of this existing self-storage facility to meet the demand of the community, um, which has only increased given the increase in residential density in the area and the housing targets that the council is trying to achieve with additional residential development in the county. Um, so when Arkland purchased the property and approached us with their plans for this site, uh, we reached out to park and planning leadership to figure out what was the best mechanism through which we could accom accommodate the expansion of this facility to meet that community need, but also then provide those significant improvements to the site and the building architecture that come with that reinvestment in the site. Um, and it was determined that a rezoning was really the best way to achieve that, which is why we're here today. Um, seeking the local map amendment to rezone to the CRTF zone, floating zone, um, which allows self-storage as a conditional use. Um, as staff mentioned in their report, the conditional use adds an additional layer of uh, review to make sure that this project is implementing uh, the community and county goals and objectives of, as have been expressed in the master plan. And um, as Parker noted, it's just the first step in the process. We will be back for sketch plan and site plan approval subsequently. This is a, um, oh, this is just the zoning. Uh, this is a rendered site plan, just kind of, again, showing what Parker showed earlier um, in terms of that reinvestment that the applicant is seeking to make in the property, um, constructing a new building at the rear of the site, um, which allows us to meet that demand. Again, that's where the uh, existing vehicular uh, storage yard exists today. Um, importantly, through this expansion, we're able to make numerous improvements to the um, building and site design. Of note, we're able to enhance the architecture of the existing building. Um, we're able to bring the building up to the street through a third-story cantilevered addition, um, which will, again, enclose or, or cover the parking and loading that exists in the front of the site um, and provide um, significant enhancements to New Hampshire Avenue, both through that kind of definition of the pedestrian environment through the building massing, but then also through landscape um, improvements that we're proposing along the street frontage. Um, I would address kind of the trail connection. I think um, Carrie Sanders um, did a great job explaining this, but um, we are proposing this as a future trail connection if and when that connection to FDA is permitted and up to Lockwood Drive is allowed. 
Um, in the interim, though, um, before that complete connection is made, we've really focused on enhancing pedestrian, um, the pedestrian environment along New Hampshire Avenue um, through those features that I mentioned and also, as Parker mentioned, narrowing that vehicular curb cut to make a pedestrian, a safer pedestrian crossing. And the last thing I would mention before I'll just turn it over to Rebecca to make um, a few remarks on the architecture is regarding the height. There is a uh, binding element number four in connection with our local map amendment that limits the height for this property to 55 feet. Um, so that does control the height. We would be fine if there was also that limitation in the conditional use, but that's there um, already as well to address the concern. With that, Rebecca, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, Rebecca Brown, BWD Architects. Um, as mentioned before um, by multiple people that we will be back before the board um, for site plan and site plan approval. So I just wanted to mention a couple highlights here. Um, the most significant thing that this um, proposed um, addition to the existing building does is it really screens that parking and loading area. Um, it proposes, we have proposed some vegetation to enhance the, uh, the public realm even further. And then we've, updated the materials. We have cool and warm color palettes. We have a varied roof line. It's very much different than the kind of sterile building that was there before. And then we're obviously going to propose the same materials and articulations to the rear building, though it will be greatly be screened. You really won't see it that much from New Hampshire Avenue. So those are some of the architectural elements. Great. And the one, the one thing I failed to mention um, in my remarks, too, is just for the record that the building that's before you today does um, reflect a su substantial amount of collaboration between the applicant and park and planning staff. As I mentioned, um, the recommendations of the urban design staff, um, it's evolved significantly both through before we even submitted an application and through that application review process. And we agree that it, it, the final product is a much improved um, building design. And I think there was a couple questions by Commissioner Hill that Pat LeVay, our engineer, would be most appropriate to address. So I'll turn it over to him. Sure. Uh, Pat LeVay with MHG, Civil Engineers and Landscape Architects of the project. I know there was at least one question about the, the uh, parking slash loading activities on the uh, south side of the building where the roll-up doors are. Um, that, that's actually a fire lane uh, today. And so it, it does not allow parking, per se, along there. But uh, uh, fire lanes can be used for attended, if, if the, car, the vehicle's attended. So the temporary loading activities would happen there where you may bring something, roll up the door, take it out of your car, and then drive away are, are permitted, but we can't actually mark parking spaces there because of fire access and the needed width there. Um, there's can, can, can I just pick up for a second on that, which sure. is, so as long as you're monitoring your car and loading and unloading, that's okay. Correct. But you can't count it as parking, which Correct. is kind of, and, and I'll note that both the pictures and the schematic you showed us show cars there. Right. <laughs> right? And, and as pointed out, there, there will be from time to time. Correct? Yeah. Um, uh, the other question about fire access uh, was in regards to the zero lot line condition or a very, very small setback on the north side of the property. Um, so the, the fire access code does allow for that condition where you have a zero lot line and, and, and lack of access. And what that means is that the, the materials along that part of the building have to be non-combustible and you can't have windows or openings and things like that. So that, that section of the building, while not accessible, um, technically won't need to be accessed for fire rescue purposes. Okay. I guess my main observation there is the fencing on the site goes right up to it. And the only way to, for anyone to access that part of the building is probably to cut through that fencing. There weren't even gates in it. Um, so that just, that's a concern of mine for the inspection part of this. Um, can you address the question of whether glass doors for loading and unloading are considered safe? I think I'll probably kick that to 
Okay. <laughs> Actually, I'll take that one um, since, since I'm the architect. Um, so I, I would say that, yes, they're absolutely safe. They're actually preferred. Um, so one of the things is that they're automatic slider doors, similar to what you use at a grocery store. Obviously, we're providing any code compliant required tempering or anything like that. But you're not fiddling with your hands whenever you're trying to get through a, a door. Um, they provide for all required code, required egress access as coming out. And they also just let light and air in, um, which sometimes is one of the things that people don't like the most about self-storage buildings. Um, but everyone's always drawn to light. And so that's one of the reasons that we actually like to have some glass components. Okay. I'm going to interpret from your question that it's really the sliding aspect that makes it safe, not the glass aspect, right? Well, the, the glass aspect, you know, it's all code compliant. But the, the, the sliders, you know, it, you, you don't have to, you know, operate yeah, the door. You're not usually kind of engaging with it. Great. Just a few concluding remarks. Um, as staff mentioned, the project implements many of the goals and recommendations of the White Oak Master Plan. Um, an overarching goal of that plan is to encourage reinvestment in the existing commercial centers, and that's exactly what this project does by transforming the existing building architecture, enhancing the pedestrian environment, and reinvesting in the uh, existing use that's there today and will remain for the foreseeable future. Um, and we really hope that this project will serve as a catalyst for other projects in White Oak, given the substantial reinvestment the applicant is making in this site. Um, just uh, for the record, we agree with the findings contained in the staff report and in our agreement with staff's recommended conditions of approval. We believe that the um, hearing examiner is make, able to make the necessary findings to approve the conditional use application and that the county council is able to make all of the necessary findings to approve the local map amendment. Um, and that the uh, preliminary forest conservation plan meets all of the code requirements for the board's approval. And for that, uh, we would respectfully request uh, recommendations of approval for the two applications that are going on to the hearing examiner, uh, the local map amendment and conditional use and approval of the preliminary forest conservation. And we'd be happy to answer other questions that we may have missed. Uh, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Panero has a question. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. One has to do with the the fact that you're reducing parking from what 25 to 12, uh, and um, right now where you're proposing to to do that uh, new storage building, uh, right now you you're using that area for. I'm not really sure what for, but I mean there seems right, to be right. some buildings park some. Um, uh, uh, some cars, some trucks parked there. Um, one question I have is, is there any going to be, in terms of parking, any overflow into the neighborhoods where people might park? Or where, where I mean, if you're reducing the parking, what, what impact does that have? That's my first question. Second question is, is there anything that you can do behind the proposed building so that the impact to the apartments is not going to be that the issue that uh, Commissioner Hill brought up and Commissioner Branson, uh, you know, either plant some trees or something so that the impact is not that adverse to the apartments behind it? And I'll stop right now. Sure, I think I can answer both of those. Um, in, in regards to the parking, um, you know, the, the, the somewhat unique thing about this use is that parking and loading are really interchanged here. I mean, there's very little actual parking aside from the small number of employees, uh, and I think we listed four, and there's unlikely that all four would be there at once, or perhaps someone's working on the building, maybe there's a maintenance activity. 
but the majority of the time, it's really going to be loading unloading activity. Um, and so, while we're asking for a, a pretty significant reduction in parking, um, we do have more loading spaces than required by code, and there is actually a requ separate requirement for loading here as well. Um, and so, um, you know, we've really done that to allow for the maximum flexibility in terms of how the spaces may or may not be marked. You know, if the owner finds that uh, the employees are parking in the spots that are most convenient to do loading, they may want to mark more spaces as loading. And so, collectively, the, the actual number of spaces required um, is actually closer to the to, than you'd think in terms of loading plus parking. Um, there really is nowhere, no connectivity with this site to the surrounding community um, in terms of vehicular. So, and again, pointing to the, the, the majority of the time, people are going to be loading and unloading their things. Um, there really is not a concern about somebody parking, say, in the neighborhood and, and toting their, you know, furniture over to this site. Um, there's not that kind of connectivity. Um, and then in terms of the compatibility with the neighborhood, you know, we do have a pretty significant 15-foot setback from our property line and a limited height of 55 feet. And as Liz mentioned, there, there are a number of trees off the site that are quite significant, actually. Um, and, and those trees themselves may be greater than 50 feet in height as well, and they're on the neighboring property, and they will remain. And the neighboring property has a setback that's, I think, equal to or greater than what we're setting back. So there's already kind of a, a, a pretty well-established buffer and setback uh, in terms of the compatibility between these two sites. And we, and we feel that that existing condition, coupled with the, our setback as well as the landscaping we're providing by the trail, are sufficient to uh, for that compatibility. Do, do you know the distance between your building and the neighboring building? I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I, I know it's at least 30 feet, if not more. I, I'd just like to follow up on that for a second, which is I'm considering whether uh, to propose a condition of the conditional use that requires a 45 degree setback. And I don't, no one I don't think has done the geometry here. But I'd just like to give you the opportunity to say, is that a hardship and or not? Or well, if we were to follow the code requirement, the the, sta the standard model in the code, which is which would typically be, you take the applicable setback at the neighboring property and you apply it on your site, and then you go up to their allowed height and then go back at 45 degrees. I think we would find that that plane would not hit our building. Okay. I think as mentioned by staff, the high allowable height over there is 80 feet. So we would go up to that height and then start the plane. Um, so that would be kind of the starting point for, for an Okay, so it, it doesn't sound like an impact, but it seems to me to, to address the question of, you know, respectfulness to the existing residents that are there. If that situation changes, they've rebuilt the site, and that's a condition of their, you know, it's, it's a known condition at that point, so I'm, I'm not as compelled by that, but I, I do think that a gesture to, com to protect the existing residents is in order. Commissioner Para, Panera, your light, your hand is still up. But your mute is on. <laughs> Do you have more? Oh, your hand. I don't have any more oh, questions. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. I, I brought it down now. Commissioner Branson. So I just want to be clear. The neighboring property you're referring to, is that the FDA? No. No, it's the, there's there are some garden apartments. Uh, okay, that's the neighboring the, property because yeah. it has and, and a couple kind of neighbors. And they're kind of from our site. You can kind mm -hmm. of see here, yeah, that... You know, that, that northern property corner of ours is closer, but the southern is, is actually significantly further back. Um, okay. So um, a few things. I don't know if it's really appropriate to bring them up right now, but I do want some language, uh, part of the condition to be about the landscaping in the front um, because, I, you know, this that part of New Hampshire Avenue um, really... Um, 
That would be helpful, I think. That would be helpful. Um, uh, the, the FDA is like, like less than a block, right? I mean, the, where the Indeed. FDA fronts, yeah, is, is, is right next door, basically. And so, um, so you know, uh, uh, the, the landscaping, I would hope, um, I think the FDA has done a really good job of, of employing native plants and things like that. And so it would be probably pretty nice to have that you know, continue, the, some sort of continuation on that. And then as to the back, um, where the apartment buildings are, um, well, no, before I get there, um, I'm, I'm a little confused about the mention of this feature trail connection. And the reason I'm confused about it is because it's not clear to me what's being done about it. I mean, what can be done about it. I mean, everybody seems to say at some point in the future there's going to be this future trail connection. Well, um, how, what, what provisions can be made now in, in this uh, document to assure that that future trail connection has, um, has um, you know, appropriate landscaping and you know, and all that, and that's actually going somewhere because a trail connection that leads to the FDA fence is not, in fact, a trail connection. It's just, you know. Would you uh, like them to answer? Yes. That's the question. I'm sorry, Jeff. Jeff reminded me that I drift off every now and then. <laughs> so there you go. That's the question. Thank you for the question. <laughs> um, I, specifically with regard to the trail, um, it's common in the way we do development is we get small incremental pieces of trail connections over time. And because this is shown in the overall uh, White Oak Master Plan, we've shown it on the local map amendment, we've shown it on the conditional use plan, and the conditional use plan in many ways has the binding effect of a site plan. And so we've shown the trail location. We have deferred the specific details of the trail uh, to the later stage at uh, site plan. And at that time, we can determine whether it's appropriate to construct the trail at this time and fence it off. Um, sometimes there's a benefit to that just for coordination purposes. Uh, it might be encumbered through some type of legal instrument like an easement or you know, some type of deed restriction. Uh, those things are things that we need to figure out at this point. Uh, and just because it would terminate at this point uh, at a fence at the FDA line, I think we're, we're optimistic that we would be able to get a trail connection in the future. I think Commissioner Hill pointed out it is in front of the, the perimeter fence along the front of FDA in that area. It's kind of a truck screening area. Um, and so setting it up at this point would allow properties north of the site uh, intervening between FDA and Lockwood to actually have a trail connection in the future. So that's the intent of uh, including it now. Okay, well, I, I guess what I'm suggesting is that you take what steps are necessary as a part of this process today to, to make sure that that trail connection is in fact uh, pre-constructed or something. I mean, I don't know the appropriate language, but but that needs to be done. Um, and and then you know, I remain I remain very concerned about uh, the the folks in the apartments. Um, it, there just seems to be an assumption that 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 those apartments will be uh, redeveloped soon. And maybe y'all know something I don't know. You probably do. But um, but the um, I, I don't think we can uh, base <laughs> uh, what this uh, 
configuration looks like um, based on what may happen to uh, th these uh, residential dwellings at some point in the future. We really have to look at them for right now. Again, the finding we have to make is that it will not cause undue harm to neighbor neighbors as a result of non-inherent ad adverse effects or combination of inherent and non-inherent effects. One of those effects, of course, is the height of the building. So that's a finding we have to make now. Okay. Uh, so, and, and we take it with however you wish to, to take that. The staff has made the finding that there is no in, uh, harm to its neighbors. Uh, so uh, we're free to do what we want with that. I'll, we have uh, Commissioner Presley uh, has uh, some questions. You're, you're muted. Um, I'm certainly in agreement with several of the statements that other commissioners have made. Uh, but f from my perspective, have, having kind of been been here before a long time ago, uh, there are a lot of things that we're trying to do that are going to be honed in, in further submissions once the uh, hearing examiner either accepts or de declines. So I think we run the risk if we get too specific. doesn't mean we shouldn't maintain the general conditions, but um, in terms of things like, as Commissioner Hill pointed out, the step back and then the angle, they already, staff has already considered that and met that. I would be hesitant to further restrict beyond what the staff has done because there's going to be further review if and when the hearing examiner um, passes this as conditional use. Uh, additionally, what I think is hard for us as sort of the newer commissioners coming in, when when you step back and realize that the master plan accounted for a lot of these things in, in the White Oak uh, renovation of the master plan. So some of these heights and expectations for what will happen, they had to, uh, we had to take into consideration both the existing uses and what we know is actually approved and planned in the master plan. So on the one hand, we do wanna be respectful of neighboring properties, but on the other hand, you don't want to restrict the development that has been projected and actually encouraged. So there is a balancing act there. And if, if staff is comfortable that this particular setback and the relationship to the adjacent apartment buildings is okay, then I think our, our goal is really just to ensure that that remains. And then over several uh, iterations, I mean, this it, it, am I mistaken in thinking this is coming back to the board? Uh, at later stages? This will it, have to come back for a site plan. Yes, uh, Carrie right. Sanders, for the record, it will so, come back as a site plan. And, yeah. and I do believe, um, as part of today, we can actually, we have some edits to the conditions for the conditional use. So those conditions mm -hmm. go to the hearing examiner for her consideration. Um, right. And so we could read off those right. to you if that would be helpful. I think that reflects some of the feedback we've heard from the board today. Would that be a helpful next step uh, for us to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. And I'm saying, I think this is a, this is a, a great attempt and a, a really good uh, addition and condensation of additional storage. So um, I'm in support of this. And I just wanna make sure that we don't get too granular in making additional requests of the applicant prior to this even getting the, uh, you know, the, the hearing examiner approval. If you have modifications. We do have modifications, and I'll turn it to Parker and to Matt to go over those. I do believe they reflect the feedback of all the different board members we've heard today. So hopefully that will bring us to um, 
consensus on Be this. Before we move on, can I just add to Commissioner Presley's point, which is I'm not quite in agreement with you, Commissioner Presley, because this is the application of a floating zone. And I think floating zones are often considered to be stealth zoning by a lot of the public because they get dropped down in places very suddenly, and I don't think they always are incorporated in master plan assumptions. So, um, and I heard staff say that the layback slope doesn't apply here technically. Uh, has staff actually considered whether it would impact any of the massing? Um, I, I do believe that it would impact the massing. I haven't done the calculation, but typically it's, as uh, uh, Mr. LeVay has said, it's based on the setback of the adjacent zone right. uh, or at the property line, depending on the zone, you go up to a certain height and then you start laying it back at the 45 degree angular plane. Uh, I think that it would have significant impacts on this building uh, if we were to do that very strictly at 45 degrees. Um, so I, I think that's the response to your okay. question. I, I, in my mind, is not doing it from the property line, but doing it from the base of the existing building. It's an existing condition we're trying to ameliorate. And that seems to me to the right measurement. And as a conditional use, I think we can be a little creative about what we might require for that. You're referring to the existing multifamily building on the, the existing residential zone. building, yeah. Yeah, typically we would do it from the property line as, as kind of the... Yeah, property line's gonna be a big impact. I'm not suggesting that. Right. <laughs> and. Um, one thing that I just wanted to seek clarification on, and, and as Ms. Sanders said, we do have some suggested language if you'd like to consider yeah, it. Um, in the discussion between the board and the applicant, there was uh, a point made about perhaps going up to the zoning potential of 80 feet on the ad adjacent site and then demonstrating the 45 degree uh, layback and basically not changing the building. Is, was that the suggestion? Did I understand that correctly? Uh, no, my concern is that the existing the existing condition, right, uh, that we protect the residents in that with a 45-degree layback. Okay. Um, and I, I would do that from the existing building, not the property line. Um, if this gets rebuilt in the future, I think that becomes the, the site we have now becomes the existing condition, and people buying into that situation know that to be the existing condition. So they make a, a market sort of decision about whether they're going to participate or not. All right, it's the people that already are sunk into that residential place that I think need protecting. Commissioner, just a quick clarification, because I think the, the, the layback or the angular, angular plane that you're talking about by code is measured from the property line. We could, uh, through this, you know, show that um, measured from the adjacent building, but that's not the way the code is written. So if we're looking at a compatibility and we're making a compatibility finding, it would be different than what the code is spelling out. So maybe a little clarification. We could, we can do that as part of the site plan um, findings, uh, but in terms of how we make those findings in compliance with the code, we would need to follow it strictly and say it's either from, I mean, it would be from the, the property line. But, but isn't one of the factors of the conditional use here is that we can make uh, conditions that are, in a sense, specific to this site and may, may be not quite based on code, and I look to legal counsel to comment on that. That is correct. In the context of uh, both the local map amendment and the conditional use that you're reviewing today, um, there are provisions in the code that allow for conditions that may go above and beyond what um, the zoning code requires, um, provided that the board finds that those conditions are, um, you know, limitations on the development standards are necessary to ensure compatibility. So I think 
it, it circles around the question of compatibility. And of course, when we're discussing compatibility, um, staff is pointing to the zoning code because that's a very clear standard that has been adopted for compatibility. Um, but there is the ability, um, if the board finds it necessary for site-specific reasons, um, to further condition um, elements of the development standards uh, or the use. Do you see it as a legal problem or enforcement problem if we did make the uh, additional recommendation for the conditional use that the layback slope be applied to the building, not the boundary? If I may jump in, Carrie Sanders, for the record, I do believe there would be an issue, um, Commissioner Hill, uh, from an enforcement perspective, because we, for example, in that zone that the existing gardening apartment is located, that garden apartment, if it was redeveloped, could be redeveloped at a different height, and there could be some... Um, ramifications of conditioning this approval based on, an, on another site uh, from an enforcement perspective. Uh, but I do think that we hear the intent of what, you're, what all the board members are saying, and I think we can definitely look at this through the next uh, iteration of the plan, and we can put some language in here now um, as part of the conditional use that is essentially a, a condition that requires the applicant to take into consideration the, the setback of their building in relationship to the apartments. And then the board will be able to consider that at the next stage to say, yes, we feel this is adequate, or no, we don't. Um, we're, we're simply really not at that like design level at this no. stage, just because we don't have that level of detail. But if I may transition, I, I think we have some good language that maybe uh, either Matt or Parker could read off to you to, to hear that um, and see your feedback on that. Um, <clears throat> and I, I would ask legal's guidance on whether this is appropriate for the LMA or the conditional use. I think it's probably the LMA. Uh, but the idea being adding a new condition that uh, says something to the effect of the building massing comprising the eastern building facade, and again, this is adjacent to the garden apartments, must be articulated to further compatibility with the abutting R20 zone. And then we could add as shown on the certified site plan, which would allow us to go through a design exercise uh, through a subsequent uh, plan stage to really figure out what exactly that looks like. I, I, I would look for direction from the board, whether that's a 45-degree angular plane or if there's some discretion at the staff level of is a setback sufficient. Um, I, I think so. what you're saying is, is sufficient for notice uh, and to, to get it right in the condition myself. Yeah, I guess I guess my concern is at the site plan stage, we really are much more constrained to meet the, the, the code. And it seems like the conditional use phase is where we can be a little bit more creative. I, I think there's a gap really in our ordinance here, protecting residential properties. There's a lot of discretion in site plan. Okay. I'll take that under advisement then. Anything else? I, I think there was... Um, uh, there was a suggestion that perhaps we needed more stringent language about the trail connection. And so on conditional use, uh, condition four, there's specific discussion about the pedestrian facilities along New Hampshire Avenue. I think it would be appropriate there to also add the trail, some language about the trail connection along the eastern facade. And again, all those details would be determined at site plan as it's set up now. As well as a landscaping plan associated to uh, speak to Commissioner Branson's feedback about the landscaping. I think we would also, for Condition 4, have a landscaping plan associated with that trail. Does the applicant have anything to say about the changes we're suggesting here? 
Uh, no, I think that the more general condition regarding kind of exploring compatibility um, at time of site plan is acceptable to us without the specific parameters of that. So we have that opportunity to work with staff collaboratively on that as we have done with this application. Um, and adding language about the trail is also fine as that's part of um, what we're proposing. Okay. Does anybody want to make and, a motion with those? And, and adding the height to the con condition number two is acceptable. I think we already covered that, but you didn't just mention that. Right. The height, the height is a condition of the local map amendment already. Yeah. So it, just make it a condition on the conditional. Yeah. It's just, it's just right. It, it's right, defining right, right. the envelope in three right, dimensions, right, right, not two right, dimensions, right? Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and really, on, on stories, once you have height on stories, there's a limit to total GFA, right? So that's really your limitation on stories, except you don't say it that way. Right. <laughs> Different expression. So with those amendments, do I hear a motion? Uh, should we be making motions on each of these parts? Because yes. two are recommendations yes. and one is an action. Just one uh, procedural clarification. We do need the preliminary forest conservation plan approval first. Oh, oh is it, I, I thought it was part of the, of the local map amendment. No, it's a separate it, It's routine. concurrent. Can I hear a motion on the far preliminary forest conservation plan? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'll move that we approve that. Uh, I don't have the citation in front of me. Can staff cite the exactly what were the number? It's uh, the preliminary forest conservation plan number is uh, the same as the local map amendment, H-147. Okay. okay. Could I have a second? Second it. All those in favor say aye for the forest conservation plan. Aye. 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 Okay. Now for the local map amendment. Can I hear a motion? Uh, yeah. I'm going to try. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, um, I, <laughs> you say you're making me laugh. Too. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, I propose that we um, approve uh, the conditional use with the additional conditions that have been outlined by staff affecting conditional use plan CU-202-302. Commissioner Branson. Yes, ma'am. I would recommend um, making the local map amendment uh, motion first rather than the conditional use. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, w I am proposing that we uh, approve the local map amendment is at H-147 um, as uh, presented today with the... Um, Notations of staff. Do I hear a second? Second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Can I hear a motion on the conditional use? Mr. Chairman, I'll move that we approve conditional, or recommend rather, conditional use plan CU202302 with three modifications, adding height to condition two uh, in feet uh, and the two. Uh, modification to staff read into the record. Uh. And I second that. All those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you. Thank you for uh, uh, bearing with our uh, timing here. But we get through it. All right. Uh, we're going to go on to item six whenever you're ready.
This is item six of the January 5th, uh, 2023 planning board meeting. Uh, by planning board time, it's 10 o'clock in real time. It's about 11.30. We will do this, this item uh, and then break for lunch and do rustic roads uh, this afternoon. Um, uh, this is the uh, uh, 21115 East Jefferson Street sketch plan. I'll turn it over to Steph. Thank you, uh, Troy Leftwich, for the record. As mentioned, this is uh, 2115 East Jefferson Street, uh, sketch plan number 320220110. Uh, for the board's reference, this is a sketch plan, so the uh, components that the board will be approving today is the max density, the height, the location of lots and public dedication, uh, the general location and the extent of public um, open space, the general location of vehicle access points and circulation, and the public benefit point categories. Uh, the points will be determined at the uh, future site plan phase. We are recommending approval of the, um, of the sketch plan as shown in the staff report, or with conditions um, that's shown in the staff report. Uh, the project is located in the employment center um, along uh, Executive Boulevard and East Jefferson Street uh, within the North Bethesda, western portion of the North Bethesda area. Uh, to the east of the property is uh, Pike and Rose. Also uh, to the east is the North Bethesda Metro Rail Station, which is roughly uh, 0.9 um, miles walking distance from the actual subject site. Uh, to the south of the property is Lux Manor Elementary School and Park. Uh, to the west of the site is Green Acres um, uh, school, which is a private institution. Uh, directly to the north of the property is a Kaiser office building, and to the south is a um, office building as well that's a, a butt in the property. It's zone CR 1.5, C1. Or, sorry, uh, C1. CR 1.5, C1.5 R1, and with the height of 100, is located within in the 2018 White Flint 2 sector plan area. And the property itself is uh, roughly uh, 5.7 acres. It's currently a, a multi-level vacant office building with a large surface parking lot. Uh, it currently has a existing vegetative buffer to the rear, which is um, expected to be ma maintained and, and enhanced as this proposed development. Uh, here are views from the actual site visit. As you can see in uh, view one, this is view across East Jefferson of the existing office, uh, vacant office building. Two is the south side of the property uh, with view of the um, existing parking lot in relation to the, the office building uh, that's abutting with views of the rear um, uh, vegetative area and looking towards uh, Green Acre School. Three is the north adjacent property, which uh, shows a, a grade change between Kaiser and the proposed site. Uh, to the left of that is a stormwater management area, and then Kaiser has uh, provided some park benches uh, for uh, their employees in that area. We will be looking for uh, connections to this area with this proposed development. Uh, two is the rear view of the property um, from the, uh, the rear of the, the surface parking lot, and four is the existing gravel path that uh, connects to Green Acres um, uh, school site that we will be looking to enhance um, as part of this uh, development. 
the proposal itself will demolish the existing uh, building um, and parking lot. It will construct 93 townhouses, provide 15% MPDUs. The density proposed that the board will be uh, is uh, recommended to approve is the uh, 0.98 FAR with a total of 20, uh, 245,000 square feet of residential uses. The, uh, the height that is recommended to be approved is a max height of 55 feet for the townhouses. The project is proposing new private streets. Um, as part of the approval, we there is one um, interest proposed off of East Jefferson. The private street determination will, will occur at the future preliminary plan. The overall open space that is proposed is uh, 47,000 square feet. Uh, that's 19.65% uh, of open space. The requirement for this uh, property is only 5%, so you can see that they're exceeding um, that area that does include that 100-foot uh, buffer to the rear that's being established within this um, plan or, or in, um, preserved within this plan that was as part of the original um, existing um, site. Uh, we are expecting for th that to be programmed with pedestrian paths that will uh, connect north and south and then also, as mentioned before, to the Green Acre, um, prop Green Acre uh, property. The uh, locations of these uh, facilities is concept in nature, at least at the, at the uh, sketch plan level. Uh, we will be looking for re further refinements um, at the site plan phase of the project. Uh, some of the major urban design features of the project, as mentioned before, uh, is a series of private streets and alleys that uh, provide circulation um, through, throughout um, internal to the site, connects back to East Jefferson. As you can see, some of uh, private street C and um, alley um, D connections, those, those areas stub out north and south to provide future street grid connections. Uh, if, if in the potential that redevelopment occurs, we will be looking to enhance um, that extension with um, the public right of way or, or access to the site and surrounding um, sites. Parcel B and C uh, located more east of the property, closer to the front, uh, frontage of the property. Those will be the areas we would be looking for at the future site plan to be activated with the recreational amenities, whether it's a dog park or seating or a play area for the future residents of the of the project. Also, you can see that the, uh, the townhouse development is proposing frontage um, along East Jefferson with the proximity of the townhouses and activation of a, a, a bike and ped or streetscape improvements that will be further refined at the um, site plan phase of the project. Parcel A, as part of, as mentioned before, will we'll facilitate the 100-foot buffer that will be established within a forest conservation um, easement and um, we'll look be we'll be looking for pedestrian enhancements um, as mentioned before north and south to the Kaiser property and south so that's the, the dotted line kind of um, shows that conceptual um, layout of, of where we would be looking to see that to be um, facilitated at. As mentioned before the board is approving the public benefit uh, points categories as as part of the sketch plan approval. Um, due to the project providing 15% MPDUs, um, the applicant is only required to provide 100 points over three categories. However, the applicant has some master plan requirements and has elected to provide it um, six categories. Um, those include major public facilities, which is a school and uh, parks contribution, which is part of the master plan or sector plan recommendation. 
uh, the transit proximity, which is um, a half a mile to a mile from the metro rail, they are providing um, or choosing the or choosing the category of public parking by providing 12 visitor parking spaces. They are providing uh, or electing to the through block connections with the pedestrian connections and also including the private road connections that was uh, presented earlier. As mentioned before, they are providing uh, moderate price uh, dwelling units at that 15%. Uh, the calculation also includes the three bedroom component that's being provided within that 15% um, MPDU unit. So that's why you see that uh, proposed um, number at 105 for that particular uh, calculation. They are uh, provided the uh, public open space, as mentioned before, they're exceeding that percentage with providing that roughly 19%. And then within the CR um, zoning requirement, they are required to provide uh, BLTs within their public benefit point category. So that's that calculation and category is um, being provided as well. The project is consistent with Chapter 59, Chapter 22A, um, and findings as detailed within the staff report. The applicant has met all proper signage, notification, and submittal requirements. The guideline, and uh, they have conducted a pre-submittal meeting, which was conducted on April 26 of 20, uh, 2022, and we have not received any correspondence of the, for the subject application at this time and posting of the staff report. As mentioned before, we are recommending approval with conditions uh, for 2115 East Jefferson Street, sketch plan number 320220110 as shown in the staff report and presented today. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Look forward to comments and questions. And, and I'll note there are no public speakers signed up. Uh, so we also have the applicant. Um, uh, can I have your attention to page 12 where you have a mapped density FAR of uh, 245,000, but the, are you saying that the site area is 248,000 because you include the dedication in it? That you include the prior dedication? That is correct. Okay, so, so that's how you got the 0.98 FAR, okay. And these are really going to be 55-foot townhouses, or is that the maximum that you're saying? At this stage, that, that that's the maximum height. Um, at site plan, they could be smaller, but they couldn't necessarily go over that 55 feet max um, unless they come up for a sketch plan amendment to address or, that height. Again, just doing some math, if you divide the... The units by the FAR, it's like 2,600 square foot per, per townhouse. You would never need five stories to do that. So I don't know what's going on here within the numbers. Uh, <clears throat> Matt Folden, for the record, regulatory supervisor from Mid-County. Uh, the way sketch plan approvals are set up is we are approving a maximum height and density, which will be further refined with the subsequent site plan. And so right now we're just setting an envelope. We're not even approving architecture or any real buildings. This is really just a very conceptual, high-level approval. So that's why it's, it's much more than would probably be needed. <laughs> I, I can only suspect that's a, that, that's a very tall elevator in a residential building. <laughs> um, okay, uh, uh, if the applicant has anything to say. 
Yes, good morning, now, Mr. Chairman. Uh, for the record, I'm Bob Harris with Lurch-Early Brewer. On my right is Pete Jervey with Missing Middle. They are the property owner and developer. And on my left is Mike Goodman with VICA, the engineers. First of all, I want to congratulate you and your colleagues on your appointments here, and thank you for serving. This is the first time I've had an opportunity to appear before you. Uh, we'll be very brief. I, I know we're approaching lunch hour, and uh, you've been very patient here. Um, we're really pleased to be bringing this to the board because this is a very important addition of non-multifamily housing in a metro station area that is in such high demand in a, in a county where we're desperately in need of housing. Um, it, it is close to the metro. It is close to uh, amenities at Pike and Rose and all up and down Rockville Pike, among other uh, locations. It's long been vacant as well, and so it's put into uh, a property to new use. We're 100 percent compliant with the master plan and the zoning. Uh, we, as you saw, are providing public benefit points that are over and above uh, what is required. And last but not least, there's no opposition to it, which is uh, an unusual commodity in infill housing. So we're, we're, we're very pleased with this. We agree with the staff recommendations, and we're here to answer any questions if you have any. Everybody was content with a single uh, entrance to this subdivision off of East Jefferson? Yes. Oh, For the record, yes. Yeah, that, that, was, that was part of my concern because um, I was just envisioning how people are going to be uh, going to work every day lined up trying to get on East Jefferson. Um, that's that's going to be very unpleasant. Um, but uh, my other questions are just clarifications, I hope. In, in your presentation, I thought you, stats is for staff, in the presentation, I thought you said uh, school and park contribution, but I thought I read school or park contribution. Just want to be clear as to which it is. I thought it was or. Troy, appreciate the question. Uh, Troy Leftwich, for the record, uh, the master plan or sector plan uh, within the White Flint two area, all properties that come in for development first has to be assessed at schools, and then uh, the next option is parks. So at the sketch plan stage, we 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 make that clear determination of those two elements. I think a couple of projects have came in, and there's been more of parks contributions. So even within the staff report, we start teeing up the conversation of that potential parks uh, contribution, but with without going into the details at this stage, because uh, we don't necessarily um, know what uh, enhancements that we would be looking to do, whether it's just Lux Manor or even there's other things um, outside and within that program of that White Flint 2 area. Okay, I appreciate that clarification. Um, the other thing um, is about the MPDUs. Um, I wanted some clarity on, you know, because it kind of feeds into the school or parks. Um, is, uh, uh, at this point, are we making, are, are determinations being made about, as to the MPDUs, about uh, number of bedrooms, that kind of thing, or, or is this way too early for that? Uh, Troy, for, for the record, again, uh, correct. The 
the determination of bedrooms or the type of bedrooms that will occur, that's a, a site plan level element. And they would, as part of the uh, the approval of the preliminary plan and site plan, DHCA would weigh in on that. And even if the, the scenario of, of if there's like a fee in lieu, all that stuff would be determined at that stage. But like I said, at this point, it's just high level in regards of just providing the 15% minimum. Okay. No, I appreciate it. But like I said, my, my, my real big concern is this single point of entry, but, you know. I won't be there trying to get out at uh, 8 o'clock going to work. And, and you promise not to drive a fire, fire truck into it? I really promise not to drive a fire or, or, or a delivery truck of any kind. Yeah. Anybody? Oh, yeah. Mr. Um, Hill. I just have a general observation. It, it kind of pains me to see this building coming down. Um, it's a beautiful building. And, um, and I pause at the environmental impact of tearing down a complete building and replacing it, but I recognize it's completely within your property rights to do so and possibly in the public interest for good use of land in a vacant site. I just wanted to, to make that observation. Um, I do have a matter, and this is going to dive into the details a little bit, but it's, I think, significant here because it could jeopardize, I think, one of the incentive categories, which is appropriate at this level, and it's the through-block connections to me. Right, those are the pedestrian paths, right? The north-south one and the one off the back of the property to the west. Yes, uh, in combination of the uh, private streets as well. And one thing to note too, we only are proposing eight points. The max yeah, is 20. Yeah. So we do understand that with through block connections, there is a different level of intent when you're looking at CR. You're, you're looking for a connection that's either connecting um, some type of retail or, or activation and aligning it with retail. Uh, typically, you would see some type of um, internal muse where you see like a farmer's market on the weekend. That's like the, the, the true um, maximum intent. So the points associated with the through block connection kind of um, uh, relates to what this project is proposing as well. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I got that. But my, 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 is, my question involved here, and it affects both of the pedestrian connections, is are they actually practical? And here's my observation, right? The, the one off the western part of the site goes to a lock gate at a school, and I don't think there's any right-of-way on the other side of that that would say that the school has to open that. And Thinking back to just our last meeting, we had a private school that was very adamant about not opening access to their site to pedestrians in any other way. So I'm very doubtful that that connection will ever be effective. And then on the north-south one, I would observe that the north end of that ends at a steep slope and a stormwater pond. And my eye, and we can revisit this in a more detailed level, but my eye kind of says, I don't see any way for that path to connect to anything that's, it, you know, if we can go the next block over, yeah, there's a really good connection on, on what, Josiah, Josiah Henson Drive, but getting through that property, I don't think anyone's going to redevelop that stormwater pond to something different, and that really, it almost seems like neither one of those are practical, so I'm questioning whether that category is, is a good one to have here. I appreciate the, the question and also the, the details in regards of the issues. I break it up um, in two pieces. Uh, the category itself, if the board was to elect to remove the category, they still would meet the requirements of the public benefit points to, like, to move forward. So if that's really um, the biggest issue of just the, the category, uh, that there is a pathway forward, at least um, for the sketch plan. Uh, the second component in regards of like the details of how the pathway is um, essentially uh, connecting with the constraints of, of the grading and the elements off-site with the existing. Um, as, as I got up on the board, like, 
if or on the screen you can there's potential opportunities to facilitate the pathway back to the private road uh, street c and there's uh at that area there's um it's more of that flows into the kaisers uh i think there's like a turnaround backup area in that area so that's that would get you away from the grade change of the stormwater management facility, but also gets you closer to where they had their park benches in that location. So there are at least opportunities um, to facilitate or funnel that pathway in those areas at the site plan level. You also have the internal muse or internal greenway that's being proposed where there's another potential connection. So if, if, if there's, too much constraints or if there's uh, and then there's also opportunities at site plan to speak with the applicant and their relationship with Kaiser if there's even some offsite improvements that they can do um, also when you come in for development there's grading and things that are potential changes that will occur so the 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 constraints are definitely valid in regards of how that's being facilitated um, and addressed that would definitely happen at the site plan uh, level in regards of the relationship to um, the fence being closed up in relationship with the the actual activation or use of that green acre site. I think we deal with that on a lot of different projects where whether it's an institutional use, uh, religious use, or um, government use in regards to just security. Um, but it's almost that missing teeth component in regards to you ask for it now to set up the grid because even with a private school like Green Acres, there's a lot of times where we see redevelopment occur or portions. And so if we ask for the connections now, we're not necessarily asking the next applicant to provide that onto an off-site component. So we look for those pieces to be addressed now, especially at the sketch plan uh, level, but also too, I think the applicant can maybe speak to their relationship with the north and south properties of, of potential already agreements or conversations they've had with some of these connections. So I would defer to the applicant to address that um, in particular. Yes, if I may, Mr. Hill, um, uh, very good questions. I can understand your interest in them. I, I think there are good answers to both, though. Uh, in terms of the through block connection, uh, you, you'll be pleased to know that not only is Green Acres not opposed to it, they're in favor of it. They want it. Uh, in fact, today, their employees cut through there to get to Metro and to go to Pike and Rose, et cetera. So they very much want the connection. And, and so I do not see any concern with that at all uh, in terms of the east-west component. If, uh, uh, but again, we're, we don't even need it for the public benefit points, but we think it's a very good idea, and we're trying to accommodate our neighbor there. Uh, can, I, can I just make a comment on that, which is, you know, it, the, I think the requirement or the, the need here is the public um, connection, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a keypad lock. So, yeah, if you know the padlock as a staff member, you can still get through there, and that's good. But to get credit for a public connection, it seems like the public need to be able to walk through, they're not someone that has a key combination, right? Yes, and, and we have not worked out the details of how the path will be aligned beyond our property, but okay. we're encouraged that they've got a big picture in mind. Yeah. And well. potentially they could have students here, right? Yeah, can, exactly. And that, exactly. that's good. Um, in terms of the north-south component of the um, pathway, uh, as I think you're aware, that is called for in the master plan, and that is what is driving us like any recommendation on a master plan, the details and the ability to achieve it are not always worked out. It's a vision, okay? Um, frankly, I believe that it will work out in the future. Um, the uh, Kaiser Permanente building, that is the office building to the north of us, is, uh, they've actually built a new building, and it's unclear how long they will be in that building. Uh, but like many buildings in the county nowadays with lower parking requirements, they have excess parking there. 
So I believe in the long run, when somebody either does something different with that building, because of the master plan recommendation, the county will get a pathway that will verge over into where their parking now is and then connect up to Montrose Parkway. Fortunately, in the meantime, because of the, the pathways that we'll have running east and west through our property, out East Jefferson Street, someone coming up that path has to make a little bit of a detour, but there's a bike path on East Jefferson as well as a sidewalk, and then a very nice one along Montrose Parkway. So it's a really, uh, you know, superb, you know, uh, pedestrian and vehicular, pedestrian and bicycle uh, network. Okay. Uh, looking to staff for a moment, I, I guess what I'm after here, I, I appreciate that this you don't need it to get to meet the requirements. So, and this is I'm diving into the detail, but I think it's, it might be appropriate to just um, possibly in the resolution write-up. Our uh, resolutions tend to go. You, you, you all come to us at sketch plan and say we have to agree to the categories, and then the resolutions get written with great detail about the points that are assumed. And I think we just need to put a point of pause based on site plan work on these things to say, yeah, these really will work. Um, and that's I guess what I'm looking for here. Do you want the points to be zero? Which would no, be I think it's appropriate, as the, the applicant just okay. testified, that that's really a site plan question going forward. We're Fine. not talking about the level of detail, but whether the category, category can be practical or not, I think is, a, is perspective, right? Um, I, th I think there are some questions about whether these things are actually practical connections that work, and, but it's at this point, I just want to make sure that we're not, by saying that we're agreeing to this category at the sketch plan phase, we're not asserting that we have agreed entirely to these other items. We have, we have no problem with that approach. Okay. Thank you. And, and just for the record, uh, Matt Folden, I just want to state that um, I think the north-south connection is a master plan connection, and so that's something that we would be pursuing uh, irrespective of how things go with the Green Acre School that's located just to the west. And so um, whether they're uh, permitted to have public benefit points for the path or not, we would still be pursuing the path because of the master plan conformance. Okay. Good enough. Okay. Are we okay? Uh, Mr. Presley? Yes, I was just going to ask, that, that being the case, even if they don't get points for it, they've already met the points with with other amenities and features right okay so that's kind of moot but um well i i think this is going to be a great project i do share the concern of commissioner branson about the one entry point i mean i'm i also presume that that's going to be addressed um when you're looking at trips and so forth and and access at site plan is that correct uh, yes or has uh, that already been yes commissioner presley we will be looking at okay. that through the preliminary plan and we will also yeah. be providing detail on fire access at that point yeah um but it looks to me though you know just overall i think the applicant's done a, a good job of uh presenting this I, it's needed and um be excited to see it actually come to fruition um uh, the only other question i had and this is it's my own personal pet peeve will there be a timing um requirement in terms of when these you know the uh, greenway and the recreational things are are provided relative to the build out sure left was for will that come Sure left was for the record uh, as part of uh the site plan there is bonding yeah. components okay. and so a lot of those yeah. um amenities come at the at the earlier stages yeah. of the project versus the back end but at the site plan level right. if there's anything in particular um 
we can, you know, definitely address that within that that part of the project. But usually your mm-hmm. your open spaces and your minis are definitely provided at the earlier phases of the project. And this one isn't provided in uh, phases either. Excellent. I don't see any other hands. The one, one comment I would make is, is this looks like the valid use of private streets. Uh, these streets are essentially driveways to the townhouses and, mm-hmm. and, and nothing more. I, I, uh, you know, these, these uh, homeowners will be responsible for these streets and it'll be part of an HOA and take care of that way. But mm-hmm. this, is, this is a valid use, <laughs> I think. Uh, and, and of course, it's a legal use. <laughs> yes. Illegal, uh, not illegal, right? Legal, right. <laughs> I hope I was clear. Uh, I'll entertain a motion. I would, I would like to move approval of the 215 East Jefferson Street sketch plan, number 32022110. Thank you. Can I'll I second it, Commissioner okay. Pinar. Thank you. It's been moved and seconded. All, all those in favor say aye. 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 There you go. Unanimous. Thank you for your patience. Thank you very much. Uh, it is now uh, 1220. Uh, tw- I'm sorry, 1202. Uh, we'll adjourn to uh, 1235 uh, and have lunch and then come back and do uh, the rustic roads. Okay? 1235.
Uh, welcome to the January 5th, uh, 2023 session of the Planning Board. We're on item eight, Rustic Roads Functional Master Plan Update. This is work session number one. It looks like we'll have at least three, maybe four work sessions. We'll find out. Uh, but we are working through uh, the staff recommendations on this that was uh, provided to us in the subject of a, a public hearing last year. Uh, and we'll go through all of the staff comments as the staff presents it. So if you want to proceed, please do so. Great. Uh, for the record, Patrick Butler, Up County Division Chief. Uh, we have with us today Angelica Gonzalez, who is a uh, our, our acting supervisor filling in for Don Ziegler, who's on maternity leave right now. So congrats to, to Don. Hopefully you're uh, getting some sleep. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll continue to, to move forward until you return. Uh, we also have uh, Jamie Pratt and Roberto Duke, uh, co-leads of the Rustic Roads uh, plan with us. So uh, today for the first work session, um, as was uh, spelled out in, in the report, uh, we we're trying to get through uh, some of the items that uh, we're seeing as uh, some of the lighter lifts uh, within the plan. There are uh, various issues that we have to uh, get through, work through with you all that um, were brought to our attention and, and uh, responding to public testimony and, and uh, MCDOT's uh, input uh, through the uh, public hearing. So uh, we'll be working through uh, several topics as outlined by that uh, memo. Um, um, again, today is uh, some of the, what, again, perceived a lighter lift. Uh, we'll, we'll try to move through those and get your recommendation, your, your decision on these um, to move forward. We'll also say that uh, as we move forward with subsequent work sessions, uh, various questions being answered, if we ever need to come back, we can, we can certainly do that. You're, you're not etching anything in stone today, but um, some general concurrence that, yes, this is our decision for now and, and we'll move forward. Um, eventually, we'll bring to you the, the final document that reconciles these decisions and our discussions uh, through the, throughout the work session. So um, with that, unless you have any questions, we'll get underway. Uh, for the record, Roberto Duke with the Up County Planning Division, and I'm here with my co-lead, uh, Jamie Pratt, and we are going to update you on our we uh, work on the work session for the Rustic Roads Functional Master Plan update. Um, this is our first work session, and we will periodically uh, be asking the planning board to make or to provide guidance uh, regarding what should be included in the plan uh, based on comments we received uh, during the public hearing uh, comment period. And this is just a slide showing where we are in the process. Again, we're at the work sessions. And uh, as a summary, we held the public hearing on November 17th, uh, 2022, and the public record closed uh, December 9th, uh, 2022. And staff heard from approximately 104 individuals and organizations regarding the plan. And uh, today we will uh, be here discussing some of those items for this work session, and we will have a second work session on January 26th. And other work sessions to be determined. For this particular work session, we'll quickly, uh, very briefly, go over the overall support for the plan, uh, for the program and the plan, uh, provide background information discussing uh, the dedicated but unmaintained roads, bridges, and state and park roads, 
And then we will be going through the road recommendations by categories. So those with no major changes, the nominated roads, the roads to be removed from the program, uh, new road profiles, extent changes, classification changes, and roads with uh, change to their significant features. And just as a background information, we again wanted to uh, present information uh, about the Rustic Roads program just very briefly. Um, so the Rustic Roads uh, is in the county code, uh, chapter 49, Streets and Roads. Um, and Article 8 provides guidance on the purpose and definitions uh, in the Rustic Roads program. And it provides for the classifications uh, of the roads and uh, information on maintenance and improvements. Um, and then Chapter 50, uh, the subdivision of land, uh, makes a brief mention of rustic roads and the scenic views and the significant features. So again, what is a rustic road? Uh, a rustic road it has, it is a road with natural, agricultural, or historic features that are predominant. Um, they're narrow and intended for local use, low volumes of traffic, and have one of the following uh, characteristics, outstanding natural features, outstanding vistas, uh, and access to historic resources. And these roads must be safe, and the classification should not impair the function or safety of the road in the road network. <clears throat> An exceptional rustic road. So it's, it is a rustic road. Um, and it must ha have all of the three following. So it contributes significantly to the natural, agricultural, historic uh, characteristics of the county, has unusual features uh, found on few other roads, and would be more negatively impacted or affected by improvements or modifications. And just again, to emphasize, because I know this was brought up uh, during the, some of the work sessions, regardless of classification, roads uh, that have been accepted for public maintenance in Montgomery County must be maintained. So all of these roads need to be maintained to, uh, uh, for safety purposes. And quickly, we'll just go through general support for the plan. Um, at least 45 individuals uh, gave broad support regarding the plan, talking about how they like to use the roads and, and travel along the roads. Um, you know, that it's a, an asset to the, the county. Um, you know, it's recreational opportunities for, for hiking and biking and horseback riding along or on the road or off the road. Um, visiting historic resources that are along the road. Um, purposes of agritourism, going to different sites and using those. And, and they feel it's a very tranquil and, and, and very calming uh, experience on rustic roads. And also just to see the numerous uh, habitats for wildlife. So in terms of, again, um, some of the examples that we, we've seen along rustic roads, you know, you have the farmer's markets, the orchards, uh, the stables, uh, vineyards and, and, and breweries have, have popped up over the years since the original plan. Um, that people love to enjoy and, and the tourism um, that these roads can provide. Um, so every, pretty much all folks were talking about that type of thing. Um, and we, we heard specifically from um, bicyclists uh, 
and, and things that need to be considered uh, for bicyclists along this road, that they're safe and they provide, you know, scenic uh, routes uh, to travel. Um, and, you know, it, it's just providing access to different sites and, and routes um, that they really enjoy using these roads. And then, of course, we've also heard from the farmers, uh, uh, commodity farmers, uh, about the importance of these roads as an agricultural transportation networks uh, to provide the movement of uh, agricultural equipment and farm products along the roads. So those are pretty much the the information, just general uh, information regarding uh, the comments that we received, and I'll pass it over to Jamie to go further into detail uh, now regarding bridges, I guess. Yes, and before we do, uh, um, yeah, for the record, Jamie Pratt, um, before we continue, you know, we could stop now and say, uh, see if any of the board members have any questions or concerns about what we've presented so far. There's not a lot of controversy there, but perhaps you have your own general questions. So, but uh, we'll have plenty of time to cover everything, hopefully. Uh, so, background information: We are trying to decide the um, best way, best order to present the information, um, uh, because many roads fall into multiple categories of change. Uh, Maybe there's significant features changing at the same time as an extent is changing at the same time as it's going from rustic to exceptional rustic. So, but we decided that um, some of the concerns that MCDOT uh, brought up kind of informed some of those other decisions. So we wanted to start with um, some of the items that they had brought up in their comments to us. Um, so first uh, on the list is uh, there's a program in the county that's referred to as dedicated but unmaintained roads or DBU roads. And this policy was established in 2009 to handle these rights of way that were dedicated to the public at some time in the past, but no modern road was ever built within that right of way. And so there's a few rustic roads or parts of rustic roads that um, are on the dedicated but unmaintained road list. Uh, and yet they're either on um, existing rustic roads or they've been nominated as rustic roads. Um, so this DBU policy explains how people living on those roads can petition the county to have the road improved, but it's going to be at the resident's expense. Um, and the policy has a minimum road width of 20 feet, um, although there is exceptions for 18 feet, but a lot of these rustic roads are not that wide. So if somebody wanted to take an existing rustic road on the DBU list and make it a publicly maintained road, the policy doesn't allow for it. There's, they would have to blow it out to a non-rustic uh, set of standards. Um, so uh, this um, map shows the location of the five that were uh, mentioned by um, DOT in their comments. Um, so four of them are in the East County and one of them is in the Potomac region. Um, so their um, MCDOT's com concerns were that it would limit the property owner's ability to bring the road up to county standards and it would hinder them, the property owners, from transferring maintenance responsibility to the county. Uh, so 
this affects four roads currently in the program, one proposed, um, and staff recommends that these roads remain in the program, but that the DBU policy be updated to provide a path for public acceptance of the road's maintenance. Um, so we'll discuss that, but uh, I just wanted to go th briefly through um, the roads that were mentioned. Um, all of the road pictures we have in this plan will link to either Google or Bing street views. So we, if we really need to go up and down the road and look at it, see what it looks like, we're prepared to do that. Um, but this is Belcote Drive. It's a current exceptional, it's a current rustic road that's been recommended as exceptional. Uh, this one was added to the program um, prior to the existence of the DBU policy. Um, so we feel like in a way it's kind of grandfathered in. Um, Old Orchard Road is a little bit of a different case because the end of that road was a gravel road when it was added to the program and nearby residences took it upon themselves to improve the road, but they didn't do it to a county standard. Um, so there could be some issues with the very end of that road where it was self-improved. Uh, Etchison Road um, is a nominated rustic road. Uh, this one, the part that's nominated is not actually on the DBU list. It, there's a section at the end of the road that is on the DBU list, but that part has not been recommended as rustic. So we don't think there's an issue with that one. Uh, and Bentley Road is got the last, uh, it was again, this one, this one was added as a rustic road after the DBU program went into effect, but it was still county council agreed when the uh, 2015 uh, Sandy Spring Rural Village plan was approved that Bentley Road should be rustic. So it was discussed at that time. I don't know the history of whether that last section around the corner that, that is on the DBU list, I don't know if that was discussed at the time, but the council did add the road. And then Poplar Hill Road is um, uh, used to be gravel. Um, around 2014 or 16 it has it got paved but there's a section in the middle of the road where there used to be a bridge that got washed out uh, dot did not want to rebuild that bridge so they removed part of the road so i want to talk about um, poplar hill road for just a second before we discuss all these um, you can kind of see when coming from the north the road now ends at a little gate um, before you get to the creek. And you can see in the picture on the bottom right what that section of former road looks like. It it's, looks like a grassy lawn. Um, the picture on the bottom left is if you're going north from uh, on the Poplar Hill Road where it ends right before the stream crossing where there used to be a bridge. And on the top right, um, it's probably hard to see at this scale, but uh, there's a... <coughs> light blue section of the road that I'm highlighting here, that's the part of the road that has, um, that no longer exists. There's no roadbed there. There's, there's just grass down to the creek and then there's no, no bridge crossing the creek anymore. So we have a new recommendation today that's not in the plan, which is to just remove the part of um, Poplar Hill Road from the program that no longer has a road in it um, but to otherwise leave the other two segments as rustic roads. And um, so I think um, 
And we have Tim Couples from, uh, if you want to respond to any of this. If, um, and may, the maybe I can help here. <coughs> if you're, if it's our turn to uh, It is, but some... uh, I, I did want you to know that we have some people <laughs> that um, have some uh, important things to say about it. Uh, well, um, he, here's how my feeble New Jersey brain computes all this stuff. You, you have a program called Rustic Roads, which limits the ability of DOT to uh, expand the road or to do improvements out of character, but to do improvements within safety. Okay, so that's one thing. So this is a, this is a, a program that essentially limits things that DOT can do. We then have a section of roads where DOT could do nothing because they don't maintain it. They don't do anything now. So, so the effect of, of designating a road that's not maintained to, uh, to by DOT is that the homeowners will be forever responsible for it. They could never apply to expand that road into uh, a, a, uh, a county-maintained road. However, what you are recommending is putting, is maybe suggesting a new standard which will allow some improvements up to some of DOT standards uh, but still be a rustic road. Is that, do I have that all correct? Yes, um, you know, there are other existing rustic roads that are maintained by the county and we feel like whatever standards those currently uh, what govern those roads could possibly be applied. But, um, but, but I think by their nature, they're non-standard. They don't have a standard to the road. That, that's they, right. They, uh, you know, so you would have to come up to some width, some uh, paving depth, some, some other things that DOT comply with in order to do this. Uh, and I'd like DOT to say yeah, correct, whether, whether, it, whether it's possible Sure, and I'll just also say, uh, again, Patrick Butler, for the record, that I think the concern is uh, these roads are in the program. Our concern is that by removing them from the program, subsequently being brought up to, to some standard that is the target, then they'll never be uh, rustic roads uh, beyond that point. So, so, again, if they're in the program now, we're trying to uh, establish the framework for those to be brought up to some standard, yet still a standard that meets the criteria to be qualifying for the rustic roads program all right so but, I, i'm saying it slightly differently but uh i but, think but, similar to what you just said but given that we haven't changed the law yet and that'll you know take the council to to do it the effect of us putting keeping these roads that are not maintained by the county uh into the rustic road programs is that the the, the landowners next to the road will be responsible for maintenance for forever because they can never be acceptable to DOT. Without the solution that I think we're proposing, uh, that, that is one potential uh, scenario. Okay. Thank you for coming, by the way. <laughs> Please introduce yourself. And Hi, uh, Tim Couples, uh, Acting Deputy Director for Transportation Policy for Montgomery County Department of Transportation, uh, for the record. And uh, yeah, so the you know, the discussion on, on the DBU policy is, is accurate. I think the 
you know, we focused on the width. There are other components um, of, of bringing up a road to, to current county standards uh, for safety, for drainage, and, and things of that nature um, beyond just the width. Um, the, you know, and some of it is actually not a, a DOT requirement. It is a, a life safety code requirement. Um, and for the width specifically, um, that is in NFPA 1, the National Fire Protection Standards, uh, where uh, the prescriptive width is 20 feet. And what uh, Montgomery County has done in recent years is adopted a performance-based uh, approach to uh, life safety. So there is some flexibility there, but not, not a whole lot. Um, uh, so yes, is it possible to amend the DBU policy? Yes, that's another body, as you, as you pointed out. We, we do all the legwork, but it gets uh, ultimately taken up by the county council. Um, so it, it is a potential solution. And, and we pointed out, we pointed out not to, we don't have, DOT doesn't have a recommendation on how to resolve it. We just wanted to point it out that, you know, this is a factor we have to consider. And, and we didn't want a decision to be made without understanding the, the ramifications. Um, but that could be a, a viable solution is, is to look and see. It's basically we're, we're punting it down and trying to figure it out later. Um, right. A, a, a as long as it's done with the knowledge that you've put the people in the situation where they'll be maintaining their own road and DOT. <clears throat> We'll have another opportunity to sit on the sidelines and let somebody else maintain it. I'm good at sitting on the sidelines myself. Any other questions on this? I, I just, framing this slightly differently, I'm thinking about this like a bubble diagram, right? So we've got these two bubbles, right? Rustic roads and everything else that meets standard. And these are the things that meet at the, at the crossover, right? And it seems to me we need to find a way to get them securely into one bubble or the other. And I, I like staff's position to say, yeah, let, let's amend, you know, we've, we've got the standard of rustic roads agreeable. Let's, let's stretch that to these DBU roads as they come in, um, come into play. That seems to be the right answer. But I, I do have sort of a contrarian question, which is, are we really on good ground designating a private road as a rustic road? It's not private. It's not private. Okay. It's publicly dedicated. Okay, got it. <laughs> Bad question. You're right. We're known to <laughs> We shouldn't designate private. <laughs> so. Um, Ms. Branson. Thank you. Um, oh. Yeah, no, oh, I sorry. Right. No, was Amy next? No. Okay. Um, I mean, Commissioner Preston, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so I just want to be real clear because, okay, so I know one of these roads. I've been down one of the, at least one of these roads, the Old Orchard Road. And Old Orchard Road, I don't know if you pull it up on a Google map, because that's in East County. And so I think it, it, it goes along and then it bends around and then it comes back up. So it's, it's off of New Hampshire. It goes along, bends around, comes back up. There's a point at which it bends that I think it becomes St. Mary's Road or something. Because um, there, there's another look. And, and I think the St. Mary's part is not paved. Anyway, I've been down this road, okay. <laughs> literally and figuratively. Okay, so, so here, is, um, here is my question about these rustic roads. I just want to be really clear, at least for the for the dedicated but unmaintained roads. Um, first of all, historically, how did they become a short answer, if possible? How did they become unmaintained? 
I mean, how, how did they just, uh, we just wake up one day and say, you know, we just not going to fool with that road anymore. I mean, how, how did that happen? That's my first question. Okay. So, so it wasn't that they were maintained and suddenly stopped being maintained. Um, vast majority of the roads in the county actually aren't built by the county. They're built by developers and, and okay. dedicated to public use. So uh, these roads were ones that um, were built by adjacent property owners or by a developer who then sold the lots that they developed. The, the adjacent owners are the heirs to that developer. They, they acquired all the rights and responsibilities when they purchased the land. And so the original builder of the road never met county standards. And there's a variety of reasons why that, <coughs> that happened. Some of them just walked away from their permit requirements. Some of them predate um, you know, modern approaches. Um, there's 77 of these, and each probably has a, its own own story. Okay. Um, so uh, the bottom line is that it it is the obligation of the heirs of the original constructor of the road to bring it up to county standards before we can accept it. Uh, and so that's that's kind of how that's that's DOT policy. That that was DOT's policy okay. and. So let me ask but you something. Was, Do these people pay less taxes or something being on this road? Do they pay less property taxes? Um, so if you go into the history of the creation of that, it's not that they, in a way, they do pay less property taxes. Their rate is the same. But the value of their home is lower because it comes with the it, it, yeah, because it, it comes it, with it the road. It doesn't have the same level of service right. that is, is provided. Right. So it, it's in theory, it is reflected in, in the value of the home, and all this is kind of outlined. And this is why, you know, why you know, property owners wanted to have a way to get out from underneath kind of this obligation because we don't maintain it's their responsibility to maintain it. That that's an expense to the adjacent property owners. Um, bringing it up to standards, you know, the policy created an avenue where that can occur through an assessment where the property owner doesn't have to come up with all the money up front and they can kind of pay it back to the county over a period, I think it was 20 years or 30 years in the policy. I can't remember. Is that exactly. still, I mean, that you, you can pay for your road on time. It's like layaway road. I mean, <laughs> okay. So um, I just like to explain these things so that everybody can understand what we're talking about here. So, so this is really very circular. I mean, what, what you're saying in effect is that, um, Yes, these people pay the same property tax rate as everyone else, but by definition, their property is devalued because of the nature of the road, but the county still collects their property taxes. Yeah. And, and, and it just seems to me that somehow some service is owed here. So, so, so what, what I am trying to get to is the recommendation for the change in the policy. Can, can you say that again, now that I've gotten all this in my head? Yeah, sorry, Commissioner Branson, I'm gonna jump in really quick before uh, Jamie does that and just clarify that this section of uh, Old Orchard is between Ednor and Norbeck. Um, oh, that's not my section of Old Orchard. Right, There's another right. section so of Old I Orchard that's off of the... New Hampshire. Um, oh yeah, there is, I pass it every day. I'm just saying that for, the, for this plan, <laughs> that, that section is, I, 
again, wanted to clarify uh, for the okay. program our recommendation. Okay. So, but anyway, so that's why it does. That's why I'm not seeing St. Mary's. Okay. So there's there's anyway. That, that's beside the point. The the I you know I don't think it's any accident that a lot of this is going on in East County. You you said you said three. Did you say three of these four roads that we're talking about are in East County? Um, uh, well, three of, yeah, one of them, Et Etchison, is um, not really a problem because the part that's recommended isn't on the DBU list, at least as far as we could tell. Uh, it goes up to the sign that says end of county maintenance, and okay. so we feel like we're probably okay on that one. So three of the other, of the other four are in the East County. Okay, so now, Tell me what your recommendation for policy change is again. That's what I'm really trying to wrap my head around now that I understand the problem. Um, well, we are recommending that the DBU policy be updated to contain uh, some pathway by which these um, three roads are essentially uh, can be brought up to a standard that the county would then accept to do maintenance on. By so, whom? Who, who is be, the bringer-upper? It would still be just like any other DBU road where the residents along that road would have to pay for it. Because, um, like uh, you said, there's maybe 77 roads on this list, and they're all treated more or less the same way. These are special because if they brought them up to 18 or 20-foot standard, then they would no longer have the rustic characteristics that makes them part of this program to begin with. Right. So we thought there might be some path by which you could still keep that rustic character it has today, but bring it up to some level of safety and, and road surface, uh, subsurface, drainage, all these issues that have to be addressed based on the policy. You know, do those in such a way, though, that it still retains its rustic character. See, but you keep saying you. This is what I'm trying to get at. This is... This would still be the responsibility of these homeowners. Is that is yeah. that right? I'm trying to get a who pays. Yes, it's it, it's uh, no matter how the DBU road ended up on the DBU list, the policy requires that the people who live along it maintain it, uh, pay for the uh, improvements to bring it up to a certain standard. So and, the best again, thing for the people who live along the road, who may be retired on fixed income, whatever, whatever. Uh, who may who may not just have an extra however many thousand dollars sitting around the the best thing for them would be just leave this be just just leave this exactly as it is is that i mean probably yeah and so i'm trying to understand what incentive they would have to do this without county assistance see i really have a problem with government imposing upon people obligations that People can't necessarily meet. Right. And, and so that's what I'm trying to get to. That's why I keep asking you who's paying for all this. Because if it's the people who live there, you know, it seems to me more, more governmental assistance needs to be involved. We just can't dump this on right. these people and call it a new policy. We, we have two levels of decision making here. One is do we include them or not include them in rustic roads? And I tried to go through what the implications of that. The second one is if you want to give them an out, um, do you want to make it easier or not? Uh, whether there are subsidies to that or not, you can decide that later. But those are our two 
options right now. Do you want them included, which, of course, keeps uh, no maintenance as the, as the rule, mm-hmm. uh, and, and no option without going to the amended language to, to really change that if you make them a rustic road? So, sure. I, I support keeping them as rustic roads and pursuing the policy staff that's brought forward. I do want to be clear, though, on which is the cart and which is the horse, right? Because it seems to me what we're saying is if we include them as rustic roads, that may qualify them for this different track in a change D, DBU policy, right? And that, that's the path. Not that that can be flipped on its head and have people advocating for their, their changes that then, you know, quali- they try to qualify for the rustic road. I think we need to be clear on that. That sequence. Yeah, yeah. For, again, for the record, Patrick Butler, uh, agree with that. And, and look, this is one option uh, as a way to potentially solve this issue. There may be other options that present themselves as we continue to discussion if this recommendation is retained and the, and the council feels the same way. So I'm not saying this is the only solution to allowing roads. There may be others that, that we haven't contemplated yet or haven't worked out yet yeah. at MCDOT. So. And just turning to the representative from DOT for a second. Sure. Are we spinning our wheels on that, or is there a possibility that DOT could see its way to approve that? Well, I mean, I'll tell you, the, the, the development of the original rustic road policy took a, a good long time. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, but I'm an optimistic person. I think, you know, something could, could be figured out. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it, presented to the county council for adoption. I mean, we've, we've modified it once before. Um, the, the, the uh, you know, or we nibbled around the edge of it one other time uh, for, you know, there's a vote that has to occur. And, you know, what happens when the county is the adjacent property owner? What should our vote be? Um, so that that was a wrinkle that we hadn't thought of when the original policy was done. And so it was, it was updated. This is a, another wrinkle that we didn't have to consider when the original policy was done. It doesn't mean that you can't update it. It's just a process. Uh, we would take public input. There was an advisory committee that was established with property owners along these roads. Um, and uh, we came up with a solution. I'm sure we can come up with another solution. I hear, I hear you think you can work with it. And for, the, for the record, Jamie Pratt again. Uh, I just, I, it's not on this slide. It might have been a staff report. We are recommending that no new DBU roads be added as rustic. So we're not going to, those other 70 whatever roads, which by their nature are probably pretty rustic looking, um, we don't want to accept any of those into the program because of the complications. So the ones that are here now are the ones that we've considered to be grandfathered in. I mean, I support staff recommendation on both ends, both to include them uh, in the list of rustic roads and, and to pursue an amendment that allows some future public acceptance of the road. I'm in agreement with that as well. Uh, I think it's especially important because, uh, you know, if they need to be maintained, you know, and we're calling them rustic roads, even though they're dedicated but not maintained, they're not going to meet the quality that we're trying to achieve over time. So there definitely should be some um, more immediate action towards towards getting them accepted. But I, I do agree with staff's recommendations.
I, I, uh, it looks like uh, the chair of the RRAC would like to make a comment. Uh, Laura Van Etten, I'm chair of the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee. I just want to briefly say the policy was updated in 2015 to lower the threshold for the percentage of people on a road who wanted to have their road considered for upgrading, and it went from 60 to 50 percent of the people. Nobody on any of these four rustic roads has asked for their road to be upgraded. That's the only point I want to make. Makes sense to me, uh, you know, because they're content with the existing situation. Uh, okay, we're all everybody okay with that. Let's continue um, on. Well, yeah. no. Well, to this is that there's still a little bit of confusion about whether Poplar Hill Road has been accepted for maintenance. Do you do you know what the story behind that is? The the one that's all grass. No, no. The, the part that's not grass. Oh. The rest of it is still on the DBU list, even though it's been paved, and we're not clear who who paved it. I don't know that I have information on that. We, we have uh, another <laughs> Rustic Road uh, Advisory Committee. Leslie Seville, for the record. Um, DOT um, came in and did improvements uh, with a lot of drainage work and then paved the road. It was very controversial. Some of the neighbors are still not speaking to each other over this. Some of the neighbors are still having to call the police and keep cameras on each other because they're harassing each other over this. But DOT has been maintaining this road since that was done, I think, uh, I think somewhere uh, 2014 to 2016. The bottom end of the road that Jamie has shown the photos of with the grass and whatnot is actually also important because there are utilities through there. The utility companies need to maintain access down there. And for some reason, Amazon trucks try to use that section of road and they periodically get um, uh, buried to the axles and have to get pulled out of that section of road. Uh, when we did... Um, uh, the traffic counts on that road, we also found a crazy number of bicycles coming up that hill. I don't know how they get across the creek, but they get across the creek and they come up the hill en masse. So the bicyclists are also very much using that closed section of road. The road is gated, but it is not locked. Okay, so, but the... Your testimony is that DOT has been maintaining this. Yes. Uh, you had uh, two of the, no, one of the residents here at the public hearing. I spoke to her about it then. Um, they get full maintenance, uh, including okay. snow All right. removal. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so so we, we have a, uh, a road that's not maintained that's maintained. Uh, so whatever whatever it is, it should be included in the Rustic Roads Master Plan. And and DOT can tell us more if they have more information on which category it should be in. Okay. As I understand the story here, though, for the road part that's now missing, uh, it's had to do with the the bridge problem. Um, but is there an aspirational sense that that part of the road should 
come back into existence? It, sounds, it seems like there's the ability to do that, but whether there's the will to do that, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what is specified in the master plan for the area. I think that, that's where the, the vision comes for the, the, the transportation network. Um, we, we have, yeah. come on back up. You might as well sit there. <laughs> Uh, that section of Leslie Seville, for the record, that section of road is uh, very steep, and it's on highly erodible soils. That was part of the reason that that section was gated off. That section of road would wash out on a fairly regular basis. Uh, the other thing is there are no driveways down there. The road goes steeply down, uh, switch, switches back and used to cross the bridge. So, so the answer is no, there's no aspiration to, to make this a, a road again. We don't think it's in the master plan to... From a vehicular standpoint, no, we're not recommending that. Our recommendation uh, is that this segment be removed. If it's used as trail, okay. uh, foot, et cetera, that, so, that is fine moving forward. So what's left satisfies frontage requirements for the properties that are there and there's no desire for through traffic right. via that route? That, that's correct. That's a recommendation. Okay. They have other access. The community uh, has specifically said they do not wish to have the bridge replaced and uh, past conversations with DOT. They were in agreement with that, so that was uh, something everybody was happy with. Again, the access issue is for utility repairs. Right. Uh, but, I mean, we're taking a road that's not a road off of a Rustic Roads master plan. I think that's we're all okay with that. Um, next, shall we proceed? Yes, we shall. So my understanding before we proceed is that you agree with the recommendation to update the policy if to allow some sort of pathway. And keep them in the master plan. And keep them in the master plan. And then for Poplar Hill, remove the section there where there's no longer a road. Right. All right excellent. So that that was the that was the easy part of this presentation. <laughs> I didn't know we got graded. Um, so the next section is about bridges. Um, there's multiple assets of bridges that um, need to be discussed as part of work sessions. There are issues about funding uh, replacements and some of the language in the plan uh, that we're not addressing in this um, presentation. Um, but unfortunately, there is an error in the staff report that says we're not going to discuss the individual bridges, which is exactly what we intend to do. Um, so we would like to proceed to the extent possible at our discussion of the bridges. And if um, that unfortunate statement in the staff report uh, throws us to a point where we're going to have to resume this discussion later, then uh, so be it. Uh, so let's get started with bridges as significant features. Um, so MCDOT was asking why we're adding so many new bridges as significant features. Currently there are 12, uh, and there are 28 new recommended, recommended significant feature bridges. Uh, so MCDOT took a look at the bridges and made their own um, assessment as to whether there was something significant about these bridges or whether they just seem like ordinary bridges. Um, and so um, as, a, as a little bit of a review, the significant features according to county code must be preserved when the road is maintained or improved. So we need to 
keep that word preserved in mind. So then there are extensive executive regulations that cover the replacement of bridges on rustic roads. And it doesn't even specify that they have to be a significant feature. This just applies to bridges along rustic roads. So you'll see in the bolded text on the screen, uh, it's all about the character of the road, uh, the design, the material, the scale. It's, it's, it doesn't say you have to like take that road that's there, that bridge that's there and make an exact duplicate of it. So it stresses um, the character uh, and sometimes the width is part of that character. Uh, sometimes the bridge deck has to be compatible in width to the width of the roadway. Sometimes it can't be any wider when they replace it. Um, so MCD, DOT does agree that bridge replacements should preserve the existing aesthetic uh, of the road um, when bridge replacements are necessary, but it doesn't think that the ordinary bridges should be designated significant. Uh, and they suggest that the plan identify what other objectives should be achieved when these ordinary bridges are rehabilitated or reconstructed if they are named significant features. Uh, they additionally suggested if it is not feasible to retain an existing bridge that perhaps the road could be realigned and a new bridge constructed, but the old bridge is maintained, uh, retained that is, either for pedestrian or bicycle use, for example, or perhaps just thoroughly documenting the previous bridge to preserve its history before you replace it. Um, so planning staff agrees with MCDOT that many of the newly recommended bridges do appear ordinary. Um, but we agree with the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee that these narrow bridges make a significant contribution to the character of the roads that they are on. Um, we also agree with the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee that realigning the road and preserving the old bridge separately or just through documentation, these are not acceptable alternatives. Um, so as a, another review of what is a significant feature, this is the entire sentence from County Code. When the council classifies a road as a rustic road or an exceptional rustic road, the council must identify the significant features of each road that must be preserved when the road is maintained or improved. So staff recommends that we retain the bridges as significant features, whether they're ordinary or not. And uh, because we do believe that they are an important part of the character of those roads. Um, but we do recommend that we add clarifying text um, to either identify the visual characteristics of the bridge that are important to preserve or something similar so that this notion that they must be preserved doesn't mean that you can't change something about it. So either the county code needs to be slightly tweaked to be more specific or some clarifying text could be added to the plan around bridges as significant features that further expands upon this notion of what it means to be preserved. Um, so this is a list of the bridges that are currently or recommended as significant features. We've put red boxes around the ones that are um, merely ordinary bridges, if you will. Uh, and we're prepared to show pictures of which bridges everyone agrees are significant, which ones not everyone agrees are significant. And so we could look at them to kind of get an idea of what, why DOT does believe some of them are significant. Um, you know, we don't need to go through all 40 of these bridges, uh, 
but we can go through a few of them just to get an idea. I, I would like to know from DOT, if I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Tim, Tim Couples. Uh, Mr. Couples, uh, um, uh, if you think any of these bridges propose a safety hazard as measured by actual accidents. So based on crash history, I can research that and provide you uh, an answer. Um, the, the challenge with the, with when we have to work on a bridge, a couple things come into play as far as safety. Uh, I'll, I'll limit just to safely. There's, there's a whole, whole bunch of compromises you have to make when you're trying to, to design something to, to suit the needs of the community. Um, the, the, the biggest safety challenges um, are the, the barrier on the bridge. And uh, some of the bridges um, predate any kind of scientific approach to designing those barriers. Um, some of the bridges, there were scientific approaches, uh, but vehicles have gotten larger and heavier. And, and you know, what they were designed for, you cannot design a, a barrier to keep a vehicle on the bridge um, in that way uh, anymore. So, so those are kind of the, the technical safety challenges. The other one that, that comes in, and it's, it's somewhat of a function of, of uh, uh, the, the number of vehicles that use the road, um, but that is the width. And if you have a, you know, um, so consistency is really important in, in a uh, transportation segment, right? So if, if we were to suddenly have a, an artificial narrowing of a bridge or, or a road for a bridge, and we used to do that because it was cheaper, um, you know, that can be a safety hazard um, because, you know, if you're narrower on a, on a road without a drop-off, you know, in theory, there's a shoulder, there's a recovery zone, something that you can correct your, your course before you strike an object that's, that's going to cause a crash. Um, you, have, you don't have that opportunity on, on a bridge. So that's why, you know, we're always trying to balance the, the width of the bridge um, and, and provide a recovery zone and provide a, um, you know, a barrier that is safe. At the same token, you know, this is something that we're frequently discussing with the Rustic Road Advisory Committee um, because it's important to the community. Uh, you know, this, this bridge has looked a certain way for all these years, and, and how can we best, you know, meet the safety needs and, and, and you know, come up with something that um, looks appropriate uh, for the environment? Um, so I, I can certainly research the, the crash history at these bridges for you, but those are the general, um, two general safety concerns outside of alignment that, that, that you might have. And I think right now the, the difference between a significant resource and a non-listed resource is you can't widen the road, the roadbed at all. Do I remember that right? Um, so or a significant resource uh, to, uh, for a bridge you can't widen the roadbed or something 
Well, uh, well no Jamie's sorry, go going through that. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm just going to say, while Jamie's going through that, I do also want to say that, um, yeah. you know, safety comes in many forms and in many different modes. And so uh, we're not trying to just promote vehicular travel here across the county on rustic roads, on all of our roads. We're looking at multiple modes and safety of those. Uh, these uh, bridges, these features uh, also, uh, you know, present an opportunity for uh, traffic calming and reduced speeds. Um, and so inherently widening the road, widening a bridge, uh, the, the cars are going to travel faster on there. So um, if, there, if there is concern about, uh, you know, a course correction because of, um, you know, this natural, this uh, traffic calming feature, then perhaps we can talk about ways we can do that before and after the bridge rather than you're at the bridge and right. then you have to decide. I, I, I'm just so. trying to get to the inherent conflict that's in the code itself right now is that you, you can improve except for safety. Uh, so, so I'm looking for evidence of safety. And if you are correct that it's traffic calming enough so, so everybody knows it's obviously dangerous and they slow down, I, I think that's okay. As long as there aren't, people aren't going into the side of the bridge because of a, they can't see, Whatever reason, I'm not going to make up reasons. <laughs> um, no, thank you. Right now, um, uh, you know. So I, I I see again the same kind of solution uh, that we just did for the the roads uh, not maintained, which is put everything in rustic roads and then work on the solution uh, to this inherent conflict. Of, of what you can then do with that that bridge. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I had to say it. <laughs> you said it quite well. <laughs> Sorry about that. And the road less traveled. No, no the, these are traveled. Uh, and you can include, if there are bike crashes, you know, if you're saying it's all used for bikes, include bike crashes too. Sure, as a recent example, um, we're, we're looking at traffic calming features, at safety features. As a recent example, um, uh, speed humps uh, to a certain extent were uh, just uh, agreed upon as a, an accepted feature. And so this could be a continuation of that conversation in a slightly different form like you're describing. I don't see why but, that would be a problem. Yeah, and the language you have up that bottom line is, is what I was recalling, you know, uh, Bridges on exceptional roads. Uh, I would, I would, I would say, if you made the bridge significant, it would follow that guideline as well. Uh, and it's whether that is something that DOT thinks that the traveling public would be safe with it as well, as measured by real crashes, as opposed to as measured by code standards. You see what I'm saying? Well. well Excuse me? Um, I, I don't know that I would necessarily, uh, how do I, well. I want to just <laughs> clarify that what you see on the screen, it says on bridges, but what it should have said is on bridges along rustic roads. Uh, the so last every, line? The entire screen, everything in bold applies to bridges right. on rustic yeah, roads. Yeah, sure. So, um, the significant feature, oh, so you're saying that if a bridge is a significant feature, you think that it then should be treated the same way as bridges on exceptional rustic I am. It, it makes it simpler. 
Uh, but but I, I think we, we still have to work out this, this balance between um, what you can do for safety and not. Uh, because if the council really wants to be able to um, have DOT replace a bridge at a different location on a rustic road, it should say that. Uh, and there should be some justification for that in the code as opposed to us trying to make it up as we go along, in my humble opinion. Uh, no. Commissioner Hill. I, I'm struck that um, I, I, the implication of what uh, you said, Mr. Couples, is that you know, the, the bridge should be as wide as the roadway is as a general standard for transportation purposes. Is that, am I taking that correctly? Uh, well, well, actually, today we actually try and make it e even a little bit wider. A little wider, okay. Um, you know, it, it's similar, you know, even for to, to recognize the point was made about the bicycle traffic, when we have a, a you know a bike path on, on the bridge, yeah. we'll actually try and make it a little bit <coughs> because your, your margin for error is gone. Right, but um, but the engineering purpose of doing that though is really moving the greatest amount of traffic you can through that transportation corridor, right? Safety. No, it's independent of the amount of traffic. It's safety. It, it, okay. it is it is all about um, a margin. You know, a, a driver driving down the road is generally going to stay in the center but not always and the the a bridge any kind of hard object adjacent to the road is a hazard to that pedestrian vehicle cyclist yeah. whatever and so the the notion is that providing a little bit of recovery if you get offline a little bit before mm -hmm. you strike an object is desirable that that's kind of what is embodied in the current design standards, okay. the national ones. And it kind of went without saying, but the, the kind of art that we may be faced with here, you talk about barriers, the sides of the bridge in Williamson's terms, right? That's also the most visible part of a bridge usually, right? Which is why this is arising. But but it does strike me, and, and Mr. Butler mentioned it, that one of the objectives, I think, on rustic roads, though, is to have some calming effect, right? We, we don't straighten out the roads because the meandering is what gives you the experience, and that does have a calming effect. And it seems to me a very frequent calming thing that we are doing in places is providing narrower and not not just building the road that way but by putting in paths and putting in bump outs that make the road seem narrower and a lot of uh, pedestrian or uh, um, residential streets is also a calming effect and we're having that effect in these bridges and that fits with the spirit of rustic travel I think do, do yeah that's correct and, and again if there are other ways that we can alert you know drivers um, that that in a way Sorry. that uh, create safety the um the signals that there's about to be a some constraint some obstacles some, you know some uh feature there's a way to signal that while while driving while not you know uh diminishing the the rural character over all of that road i mean again we're we're willing to talk about those safety features or what mm -hmm. what those signals are before and after bridges uh it just you know, again, it, it feels like, well, it's a safety issue. We're going to widen the bridge. It's just not the right right answer. Yeah. I, would, I would agree with you, Commissioner uh, Hill, that a narrower road can reduce speeds. The, the thing, though, that is important is the transitions, right? So there's a, there's a target speed for the road. You're, you're traveling down the road, and you're not going to want to abruptly nope. narrow. So the transitions become really, really important. To consider so it, it shouldn't just be all of a sudden we surprise a driver and, it, and it's narrower even if it's a road that they drive 
time and time and time again, mm -hmm. they're not always paying attention. Yeah. And so that, that's the only thing I think would, would add to your statement is that there has to be appropriate transitions for the speed that you want the vehicles to be driving. The, the Rustic Road Committee representative wants to say something. I hope this pertains to the recommendation that all these roads be in the master plan and we work on this language. Uh, Barbara Hoover with the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee. Um, I just wanted to take a step back and remind everybody. I don't want to the, take a step back. The whole reason for the Rustic Roads program is the one-lane bridge in the Glen in Potomac, Maryland. The Department of Transportation had been seeking for years to widen it for all of these reasons, and there was such a public outcry about messing with the one-lane bridges that it re did result in this Rustic Roads program with Montgomery County that we're so proud of. Uh, most recently, uh, the Department of Transportation sought to not only recommend a widening of the bridge, but to install traffic lights. It again resulted in the same sort of overwhelming um, citizen response against doing this. Okay. So, um, we're, we're in the course of trying to recommend that everything to, to be a rustic road, to make these significant and work on the language to, to make, uh, 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 allow DOT to still do its job to, to enforce safety in a reasonable way. So that, that's where we're, what we're trying to do. I think, I think you. you didn't say anything to dissuade me from that. Uh, Commissioner. Branson. It's <laughs> <laughs> late, Jeff. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm <laughs> terrible. All right, very sorry. Um, so I just want to recap uh, my understanding of this is that we, we basically have once again this definitional conundrum, if you will, between um, significant and ordinary and what that means and what and 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 whether safety, quote unquote safety, should play more, should, excuse me, whether factors other than safety should be involved. Is that is that where we are? On the bridge issue? I'm just looking for, number one, to designate everything, even if it looks ordinary, as a significant feature. Okay. But then to work out in legislation uh, the, the balance be between uh, safety and preservation. Okay. And, and that is... A part of my question is about, you know, this definitional framework of significant versus ordinary. I understand what you want to do, and I'm totally okay with that. But but I think we should also really set some parameters here because I'm not certain of what they are. And then, then the uh, between significant and ordinary, um, even though I agree with, uh, with the chair's approach. The second thing... Um, I really want to ask about is on the list of bridges, I see that there are some that were not rated by DOT. And I was just curious as to um, as, as to what happened. I mean, they just didn't get around to it or, I mean, what, what happened with, with those particular bridges? I think they're like, what, two or three that were not rated? I see one. Okay, what, what happened? What, why wasn't two. that one? Yeah, I think it's two. Um, so um, it's Big Wood, Big Woods Road, excuse me, 
and uh, Brian's nursery row. Yeah, uh, this is Jamie Pratt for the record. Um, these were not rated by uh, DOT because the significant feature identified in those two cases is not, does not actually state the word bridge, but instead refers to the stream crossing or the river crossing. So the crossing of the creek or the stream or the river was the significant feature, but it did not actually say that the bridge itself was significant. So they did not look at the do bridge. Do they have bridges? They do have bridges. <laughs> uh, for some reason on those, and I don't know the history behind those, um, but for some reason for those two roads, when they were designated rustic, they merely uh, identified the crossing itself. And, and maybe because they thought at the time the bridge itself was ordinary, Mm-hmm. but that the stream crossing itself was a significant part of the experience of traveling that road. So well, there are two of those, which um, they do cross on county bridges, but the bridge itself isn't specified. Okay, so um, I know Brian's Nursery Road is um, is in Cloverleaf. Um, uh, so um, I don't know where this uh, Big Woods Road is. But anyway, um, so I, I, I point that out, Mr. Chairman, to to ask that what you are including in your include everything also includes these these uh, bridges that are rated not that are d- deemed not oh, rated. Of course, those thing, okay. those things are no changes. Okay, it's only the things in the red boxes that they're they're thinking of of. Uh, Adding, I think. But let, let me ask for clarification. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I would think that we want these to be rated, to be consistent. Is that a point you were making? I would. I would assume. Well, I, I would suggest yes that they become rated, but I secondly, agree. that um, Jeff wanted uh, Commissioner Zions wanted to. Uh, create an overarching approach and so I wanted to make sure that these these things were included in that overarching approach but he says that it that wouldn't matter because his approach would only affect the the things that are being changed is that right not quite Um, let's go through it again the only reason the word ordinary here is not because of anything in the statute or the current master plan. It, it's sort of a determination on the design of the bridge. Right, and the and ones that are not rated do, do not. But there's still uh, significant features already in the master plan. So the the what I'm asking for in legislation is how you treat uh, bridges, whether or not they are significant, on a rustic road, uh, and and to treat them um, uh, sensitively, whether or not they are significant. Uh, they already seem to be. I don't think the word significant changes the, the legislation okay. itself. Uh, but uh, just so everybody is clear on what the council wants DOT to do or not do. So I'm asking for that legislative clarity to the extent possible. <laughs> okay. I, I have a, just a, no. Thinking, thinking about this as the general population <laughs> and the burden on the general population, not the interested population. And 
I'm wondering if there's a distinction to be made here that we're saying that the significant bridges may warrant a different cost factor to get the preservation element of this in play, and the ordinary bridges may fall to the side of, of not having that. Again, we're, we're designating these things as significant features. The ordinary applies to the architecture or design of, of the bridge. So there are two separate things. Once you, uh, once you designate it as significant, there should be legislation that, that allows you to tell you your range of motion. Uh, and that's what I'm asking for clarity. The word ordinary to this is just confusing um, because it, it's a classification of the architecture. Um, uh, and it's DOT's rating, not in, not in the master plan. Right. Agreed. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, Commissioner Presley, are you still okay? Yeah, I put my hand back down. Okay. You answered me. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, do you have enough on that? I think we have consensus on it. We don't have to go through individual bridges. Right. No, okay. Well, um, we did prepare them. I'm going to fly through them. Um, no. I, they, they are neat. I, yeah, I some take bikes on them. I don't take cars. Put, put this one in here as an example of a bridge um, where that was replaced by DOT, where the improvement is. Um, an improvement over the original bridge. So I don't want the, the code or the plan to tie the hands of DOT to actually make a better bridge than the one that's currently there. So that's that's what I'm trying to avoid is like when you replace that road, there is on Pennyfield that has to look exactly like the old one. Right, really the only change looks like the guardrails. You know, it's the only obvious thing on the bridge. And a lot of times that's true, is, is that the visible thing is the guardrails. Uh, there are very few streams where people are traveling under them. They're too low. But I think to complete that thought, Jamie, we're saying that the, the bridge was improved not at the detriment of the classification of the road. Yes. Here's an example where one of the bridges is ordinary. You see at the top, it, it's just guardrails is the only thing you can really see. But at, at the bottom, it's got those new rails. Uh, and just the visual appearance of the bridge is, is just more, it's more visually pleasing. Was, was that objectionable? No, no, the DOT rated the bottom one is significant and the top one is ordinary. We'll see the difference. Anything now that we've gone through this and have a decision? I just wanted to say that um, Rustic Roads Advisory Committee has long been very enthusiastic about the steelback timber guardrails, but under the current crash requirements, we are no longer being allowed to have those. So where we are all admiring the lovely uh, timber guardrails, at the moment, we can't have those on replacement well, bridges. There are some things that the safety people say and, you know. Well, in this particular case, it's simply that they haven't been tested for safety. 
And so, you know, um, the committee may be talking to council about providing DOT with some uh, money to do some testing. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and again, I would say that that, we, we, you know, we're talking about that. Additional safety features, things that may be in our toolbox that aren't there yet or have been and now aren't, maybe they'll be back. Uh, we'll continue that conversation if we want to keep these in the program. And, and the, the current regulations do allow for flexibility, which I think is good. State and park roads. This one is, at least to me, this one is too easy. Okay. We, we give guidance to state roads. We give guidance to uh, the Public Utilities Commission, neither of which has to uh, have to go with any master plan that we say, unless state law says they have to comply with a master plan. But we give the guidance that we want to them. And if we think that it should be designated uh, a rustic road with minimal improvements, that's our guidance to them. Uh, we will make that recommendation uh, on mandatory referrals. And, and the, you know, I respect the state. They're the star and the flag, and we are not. Um, so they can do what they want, but our guidance would be to do minimal improvements. Is that sufficient for your guidance on the state and rest? <laughs> I'm, I'm satisfied. That, that, uh, that, I mean, that, that, that this, we, you know, uh, we are aspirational in our, in our scope. Um, and we, we don't control the world, but sometimes we like to influence the world. And this is one of those times, so. I was just going to say, uh, everything you've said is true. It does help to influence conversations and negotiations with the state and when these projects come online. So at the end of the day, the words do matter. And, and uh, But, it, you know, I appreciate everything you're saying. I'd just like to ask, uh, what, what was the alternative? Not putting these in them, yes. the plan because they're state roads? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's pretty much the alternative. The, the county code itself does specify that state and park roads should be designated rustic if they qualify, and they hope that those agencies will abide by yeah. the policies regarding those rustic roads. Right, and I, I agree with what the chair said, that this is an aspiration, and we're expressing our aspiration. And Okay, see, I told you that one was easy. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sorry, sir. It's a, uh, I understand your position as well. For the record, uh, again, uh, Roberto Duke, and now we'll go over recommendations by category. And the first one are roads with no major changes. Um, we have three roads here uh, that uh, where we received comments, and we'll talk about uh, Bentley Road and Meeting House Road with the extent, because those are the comments that we received for those two roads. Uh, then uh, Mount Nebo Road, um, we received a comment regarding the two uh, one-lane culverts uh, as significant features. Um, <clears throat> again, I want to show just the map of where these roads are in relation to the county. Um, so many of the roads are in uh, the western portion of the county. And uh, yeah, Mount, Mount Nebo is, is right in this particular area. So we do have a slide for Mount Nebo. And, uh, we received testimony to say that, to ask that the uh, two, uh, two one-lane culverts uh, 
be listed as significant features uh, by the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee. Uh, the plan did not list those as uh, significant features. And we uh, did a Google uh, Street View of uh, both the areas to see exactly, you know, how wide these, these, these culvert areas were. And what we could find is they're the same width as the road itself. Um, so we were thinking that that would not have to be included in the plan. And we'd like your... Uh, you know, it's the rustic road plan, not the rustic culvert plan. Uh, and I don't see visually any significance to the culvert. It's not like it's some arch that you can see from from some side view or some historic place. And, and we do have a, a Google Street View if you want to go down it or, or not. Or we, can, we, we have the Rustic Road Advisory Committee want to say something. Mr. Corbin and Chair, just a quick comment. Those are not good photos. It, it's significantly narrow and beautiful. And um, that's why we asked for them to be included. Watching, looking at these roads on Google Street View is like watching an IMAX movie on your phone. It is not doing significance to these roads. I am persuaded by the staff's comments that a culvert um, is not listed as a significant feature. And, and that seems to be the the feature uh, of this Mount Nebo Road. Is that is is, is that the issue? It, no, it's it's not the only feature of the road. There there are other features along the road. Um, well, what other features along the road would render it um, within this qualification? Well, it's rustic by its nature. Uh, right. The volume of traffic, width of the road, all of these other criteria. Okay. Sure. Uh, in terms of Mount Nebo uh, Road, it, the significant feature is the alignment with curves and elevation changes along uh, half of the road. So that's what's uh, listed as a significant feature. Okay. So it's really kind of the alignment and, and how the road uh, flows through with the topography. Okay. So I was confused by the the um, the uh, indication here that that. The, the language here that specifically says culvert, so, you know. Um, but that's not what you want us to, to, to well, and look at. We're not saying that the, this road should not be in the program. It's just this particular feature uh, okay. shouldn't be listed as a significant feature. Gotcha. So it can remain in the program and we just remove the culverts. We don't include the culvert. Right. <laughs> we don't, we don't remove the culvert. the culvert. Right, okay. I think that's fair. I mean... Uh, Amy, uh, excuse me, I Commissioner Presley. Thank you. I just wanted to to ask the committee if they have issue with that. I mean, we're still saying the road is a rustic road, right? But the culverts themselves are not a significant feature. Do they not agree with that? I, I will mention that this kind of challenges me on something I hope to bring up at some point, which is, are we really talking about the corridors of the roads or the surface of the road? Well, let them answer the question that, that was asked by... Of course, we, 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 I thought addressed it to us. we want the road to continue to be in the program. It's just we wanted to add these as significant features. The, the so they're feature. much better looking in the picture. Okay. 
But so I just want to understand the implication of that. Does that mean that should any maintenance have to be done, they have to ensure that, you know, like cohorts are preserved to the extent that they can be? Is that? Well, maintenance has been done there. We, we um, arranged for maintenance to be done there this year. So a lot of the shrubs were cut back and things. Um, signage is important there so people know the road is narrowing. Um, we haven't had any complaints about the culverts and the width. We've just had complaints that trees were overhanging it. But okay, so I mean, it would yeah. not, it wouldn't be an issue then to remove culvert specifically from the language. Right, I mean, you could use stream crossings if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I get it. Thank you, that answers my question. Okay, are we ready to proceed or yeah. do you want to? So the decision here is to not, not, include. not include it, okay. Uh, so with the nominated roads, um, we have, uh, there were 25 roads that were recommended for the plan. Um, six uh, we did not consider uh, for the plan itself, um, and the other 19 we did. Uh, we received comments on two of them. One is Ockert Lane, and the other one is Holsey Road. And so we have uh, right here, Here's, here's Ockert right here, and Holsey is up right. here for those two. And so with um, Ockert, we did receive public comments um, requesting that this road be included in the program um, uh, because of uh, the history of, of, of uh, the road, or the people that lived along the road itself. Um, the plan did not recommend designated as rustic. And, you know, we believe that while it meets uh, some of the criteria uh, for rustic road designation, the visual characteristics uh, really don't distinguish uh, this particular road. And we do have a street view um, if you would like to, to go down this particular street um, just to see. And this is right at the, the intersection of uh, Holsey and Holly Grove. Ockard and Holly Grove Road. Uh, any comments from the board? Do you want to? Uh... Yeah, my, um... I, I am highly influenced by what the residents of the roads want for their environment. Um, so I would, I think that cuts in opposite directions on these two. Right? It seems to me that there are people that, at least the historical groups and all, they may not be directly residents, but they certainly have an interest in that area. I would tend to defer to their judgment on whether this qualifies or not, as long as it's just not plainly, you know, um, plainly absurd to, to do that. Halsey Road, on the other hand, we have direct testimony from people that live there that they don't want to. Right? <laughs> and I, don't, I think if we make the principle to, to largely respect what the residents want, the, the most directly affected people want for that environment, I think that's the common thread. Wow. Are we, yeah, okay, sure. a couple things. And um, would, it be, would it be helpful to go down this road? Uh, you know, we could. We sure, can go let's... down this road. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, well, I, I'm just showing, sorry. Yeah, but this is, this is Holly Grove right here, and mm -hmm. this is Ockard uh, Lane. And, um, you know, as you go down the road, um, to staff, it has the feeling of more of a suburban. It's a lane road character um, rather mm -hmm. rather than um, 
you know, the historic road itself. Um, yes, it's important, you know, with the community that was around that area and everything, um, but the road itself, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, if you look at the criteria with the, the vistas and the natural features and, and that sort of thing, yeah. some of it, yeah. And, and okay, um, I think, okay, so does Bryant, Nursery Road, Holly Grove, and Ockard all come together at some point? I mean, I feel like I feel like these are all in the same little area. Excuse me, you said Holly Grove. Well, Holly Grove Road is at the intersection. Right, of Ockard. Of Ockard. And then Bryant's Nursery, is it pick up? Bryant's Nursery is um, north of that. Holly Grove crosses um, the road there to a part that is not being considered rustic, and then it intersects Bryant's Nursery, I think. Right, Holly Grove starts on, what is that, Norwood or Norbeck or something? Holly Grove is, is, is right here, um, and that starts on um, uh, New, New, New Hampshire. No, it doesn't start on New Hampshire. It's either Norbeck or Norbeck. Norwood. Norbeck. Well, okay. What's your point? My, my point is that, you know, <laughs> my question is not, not a point, my, it's a question. I was asking whether all three of these little, all three of these roads actually you know, come come together at some point. They they it intermingle at some point. Because I think Bryant's nursery kind of dead ends, and then something else picks up, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. Because I'm trying to give these folks on Ockard the benefit of the doubt as to why they believe they should be included, and and you know. Um, um, so that's what I'm wondering. There's a portion of uh, Holly Grove that connects to Bryant's Nursery. Uh, there's also south of Norwood, uh, uh, Holly Grove Road as well. So. The portion of Holly Grove that we are recommending as rustic is only this section south of Norwood. We don't think that Awkward Lane meets the same visual. We, we couldn't find a significant feature. In other words, the significant feature might be that there is a history of uh, early African-American settlements there, but it's hard for DOT to preserve the fact that there was history there when they maintained the road. So it almost becomes a meaningless, significant feature. And then you're left with nothing because the visual characteristics of the road are um, less. And to be clear, the significant feature has to be um, a physical feature and not a historical feature. Uh, yeah, but sometimes it's an historic alignment. And but so. Historic alignment. As, what does historic alignment mean? I don't know what that means. Historic alignment would be uh, a feature of the road, how it aligns. Oh, okay, how, how the road runs, if you will. Okay, and, and so, um, but the history of the community along the road is not significant. No. At, uh, the lady from the, I'm sorry, <laughs> from the <laughs> Rusty Road Advisory Commission. So I'm reading from County Code Jamie had on a previous slide, Leslie Seville for the record, sorry. Uh, and one of the options is provides access to historic resources, follows historic alignments, or highlights historic landscapes. In this case, I think follows historic alignments exactly as the guys were discussing is, um, is one of the things that it could be. 
Um, it, there's also um, outstanding natural features. I don't know if they street viewed far enough down on Awkward Lane. That It actually goes through a beautiful stream valley at the end. Um, and so in my opinion, instead of only needing 4C with the historic alignment, I think outstanding natural features 4A and 4C. So I think it in fact could be considered to qualify twice. Uh, there is no historically designated property on the road. I think probably the houses that were historically there were probably lost over time because they probably couldn't get septic. Yeah. Um, and and for those reasons, I think we should leave Ockard Lane in, in, in the uh, uh, rustic road designation. It, it hasn't looking, been designated yet. Looking, we should looking at the images you just, you just showed, is there a part of this road? Should we narrow what we're, we're considering including? Um, because the first part of it, yeah, it looked like most of the low-density roads out there um, with residential, but this later part with the trees that were mentioned does look, you know, uh, pleasantly countrified. Um, our, our historic preservation planner, who um, couldn't be with us today, although she might be online, but I, I believe her research didn't indicate um, that this road had quite the historic alignment that Holly Grove did, and her her research showed Holly Grove was definitely mentioned and shown in a lot of old maps, but Awkward Lane shows up a, a lot later than Holly Grove. Um, but I, I would think to be clear on this one, we should probably punt to a later work session to decide the fate of Awkward. I'm just going to recommend the same thing. I think uh, right. given, given that, we'd like to Let's have some that, so. testimony as well. So okay. we can put a pin in this one. We'll, we'll bring this one back. OK. okay. The other one, I think it's going to be a lot easier for this board, I have a feeling. <laughs> and uh, with, with Holsey Road, we did receive uh, support uh, to include this in the program, and then we received uh, the opposite. Uh, some of the, I guess, family members of uh, the folks that live along the road did not want to include this uh, particular road um, in the program. And we, the, pro the plan, uh, designates the road as rustic in the program and uh, our, our rationale and sorry for spelling our rationale wrong um, is that uh, uh, around this area there are five acre uh, lots and uh, 25 acre lots um, and um, so there are certain limitations to development potential along this road uh, given the those uh, the zoning and also the sewer categories um, and being in an environmentally sensitive area. So as, as I've read the letters from the people uh, along Halsey Road, um, their concern is not really rustic or not rustic. Their, their concern is, it seems to be based on the notion that the road is poorly maintained and that a rustic designation would even make it worse. That, that seemed to be the, the um, flavor, if you will, of, of what, their, um, what their complaints were about. So since 
you're here from the Department of Transportation. I would really like for you to speak at, about that. So, so the reg code does require us to maintain rustic roads in the same manner that we would maintain any other road. Um, I don't know if Richard Dorsey is still on the line. He's chief of our highway maintenance. Um, he was un unable to participate in person, but he was here remote at least earlier. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he's still here, if he has anything he would like to add to that. He may not still be here. No, I don't know that he's here. I don't think he's here. I mean, okay. so if to get, so my suggestion is that we put Halsey off to another day and then you, Department of Transportation, come back to actually talk to us about the nature of these um, um, concerns that the uh, residents have. Uh, I mean, they sound absolutely um, appalling. And, and, and I, I imagine that maybe, um, I'm a little confused about uh, this sewer thing, too. Um, you're saying that these properties can't have water and sewer lines? Is that what you're saying? That's correct. They're, they're way away from the water and sewer envelope that would... Correct. It's not planned for public water and sewer that these would be uh, private well and septic systems. Uh, so I think what Roberta was trying to say is that their nature of the development pattern out here is anticipated to remain rural. Um, there are, again, rural characters, beautiful viewsheds. Uh, there, you heard about the history of the, the people of this road. Um, not trying to diminish their uh, desire that this not be added to the program because of the maintenance issues that, that you've raised. Uh, we'll also say that um, there were others that, that expressed that concern about recommending any, any roads be added to the program. Um, and again, to, to second what MCDOT is saying, um, there, there is one pot of money to maintain roads, so whether or not something is designated rustic or non-rustic is not supposed to uh, impact the maintenance uh, quality of that road. That was my understanding, but, but apparently all I'm saying is that, you know, I think that when the public has a certain perception it is kind of hard, and if that perception is inaccurate, then it's helpful if we just tell them, no, it doesn't, that's, not, that's not the way this rolls. So, um, so it's that, that's why I would like, you know, the people from DOT to actually come back with, with um, some, uh, something that specifically addresses the concerns raised by the residents. Um, uh, I, I think that would be helpful. Certainly, we, we can do that for this specific location and in general countywide. I mean, we, we have a, a robust pavement management system and we drive a truck with lasers up and down every road every couple of years and you know, we, we, we do that uh, to, it's, it's, it's entirely based off of the condition and what is going to be the most cost effective treatment to preserve that asset and, and keep it safe. So it's, it's really a, a very scientific approach. Uh, we can bring this back, but I, I think the somewhat issue is, uh, is, is there a local veto or should there be a local veto for a historic, des for a rustic road designation? I mean, there, certainly that's not a requirement, that's not an attribute in the code. Um, it would be just something that you're making as a policy. But if you'd like to delay this, we'll delay this. Yes, you have. Um, I I recall the testimony um, um, stating a desire to 
eventually move back to this area where their family still owns land and, and build a house. But they said they wanted to be able to have a wider road that would accommodate emergency vehicles better. They wanted lighting. They wanted modern yeah. drainage. So all of these things were incompatible with the rustic designation. Yeah. You know, apart from any safety or maintenance yeah. concerns, what they were asking for was a modern subdivision and the ability to be able to do that out here. That that was their main argument. Okay. Well, that that would put that puts the issue squarely on whether you think it yeah. should be rustic or not. Yeah. So yeah. No. So what's your recommendation? Should it well, be rustic or not? Let, here's the thing. I'm not. I don't even remember that testimony. Quite frankly, uh, uh, I'm going by what the, the what is in the packet. Um, uh, there are a few letters that are in the in this packet, and that's what I was reading. The um, there are. I don't, we'll put it this way. There seems to be, I'm going to say it again, there seems to be a misunderstanding that um, as to the, the lack of maintenance on this road, you know, whether and whether a rustic designation would affect that. That is a misunderstanding that I would like to clear up. And that is one of the two main topics of next work session. Okay, great. So maintenance in general. <laughs> then there we are. But, and but and maybe up. I'm psychic, but that's why I suggest that we bring it up next week with right. some actual, um, you know, some um, some facts that you know that people can sort of grab hold to. We'll put a pin in this one, and we'll also uh, make sure that we have the HP staff ready uh, to, to explain some of the uh, historical cultural significance as, as well, in addition to the maintenance like you've identified. Thank you. I have a small additional request, which I think it was Mr. Fleming in his testimony, as I recall, represented that he had done, I don't know if it's a canvas or a petition on the road of other people. Um, but we haven't seen that yet. I want to make sure that there's not a silent majority that is not uh, being heard in the process, so I don't know if we can reach back out to him and ask him about that. We never saw any, he, he, mentioned, he mentioned that he had talked to the people, he mentioned that he was going to set up a meeting with the people that live on this road, um, but I haven't heard back from him since the public hearing. Okay, well we've got a little more time, so let, but let's, let's see if we can we reach, can out, reach and, out and ask. Yeah. Moving right along. Uh, roads to be uh, removed from the program. Uh, there are two of them, uh, Boswell Lane and Link Road, and they are located, one is in East County and the other one is uh, just a little bit southwest of uh, Rockville. Um, with Boswell Lane, um, we didn't receive any public comments, <coughs> but we are requesting that this be removed from the program, and our rationale is that uh, the road has a very suburban uh, character with, with the swales, uh, the regularized uh, pattern of street trees, um, and the placement of houses. It, it looks like a, a typical uh, suburban development. Um, and then with Link Road, um, we did receive one uh, particular uh, piece of comment. Um, uh, wondering if we had notified everyone of the recommendation uh, to remove uh, this particular road from the program, uh, the folks along Link Road, and we, we will say we, we followed uh, procedures for notification uh, for a functional plan. Um, and the portion of the road that does have a rustic characteristics is actually a, a private driveway. 
And we have a Bing view um, of this, of the private drive, uh, right at the very end of the portion of the road that has uh, for county maintenance. And there is a sign, and I wish I could read it a little bit better, but it says private property. So, you know, this that is a private uh, driveway um, along the road. So, you know, we just want guidance on these two uh, particular. Well, I say, I say, make it so. <laughs> Uh, new road profiles by master plan. So there were a number of uh, roads that were added to the program but never had profiles. Um, we did uh, receive comments uh, from the 1994, the, the two roads that were added in the 1994 Clarksburg uh, master plan, uh, Frederick Road um, and Old Hundred. So as you can see, here's Old Hundred and Frederick Road is just the short stretch uh, leading up to uh, Frederick County itself. Um, so the first part uh, for Frederick Road was to add, um, we, we were saying uh, MCDOT said that they felt that this road, particular road doesn't meet the criteria of a rustic road. And then RAC uh, also spoke about that this does meet the criteria. And we want to approval to leave this road profile as is in, in the plan. And, you know, our rationale is this, this reflects uh, the history of, of a road as it passes through a rural village in the county. Um, and then th there's an additional portion to this particular one. Um, a number of, of community or a few community members wanted to add the stretch uh, between Hydestown Mill Road and Old Hundred to uh, the Rustic Roads program. Um, Again, we, we feel that this should be kept as is um, because uh, of the road section here. Um, you have multiple curb cuts along this particular section. Um, you have front end parking along this particular section um, that the rustic characteristics aren't quite the same as going as you go up the road, um, you know, through the narrowness of, of, a, of a village area with the houses framing the road and that sort of thing. And then uh, with Old Hundred Road, um, we have a request not to remove uh, the section of Old Hundred between Peachtree Road and Frederick Road, so as it comes into Frederick Road. Um, and the plan recommends removing that portion of the road um, because the rationale is that that portion of the, ro of the road has the visual characteristics of, of a freeway with, with on and off ramps and that sort of thing. And we do have uh, views of that if, if you would want to go look down those. So those are the, the, the two roads um, with the 1994 uh, Clarksburg plan. I'd like to ask a question on the rural road, road committee sure. folks. And that is, um, what, what is your comprehension of rustic here? Does rustic include through a town? Um, I, a number of the towns we don't include because they're not in the jurisdiction of the county, right? They haven't got their own jurisdiction, but um, do you have any? Well, we do, we do include towns. And uh, in fact, town of Barnesville specifically yep. has to stay in the program. Um, and there's a lot of traffic in that town, but it's, it's, it's still a town. It's beautiful and quaint and just like this part of, um, of Frederick Road. Let's okay. So, so you support what staff has commented on about the part, the northern part of 
they, they just showed us. What, I'm sorry. You, su you support what staff has just said about the northern part, not the Yes, but the, you know, in, in fact, it's all in the historic district, so we don't see, we didn't vote on this in committee, but we don't see a reason why the staff wouldn't take it down to Hydestown Mill Road and also keep that connecting road. So you're talking about the corridors, the mm -hmm. connection of Old 100 Road there. It, it doesn't look like a freeway. There are two 270 entrances that are going to change over the years. But um, it doesn't. It's still a beautiful rustic part of the road with views and vistas of farms and wooded areas. So we thought that why not include all of those those portions of the roads because they all connect. Kind of what Commissioner Branson was saying okay. as well. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll just say from from a staff perspective through this segment, this is where again we felt that there was a disconnect with the criteria and, and ultimate uh, the rustic nature that we didn't feel met and, and feel that it diminishes if added to the other segments of the road, uh, other roads in, in the program that are truly rustic. So again, try not to convolute that. Uh, the fact that we have a historic district, we think we have other means to um, sort of, if, if these properties come in for redevelopment, to um, ideally redesign you know, that road in a way that's still historic in, in nature and, and narrow and slower in nature. Uh, we'll want to do that around nodes uh, with corridor development and um, compact forms of development in, in those areas. Uh, we think we have other other historic districts in the county that don't have uh, rustic designation that we're still able to um, create a sort of a, a narrower road <coughs> section. Um, and again, that, that acknowledges and that uh, respects the, the historic nature of those, of those nodes. So from our perspective, we, we did not recommend including that particular section of the program. Um, I also want to add that the 1994 plan recommends a bypass of Hyattstown to solve the problem of, it's, it's by far the highest trafficked rustic road in the program. It's got a daily traffic count of uh, 14 or 16,000 trips a day, whereas we try to keep it under 3,000. But because of the master plan recommendations to build a bypass around Hyattstown to alleviate the traffic, the 1994 plan thought that this road should, should be designated rustic with the understanding. And that, that plan also recommended closing the old 100 road interchange at I-270 to keep that traffic from also going through Hyattstown. So there's two recommendations in the 94 plan that work together to justify adding both Old 100 Road and um, that section of Hyattstown. But the section south of Old 100 Road that the, they've asked us to add is not in the area that would be served by the bypass. It's south of the bypass. And so therefore, all the traffic that goes to Hyattstown would still be going through that section of road just to get to the bypass. So that block is slightly different than this block to the north that would be bypassed by the bypass, if you will. So there's that subtle uh, nuance too, um, which brings me to the argument from the advisory committee that if the 1994 recommendations justify leaving in uh, Frederick Road, why wouldn't, it lead, why wouldn't it also lead to having Old 100 Road remain rustic in that section? And we think that um, just the, the, the Old 100 Road has just visually changed far too much. It's got a really um, high crash rate and a really high traffic rate. And we don't um, have any um, belief that the state intends to close the interchange anytime in the foreseeable future. 
And uh, so it was recommended that perhaps other changes be made to make it safer, and we can't imagine any changes made to the intersection with 270 to make it safer that wouldn't make it even less rustic looking. Is everybody okay with the staff recommendation? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been compelled that the character or commonality of those two things suggests that both should be out of the plan. As they recommend? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, you got that one. Uh, so now we have the Cloverly uh, master plan, um, and we have discussed pretty much, we didn't receive any comments uh, regarding this. Uh, the only one was about the, the DBU, so the dedicated but unmaintained, and we've already spoken about that, um, and Link Road also. Um, and the um, Fairland uh, Master Plan, 1997 Fairland Master Plan, also in, in East County, um, we'll be discussing that change uh, with the classification, so Belcote uh, Drive, and the DBU has uh, been resolved uh, for that particular road. Um, with the 1998 uh, Sandy Spring Ashton plan, again, uh, there is a change in classification, um, and we'll discuss that uh, with the change in classifications. Um, with the uh, 2002 Potomac subregion master plan, um, there was a, well, the, um, we'll talk about the change of designation for Query Mill um, in that section, but for Glen Mill Road, uh, there was a request from the RAC to add hedgerows as a uh, significant feature. And, um, you know, for this uh, particular um, uh, section of road and for all the maps themselves, uh, we use the latest uh, aerial photography um, to uh, create the, the forested layer uh, for these maps. Um, so for us, it wasn't apparent that there was a hedgerow um, that is, is really defined along the road. And so we would like, um, I guess, clarification on, on that. From the Rustic Road Committee? Or, or no, from you, from you all. Oh. Uh, it, and we do have a street view of this. And, and we don't know whether this vegetation is in the right of way or not in the right of way? Uh, to begin it, with? It, it, it should be in the right of way, but it doesn't. It's not, doesn't look, it looks like vines to you. It doesn't have the look of, of hedgerows uh, to staff, no. Okay. Any recommendations different from staff from the board? And, oh, sorry, and I'll mention that everything was captured. No, and I, and I also just, um, hedgerows are problematic, I think, along a lot of roads in terms of maintenance, right? In terms of visibility, I don't know if uh, DOT agrees with that or not. So let's, uh, let's be conservative on that. Okay, I think, well, I think you got uh, uh, <laughs> urgent hands. Yes. Briefly. At the request of Jamie, um, I live near there. I drove Glen Mill Road twice. I submitted photographs that I think clearly showed hedgerows. I don't have them with me because I didn't know I would be asked for this information. 
but I've showed the photographs to Leslie and Laura and the committee, and we all agree the hedgerows is a feature on the roads. I gave them the location. I marked it on a map. So I don't understand why. It, it's the same thing that Laura said about trying to understand a road from street view. You have to drive the road. So anyway, that's okay. all I have to um, say. I, I will say that staff also drove the road uh, to, uh, when we were, uh, staff also drove the road um, when we were taking photographs for this particular plan and we drove uh, all the roads in the Glen area. Do I hear a recommendation from the committee other than go with staff? No. So we're going to go with the staff recommendation. Um, with the uh, 2005 uh, only master plan, uh, there is a, uh, we're going to talk about updating the extents, and uh, there are concerns um, that increased development uh, preclude the inclusion from DOT's pr perspective, and pr preclude the inclusion of this particular road in the Rustic Roads program. Um, and we also received comments uh, from uh, the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee uh, about replacing text in the traveling experience. Um, to remove the uh, discussion of the shared use path along the road uh, leading from, um, leading to uh, Farquhar Middle School um, and replacing it with text talking about a natural surface trail. And we do have um, uh, images of Bachelors Forest Road um, and we would like uh, guidance just on the road itself. Um, you know, it, it contains a middle school, uh, Farquhar Middle School, and a high school, a Good Council High School, on uh, the two ends, um, or in one in the middle and one towards the towards the end, uh, towards Sandy Spring, um, and then this is the uh, a photograph dated uh, 2019 of the natural surface trail um, that was provided along one of the developments. Um, and we believe that this does not provide um, safe and convenient routes for children if they're trying to walk to school um, from one of the surrounding neighborhoods. Um, so we wanted to maintain, make no changes to the text in the plan and, and keep the idea of a shared use path at some point in time. And this shows uh, the proposed uh, shared use uh, and path and, and trails along Bachelors Forest Road. And unfortunately, this says um, Bachelors Forest Local Park, but that's actually the middle school um, uh, parks uh, swap property. So the uh, Bachelor Forest Local Park is just south of the uh, Farquhar Middle School, so south of that label. You've, you've confused me. What's your recommendation to include the road or not well, include well, the we, road? Well, we still recommend including the road um, in the plan, but we don't want to make any changes um, to the text uh, for the traveling experience about removing a shared use path or, um, or a trail along the road. Uh, and, and we don't want to have uh, a natural surface trail as as the mention of how ch children should, or how people should travel along the road, um, because we feel that it might not be the safest means of, uh, of travel. Commissioner Hill. 
No, are you? Um, I'm just uh, if it's, if you're a bicyclist now, for example, uh, this natural surface is unless you've got a mountain bike, it's probably not rideable. So people are riding in the road um, and getting around that way. And it seems to me, uh, yeah, this is an area of growing population and utilization, and we should be meeting the off-road safety requirements for that mode of travel and walking. This is, excuse me. <coughs> this, okay, this is Bachelor Forest Road. This is from where the road begins on, uh, is that, uh, is that uh, uh, Norwood, Norbeck? It, uh, Norwood Road. Norwood, so okay. Norwood Road is on the northern end, mm -hmm. and um, Georgia Avenue is on the uh, western edge, so. Yeah, but the the document here says um, you're yeah. only we're only you're only recommending for part of it. That's what I'm trying to clear up. For for designation. Um, yes. Yeah, um, the recommended bike of oh, summary side use. It says twelve hundred feet east of Georgia yeah. Avenue to Doctor Bird Road. Western extent is also being revised. That that's what I'm so. That's what I'm just trying to clear up. That 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 is the the thing in question here, right? Oh no, I know. Uh, this well, there's is, uh, there's, there's multiple road. questions here, uh, okay. so let me show the road first. Um, so Bachelor's Forest Road starts at Georgia, and it winds its way around till it eventually hits Dr. Bird. Uh, no. Right, and Norwood when it starts Road. at Georgia and starts to and, wind around, that's that's so, a that's a housing development. It's a big church. Yeah, it's a whole so, lot going on right there. Yeah, so we okay. have suggested that the rustic designations start right past the church entrance. So okay. If you drop this little person right here, you'll see that uh, at the church entrance, it looks fairly modern with all the curbs and gutters and right. such. But if you go around the other way, it goes you know, into the woods, through stream yeah. valleys, it, it, the character changes dramatically just, just past the uh, church entrance. So, and this was a, a recommendation that was originally made in the master plan in 2005. So this is simply to clarify that what the 2005 plan suspected might happen did happen. So instead of the current maps show the rustic road starting at Georgia Avenue, we are just proposing that the maps be updated to start the rustic designation 1,200 feet from Georgia Avenue, which is this spot. Okay, and and that spot that that you have mentioned is the spot that where where Bachelor's Forest Road actually lets out on Dr. Bird. Um, that's where it goes up. That's, that, that's on the opposite. That's the opposite. That's the opposite. Yeah. They're talking about down this here. end. Okay, this is the Georgia, oh, Norbeck. This okay, Georgia is here. Okay, all right. So I'm just, like I said, I'm just trying to clarify what it is. Yeah, so, um, so the rustic designation does not, we're recommending that it not include the first little part close to George <coughs> Avenue because people are using the Agreed. park, they're using the church. Uh, there's a school here. A lot of traffic, a lot of modern looking surfaces. So the rustic designation will begin here and go all the way down the road till it hits Norwood. Um, or Dr. Bird Road. Um, I guess it becomes Dr. Bird further down. No, it's Dr. I have the wrong road in my head. So anyway, it hits Norwood. Uh, the original master plan had wanted Bachelor's Forest to be realigned to actually intersect with uh, 108. 
um, that the master plan wanted Bachelors Forest Road to be rustic, so it recommended this new connection that's now called Old Vic Boulevard. Uh, there's a high school here, um, might be easier to see. And the aerial, that here's where the middle school is, here's where the high school is, um, the rustic road travels between them. Um, but the reason we're talking about this at all is because of a suggestion by MCDOT that this road may no longer meet the criteria of a rustic road. I think specifically our suggestion is to, to potentially reconsider the limits at that northern end because the same similar kinds of things that happened over at Georgia Avenue are also happening at the other end. Um, and so uh, you know, our specific session suggestion is to consider revisiting the limits. Um, but uh, you know, in general, also, um, to your point, if the uses at either end have increased, you know, that's two trip generators at either end that are increasing traffic between the two, you know, if that's part of your analysis, um, recommend that you look at that as well but, but our primary concern is really what's the limits on the northern end so DOT would recommend the northern extent be at Old Vic Boulevard that would be reasonable um, I think it gets you down past the middle school um, we, we have a safe routes to schools program um, I think that gets you to a point where where you can put in sidewalks and things like that get people to school get them out of the neighborhood the walk share to the school, that would be. I mean, that that would be my recommendation to to limit the extent on both ends. Uh, one recommended by staff and one recommended by DOT. Yes, ma'am. Leslie Seville, for the record, um, Farquhar Middle School comes out. Uh, the only access it takes is at the intersection with Old Vic. Yeah. Uh, you can see on the screen there that there is a second driveway just to the north. That's closed off. That's emergency access only. The school buses are to only take Old Vic Boulevard. Um, the high school across the street takes zero access from Bachelors Forest Road. So from Old Vic Boulevard north, there is nothing but residential. It's built out. Uh, there is the natural surface path that was approved by a previous planning board um, through that section to provide the connectivity. Unfortunately, um, the school has not connected that across their frontage to their sidewalk. So the students have to actually walk in the road. So the students don't do that. Um, but uh, there there is no institutional access north of okay. Old Vic Boulevard. Got it. All right, I'll go back to staff recommendation, uh, planning staff recommendation, given that there's no access that way by the school. Mm -hmm. Or the, the access to the school is through by Old Vic Road. Right, the only access yeah. to the elementary school is from Old Vic Road and, and the but high school that is that is discussed is good counsel and That's and good counsel is is uh yeah there's that that section of it it backs to the woods so there's no access there either okay i, I would just add that though that, that the walk shed for the school you know 
kids, folks are going to walk their, their most direct route. And so for the existing houses that are accessed off of uh, Bachelors Forest Road between uh, uh, Dr. Or Norwood and Old Vic, they're going to walk along there. And, um, you know, in the, in the broader context, the most appropriate ADA compliant route would be to have a sidewalk that serves those individuals within that walk shed. Yes, yeah, so oh, sorry, Tim, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just say that uh, from staff perspective, uh, this particular section of Bachelor Forest, we feel does still meet the rustic criteria. Um, if you travel this section, it's, it's heavily vegetated. I also want to point out that uh, there is extensive frontage along this road on school property. So if there is a safe routes to school, if there is some concern about uh, providing sidewalk they, they and pedestrian, can, the, school. the school can certainly provide it all, along the vast majority of this section of Bachelors Forest Road. Uh, the issue, I think, would be uh, uh, some crossing from the east side to the west. But again, the, the, the nature of the land use in this area is, is rural. Uh, we're not expecting a, a whole heck of a lot of development along this road. So I, I think um, I think there are ways to do this to still maintain the rustic designation that, that we've uh, recommended along this stretch and provide uh, the safe uh, access to school that um, seems to be the concern. Okay, we okay with Stafford? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm hearing we can have both in this situation and that's the best course. Okay. You got to continue on. Okay, it's so uh, three o'clock. So, because I'm, I'm still not clear exactly, so the yes, other recommendation yeah. that uh, that we replace the natural surface, that this planned side path with the natural surface trail, um, which we, we don't believe we need to change that recommendation from the bicycle master plan, but we want to make sure I want to make sure that, that you you agree that the bicycle master plan's recommendation for a shared use path is still the correct recommendation and not what has been suggested a natural surface trail. Yes. Okay, thank you. And given that it is three, I'll say we uh, how many we have about 10 or 12 slides left. We could certainly uh, try to come back at the next session if well, you're feeling keep, or if we keep want to going. finish. I'll, you know, I'll go as long as my compatriots want to go. Sure, so. Keep going. Um, with uh, the 2010 Great Seneca Science Corridor Master Plan, uh, the one road in there is uh, Game Preserve Road. Uh, MCDOT expressed concerns about crash history along the road and <coughs> suggested refining the length of the rustic road designation. Um, and uh, the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee uh, believes that the road uh, meets the criteria of the program. Um, and we, the plan rec does not recommend changing the extents of the road. Um, and we would like uh, um, the planning board to uh, make a determination uh, regarding uh, this particular road. So, we, and we do have here. Here's uh, information regarding the crash uh, history along the road, um, and the types of crashes and where they have occurred along the road. Is that white stripe through the middle of the utility right of way? The train, the train, train tracks. tracks. Oh, train tracks. No, so I, the other, the other. I, I see the train tracks, but the other direction. There's a. Oh yes, yes, the utility right of way. Uh -huh. And do. T would like this not listed in the Rustic Roads Master Plan? 
No, I, I don't think we're saying that. I think could, uh, look at the extent of the listing. Okay. Um, recognizing development at uh, either end that has occurred um, and uh, where uh, some of the crash history is. And uh, we do have Andrew Bossy uh, of my staff on if there's any additional details. Uh, <laughs> He's waving. Answer more questions on, on this one or the prior one. Uh, so yes. what, what extent would you recommend? From where to where? This is Andrew Bossy, Montgomery County, DOT. I think we intentionally stayed a little bit vague about exactly what streets, other than pointing out that all toward the West End, we've had some development along the, there's a lot of single family homes. There's also an assisted living facility that's come recently come through the development pipeline uh, along, um, kind of stick where it's the yellow line runs along the, the white shaded area closer toward Popper Road. In that area, we're having, um, it's a bit more suburban. Uh, then, of course, you have the kind of the crash hotspot by the railroad bridge. Um, wanted to just raise attention. Obviously, if there's safety needs, we can attend to those. But I think especially as we're seeing different types of use, especially toward that that southern end, among, among just a more suburban look and feel right there, that um, we want to make sure that we don't restrict ourselves for a different, a different kind of land use than we're expecting for a rustic road. I think the rest of Game Preserve looks, feels rustic, for sure. Yes, ma'am. Um, actually, the assisted living facility came before the committee. It's not at all clear it's going to go forward. Um, it's, they came to see how we felt about it. They have a real problem with setback because across the street is parkland, and the parks won't give any, any right away. So 100 feet or more of setback would have to come out of that lot. I don't think it's going to be going ahead. Unclear that it ever would. And the people in the assisted living facility will not be driving. So it's not going to throw more traffic on the road. So those people are going to be staying there. Maybe they take a bus trip somewhere once in a while. So we don't see a reason to change the extents of that road. I will say from staff's perspective, uh, I did live in that area for a long period of time, very familiar with this uh, stretch of road. I think it's a little bit of an anomaly that we have the conditional use uh, um, in, in that particular area. I, I think, again, the, the area um, is sort of a large lot in nature, very low density. Um, it's not particularly on one side of the road. The other side of the road is park, uh, parkland. Um, again, extensively vegetated. Uh, some of the, the features, uh, the natural features and, and features of the road, um, while you know there are some, some crashes that have been identified, those are some of the most significant features of that road as well. So there's a little bit of a tension uh, you know, naturally in that uh, from a safety perspective and from um, the significance of the road and those features. So um, again, I, I think overall a staff's recommendation would be to retain those portions as we've recommended. Uh, however, sort of couching this perhaps in the other discussions we've had on, on safety and how do we make sure bridges and tunnels and other things are, are safe as we go uh, along these roads um, that, that we work these things out in those discussions. Is, are there any specific safety changes that you would know in advance that we could accommodate in some way? I mean, well, well with regard to the bridge, there's, there's, we're not changing, can't change that bridge. Really. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's, first of all, it's the, it carries the railroad, <laughs> right. uh, not, not the county road. Second, we agree that that is, if there's anything that's an exceptional feature, 
that bridge we believe is an exceptional feature. Um, things that we would try and do uh, would, would be more in the terms of traffic controls, advanced warning, you know, lower, lower level interventions um, would be things that, that would be appropriate to use in a situation like, like this. Would, would the designation of, uh, of being rustic uh, prevent you from doing that? Ma'am. The crash history looks absolutely terrible. Um, and part of the reason for that is that Watkins Mill Road was not uh, completed. And um, so uh, this sweet little tiny road was taking all of that traffic for about four out of the six years that is shown on the, uh, the crash uh, map here. If you look at the, um, the crashes since Watkins Mill Road uh, was completed, it's down to just a couple. Um, we do see, uh, I was on the committee whenever this was looked at in 2010, and the number of people drinking and driving on this road is astonishing. I don't know why that is, but that seems to be a special thing about this road, and I would guess that maybe people are evading police or something uh, like uh, that. Um, um, okay, I in, got the in point. In any case, um, uh, about a year ago, I was uh, on this road with a videographer and a bicyclist, and uh, we were out there for about a half an hour shooting video. We saw two cars in a half an hour and a dog walker who walked right down the middle of the road under the tunnel without any interference. Okay, uh, Not Got much it. traffic now. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> I, I'm always, you know, look at the safety concerns and concern, uh, that, that seemed pretty convincing to me on. on uh, I, I would agree that the, it's appropriate to mo continue to monitor the, the crash history uh, with regard to the changes in the network. I think our, our concern is, is not at the middle of the road. Our concern was, you know, do, do we want to consider things that have happened at either end and look at the, right. at the limits? But we, we agree wholeheartedly this is a rustic road, and we agree wholeheartedly that that bridge is significant. And and we can agree that if you think signage would be a help and it's in, within the character of the road, you should put up more signage. And, and if you want that as a permissive description in the plan, we'll, we could do that. How's that? It, it, it's helpful. Um, I don't know that it's necessary. The code's pretty right. clear. It, true. Yeah, right. <laughs> you get into trouble if you put it down yeah. once, then everybody says, oh, I can't do it on all the yeah, others. Uh, okay. Um, uh, do I hear anything recommendation different than staff? Hearing none. Keep on going. I forgot that I'm up. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the extent changes, this simply means, uh, like we discussed with Bachelor's Forest Road, those rustic roads where there's a slight tweak on either end of the portion of the road designated rustic. Sometimes they're getting a little bit shorter. Sometimes they're getting a little bit longer. Um, and, and you you had no comments on on your ex, your suggested changes on extents. Um, well, we had a couple from 
uh, DOT on some recommended extent changes that we had not recommended. Uh, and then we had a couple of uh, objections to removing some portions of roads uh, as suggested in the plan. Go through what you need to go through. And so um, all the pink roads on this map are the ones that um, have extent changes recommended in the plan. Um, and then the purple ones are the ones that are some new extent change recommendations. Uh, so beginning with Bentley Road, we talked about this briefly, but at the DBU conversation, uh, so this is where uh, DOT had suggested removing the DBU portion. We've already discussed this. Oh, you know what? I'm actually getting mixed up. It's the other end of the road. Did you? Okay, so ignore where that circle is right now. If you go on the south end of the road near Olney Sandy Spring Road, uh, there's a CRN zoned uh, property there that uh, MCDOT thinks that um, the, the combination of that CRN zone and the entrance to the Sandy Spring Museum means that the bottom 500, southernmost 500 feet of that road should not be uh, rustic. Um, but we, but, but we're recommending that the extents stay where they are. It's a low volume road, it's a dead end. Uh, even if the museum has an event, it's not that greatly attended that, that Bentley Road becomes overwhelmed. And uh, Roberto? No, I'll, I'll say, well, certain events are attended, but um, they have agreements to park a car off the street at Sherwood High School and when they have those events, they, they have crossing guards and everything uh, to help uh, get people across. So we, we didn't see any compelling reason to change the extent of Bentley Road at 108. And I'll, I'll just say that uh, we do have a regulatory application, which we'll discuss with you in, in the coming months. Um, but we, you know, we are intimately familiar with this site and the program and the plan program uh, for this and feel comfortable with our recommendation that we can uh, accommodate those uh, and bring you a recommendation uh, soon that, that it's not, this is not posing a problem uh, being in the Rustic Roads uh, program, even considering the, the future plans for the museum. So we have looked at this and are continuing to look at this. Uh, just want to. I mean, CRN is as low density as you can get on the commercial side. So. Correct. Any problems with staff? See, nobody. Oh, um, the uh, our friend from DOT online has a comment. Yeah, this is Andrew Bossy again, Montgomery County DOT. Um, I wasn't sure how many other streets have CRN zoning on them. I think it may have been this and Meeting House Road, as I'm guessing is probably the next slide. Uh, I believe were the only ones I spotted. And I think Highest Town might have been a third. And that's why I just flagged all three of them as it's it's atypical zoning for what I interpret as being what would be found on Rustic Roads. I'd be concerned if we have a property comes in that tries to fit into the sort of little tiny village center of Sandy Spring look and feel and has you know, sidewalks, curbs and all that, that that could conflict with what the vision is for Bentley in that first couple hundred feet. I mean, it was the lowest density uh, commercial zone. You know, if we if we had a uh, country store zone, we might have used that or something like that, but that's as low as we got. Uh, um, do I hear any differences from staff recommendation? No. Keep going. 
I'm going to skip the other two for a second just because Meeting House Road is, is in the same vicinity. Uh, same thing, the first 500 feet are within the CRN zone. There is some development activity going on Meeting House Road right now where an old office building is being converted to, I believe, senior housing. Yes, uh, senior affordable housing. Um, again, that, that project's approved moving forward, the rustic designation. Um, while it while it posed uh, additional coordination efforts and and um, you know uh, problem solving uh, amongst the agencies, it didn't impede the ability for us to move forward with an application in this sense. And it was actually very a very good one that uh, respected the road and allowed for uh, redevelopment of that site. So, so it didn't invade the road. Yeah. Uh, Great. That that particular project also had internal circulation for for the residents so that they can get from the building to 108 um, and not along the rustic road itself. And, Very and cool. It's a, historic, it's a historic district itself, uh, Meeting House uh, historic district. Okay, I think everybody's okay. Keep going, we're okay. The next one is Brookville Road where uh, they are building a bypass of Brookville. And as part of the bypass, they have built a roundabout on Brookville Road and realigned the eastern end. And you can kind of make out in this uh, photo here, uh, some, we captured a screenshot from a YouTube video showing where currently, or on December 5th anyway, there was no road there at all because they had completely removed it to build a new culvert across the stream here. So we think that the nature of this end of the road combined with the fact that it's being completely rebuilt uh, kind of takes away from the notion of it being rustic. Do you think? it will be a new road. That's what we think, but we, uh, we heard contrary opinions from others. Well, that, that seems right to me that that extent does not look rustic. <laughs> it looks like a traffic circle to me. Yeah, and I, I again, uh, Again, uh, Patrick Butler for the record. I do, I do want to say that um, this is the type of CIP project, though, that uh, at the same time we're making this recommendation, I do want to make sure that this is something where we have talked about improved process and coordination amongst all the stakeholders. Um, having items like this come very early, very often, to the Rustic Roads already scheduled advisory committee meetings so that uh, we, we don't want the CIP projects to move forward on rustic roads that then result in an improvement like this where we're now coming to you and recommending removal from the program. Otherwise, it defeats the whole purpose. It, uh, so, again, we, we do want to improve coordination efforts um, and make sure that we allow for improvements that are necessary from a safety, from whatever uh, policy standpoint, but that don't do it at the detriment of the rustic road. In, in the okay. Commissioner Presley has something to say. Yes, so this, we're really only talking about removing what is the new build because the new construction comes from the rustic road and creates that bypass so people don't go through and, and continue to decimate the historic town of Brookville, right? I mean, That's so correct. it's new road from that point on. Yes, just so a short section. It, yeah, so it doesn't even make sense. You'd actually be having to add it to instead of remove it from. <laughs> so it makes sense not to add it to that and I just want to make sure that everything else, the part of the rustic road that passes Oakley Cavlin and, and everything, that that will stay in the designation and be maintained as it has been. 
Uh, yeah, as you look at the map on the screen, you'll see the brown portion of the road. The only part being removed is the little tiny gray segment between Georgia Avenue and, and that Okay. And ju just so it's clear, okay. Commissioner Presley, this, it's in the program. The recommendation is to remove this segment in large part as a result of the improvement and the nature of how it was done. So mm -hmm. I think the concern is that we don't replicate this pattern moving forward where other CIP projects move forward and we're bringing forward recommendations of removal from the program. Right, so so in the future, when, when something like this is proposed, I mean, it was pretty major. They knew it was gonna be a, an entirely new road. Um, you're suggesting that it wouldn't, it, we wouldn't have to go through this process because it would be preliminarily eliminated. I'm hoping for perhaps a better process where we're able to come up with a solution together uh, that is better, that uh, allows for an improvement, but also retains the uh, rustic designation. Rustic. Yeah. Right. Commissioner Hill? Okay. That's I, just, I, I drove this road recently and just past Oakley Cabin, the road was entirely closed. Was it because of the culvert situation further down? The whole roundabout, um, this entire section that you see in this picture they had to build from scratch as part of the the bypass yeah the, no, the, the bypass is going to go around the west, uh, west side of brookville yeah. historic district i understand that but this was a good ways down the brown line you got there over by Oakley cabin is where they closed the road and i yeah we, we we drove down that road and had to stop where it ended and i snuck down as far as i dared while construction was going on to take some pictures okay. but, but, but that was that construction just stopped further down mm -hmm. okay good nothing yes okay i think we're okay with that recommendation as well um i want to skip again to uh, schaefer road just because the uh it's similar to the last discussion where um improvements if you will to the road and uh, the area along the road we think have uh created a situation where this one section of Schaefer Road does not meet the criteria of a rustic road in our opinion. Uh, so we're suggesting that the part that we think looks a bit suburban not be part of the rustic road. Un understood. And I understand the, the public comments on bad precedent of uh, having to come back and remove rustic roads instead of trying to resolve the potential conflict in, in CIP or other operating things. So, but uh, I agree it should be removed. I agree with staff's recommendation. Anything else? No, no, we're good. Uh, so getting back to Greg Road, here's one where uh, it was suggested that we extend Greg Road to, to, to kind of close this loop, if you will. It's, it's got rustic roads on all sides of it. It's unclear why it wasn't named rustic to begin with. We think it meets the criteria and we just suggest adding it. The only difference here is that we're also recommending that the existing rustic Greg Road be made exceptional rustic, but this section would not be exceptional. It would be normal rustic. Do you remember that there's a pending application for a solar farm here as well? That, that is correct, right, right on the, um, in this little white space here, that property, uh, they have uh, submitted an application for, I guess, a conditional use application for uh, solar there. Is there any concern about the visibility of that sort of very modern uh, infrastructure well, the, interfering um, with the road? The zoning ordinance Rustic. requires certain levels of screening for okay. conditional use applications. Uh -huh. I don't know if 
We may apply in all conditional uses. Yeah, it, it, exactly. There would be a screening requirement, so that, that particular okay. use is not, answer your question, no, there's not a concern from staff at this point. And, and we're talking about a regulatory item that isn't before us yet? Trying not Probably to do that, staff. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yes, ma'am. In fact, the current law, the zoning law on um, these community solar uh, establishments does not require scre screening for views from the road, only from houses within 200 feet of the of the solar panels. So that's something that could be considered by you all in the master plan. It would be very helpful. No, it'll be considered whenever we get yeah, to we'll, the conditional we'll, use. We'll have those conversations as part of the, the uh, application, I think, yes. But uh, by all means. It's not, uh, okay, I'm just mentioning it's not in the law that it's required, but you would okay. consider it anyway, right. theoretically. Okay. We can. Yeah, to just ask the board not to weigh in on that right now. We'll, we'll <laughs> talk about this uh, later. Uh, uh, Thank you, Patrick. You helped the, me out with that one. <laughs> yeah. What's the timing of which here? Uh, are we going to get done with the rustic roads plan before or after we see a, a conditional that use? To be determined, but we'll, we'll bring that application back when it's ready, and uh, we'll certainly work with the Rustic Roads Advisory Committee on uh, addressing this concern uh, for this master plan. Yeah, I mean, this, this is, it'll be in the same regulatory condition either way. Even if we recommended it, it's still not in the rustic road plan. If we At get this the point, I think we should just focus on this plan and, and getting through the last few slides, but I there you the go. discussion go. and we'll, go. we'll certainly consider We're going to avoid this one. The, the applicant, the interested party is the one that made the suggestion in the first place that it be made rustic. So I believe really? they're willing to wait. Well, uh, well. Uh, let me just let, let me just reiterate that. Can we stop talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. We can. We can. Can I also just add as a reminder for the board that um, all of the uh, changes that you are recommending to the staff to make to the Rustic Rose Functional Master Plan will not be final once the right. planning board is done with it. Um, including this particular matter that you were discussing, the county council will be weighing, weighing in on it. So that's just to keep that in mind in terms of the timeline as, as to when any of these changes will be final. Right, got it. Okay. And uh, Tanya Stern, <laughs> acting planning director for the record. <laughs> All right, we're gonna keep going. Everybody's still alive. I'm, I'm oh, still, I'm still, All right, I see signs of life. Just a few, this is good, just a few keep going. Left. So uh, the last category, I believe, is uh, roads that have revised significant features. Uh, you can see here we've resolved most of the comments because they were not particularly about the significant features. However, we do have West Hunter Road, where um, it was, which is located. Um, I always get a little bit lost here. Yeah, me too. But it's in the, um, oh, let's see, West Hunter. Right up by White's Ferry. Uh, it's there it is. So West Hunter Road is here. I'm not sure why I didn't highlight it in this map. That's why I couldn't find it. But um, so we had a suggestion to add roadside vegetation and mature forest east of the Hillard Farm. On the south side of the road is significant features. Um, staff doesn't agree that they rise to the level of significance, so we do not suggest uh, changing the the plan to include that as a significant feature. Yes, ma'am. Would, would 
comment. Um, we met with DOT on the roadside there because that was, it's a, it's a very thick, dense vegetative growth with trees in it too. And what we were opposing, both DOT and we Rescue Rose Advisory Committee, was bulldozing by Potomac Edison. They were bulldozing the entire row under the power line, and they, had, they kept saying they had a right-of-way. They had no right-of-way. Brett Linkletter, the arborist from DOT, made it clear, you have no right-of-way, you have no easement, stop doing it. But we would like the additional protection of having that be a significant feature of the road. I don't know that it would solve the problem that you just gave me, which is a, a utility, because they wouldn't look in at the, the code, rustic. It is, it is specified that utilities must conform with the rustic roads code. Be, because the utility is in the right-of-way or not in the right-of-way? They are not allowed to, uh, to destroy our significant features. So they get in their the bucket right trucks, they can go up and over, and they can trim, but they're yeah, uh, anywhere. And our staff just didn't think this was a significant feature? No, when, when we looked at it, we thought that it looked like um, some random growth underneath some power lines that's going to have to get trimmed back again. I don't know the history behind the bulldozing, um, but because they are under the power lines, they will need to be trimmed. And I don't want to complicate matters um, by making them significant features. Uh, Ms. Presley has something to say? I do. I've seen the bulldozing. In fact, um, not just in that area. It was happening on Brookfield Road, which I traveled on a daily basis. They were not just trimming branches. They were totally undercutting and just taking trees back as far as two to three feet back from the road edge. So I know we, you know, in many ways we can't dictate to them what they can do, but they are required to respect these significant features. And there, some of these significant features may be missing from the picture because of exactly the action they took. So I do think it would be important to uh, designate that road, you know, roadside trees as being able to be, you know, maintained, not to interfere with the power lines, but not to be cut down. Uh, and I, I don't know if we could be that specific, but can't we state that they are significant features? We, we could do that for sure. Um, I, I have said before that, you know, if if you want tree trimming in the worst way, get Pepco to do it. They'll do it in the worst way. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's, I don't know uh, that this severe. is Pepco. Uh, <laughs> is this BG? Well, they, whoever they paid. Um, I saw a couple of other companies out there on Pepco's behalf, All right. and uh, they were they were just yeah clear cutting. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I I see one council member of council member. One commissioner interested in, in including it as significant. Do I see or hear anybody yeah, else? Yeah, I, I'm interested in including it as significant, however. Um, you know, I, I do understand that, that trees do have to be trimmed. Um, and I do understand that some of this stuff look like cudzo to me. So, so I guess what I am seeking is better a better definitional framework other than hedgerow or something that you know there, there's got to be something better we can call it um because this just looks like an overgrowth of weeds to me um and so how, how about treescape 
Yeah, how about yes, how big trees over X else. feet or something? Yeah, something else. That that is what that is what I am seeking. Um, because really, this this there's there's nothing significant uh, about this to me. Um, okay. But I could be wrong. Uh, but I do not um, have a problem with with staff recommendation. So, so that no, was, staff recommendation was not to make it significant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I do not have a problem with making it significant, but 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 I, I really think we need to devote a little bit more um, energy to the definitional framework here. You okay? I'm okay. Just want to support with some staff. I'll just All say right. from staff's perspective, I'm, I, apologies, I had to step out for just a second. I, I think our concern primarily is, uh, Commissioner Branson has has stated. I mean, this is like a hodgepodge mix of vegetation, and anywhere that this exists, then are those significant features? And I, I, again, I ultimately I think uh, that was our recommendation was to, to not include that for those reasons. So the, these were tulip poplars. There are cedars, tulip poplars, and other native shrubs in there. This was not all weeds or anything. There's, you're always going to have some weed material, but you know, it's a mixed hedgerow or treescape. I like treescape. I mean, we can name the deciduous trees if you yeah. want to do that as a significant feature. I think sometimes well, some are not deciduous, oh. unfortunately. But Some, sometimes we say stand of trees. Okay. I, 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 I would suggest just as we say viewscapes are significant, I think the framing of the road mm -hmm. with vegetation is significant. And, and I take Commissioner Branson's point. We've got to find a good way to describe that and when it is significant, when it isn't. Staff will come back with language. <laughs> okay, good. Because I think it's important, even if, you know, everywhere we've got creeping cut, okay, no one wants to save it. It's not a beautiful plant. But on the other hand, if you're trying to remove all shrubbery that's like that, you're going to have gaps and holes in the greenway. And and I think that's one of the things that protects the, the overall view shed. So however staff can reword it so that nobody goes in and starts bushwhacking it, that's the intent. Okay. Commissioner Preston, to your point, I think there's also something to be said about identifying natives and, and non-natives. Yes. Right? Yeah, point taken. We'll work on that. Yeah. Somebody tell me that a tulip poplar is non-native, and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> Sorry. Never mind. Um, 3.30. Everybody's right, still three, okay? Three slides. Excuse me. Three slides. We're going to get. To, we're going to get done. <laughs> this is one of them. We hung in this far. Let's finish <laughs> it up. Uh, so, when we recommended a change of classification from um, rustic to exceptional rustic, we did not get any comments that objected to any of those recommendations. And here they are. So, okay. Uh, any questions or comments at this point? No. Nope. nope. Then we will see you on the 26th for the second Real, session. And, and staff is clear on, on what we've recommended? Yeah. Yes. Yes, and we have a little bit of work to do as well for the next uh, work session. In addition to what we already had programmed, we'll be prepared for uh, to bring you back that information as well. And, and if you'd like to review our minutes before we approve them, that would be good too. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Chair, I, w I just want to thank the staff too. This is this is always a you know difficult issue with everybody's definitions and rustic roads, but you know nice job and thank you for packaging it to us this way. And even though I'm sorry we delayed it, we we did get all the answers we need. So greatly appreciative. And and thank you to the rustic roads uh, advisory Absolutely. committee members and.
DOT staff, thank you for tolerating our, our questions. We are a little <laughs> new to this game, too. So uh, we appreciate your everybody, everybody's patience for that matter. Thank you. <laughs> uh, with that, I believe we are adjourned. Thank okay, you very thank much. Thank you. Goodbye, all.